Is there anyone out there who still isn't clear about what doing drugs does? Okay, last time. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Any questions? Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is the Druff and Friend Show, being broadcast on the first day of May 2019, the month of the World Series of Poker. Believe it or not, this month I'm playing the World Series of Poker. May 1st, 2019, right now 9.06 p.m. Pacific Time, which means I have to tell you about a free roll that's taking place. That You have, you have a short time to get in. Actually, about 20 minutes, not that short. 925 is when late registration closes, and then you can't get in anymore. But we're giving away $74 this week in free money. To understand if you qualify for the free money and the rules to qualify, you need to go to pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll. Pokerfraudalert.com slash free roll, all lowercase, exactly as it sounds, and read the rules, understand them. The... Tournament takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room near the top of the screen. And the money this week, $40, sorry, $47 came from Pooh. $27 came from Chip Monk. That's not Chip Monk, but Chip Space Monk, M-O-N-K. So that's $74. $40 even for first, 20 for second, 14 for third. That's 40 for first, 20 for second, 14 for third. It already started at 9, but you can sit with a full stack all the way until 9.25 p.m., so you have a little bit of time. But if you are not already validated and registered on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, you won't get in because it needs to be validated. One time, but you need to be validated to play on there. We do that in order to prevent multi-accounting and chip dumping. This is the third show that we've had since April 20th, a span of 11 days, and this is the third show. Far cry from the late summer and fall of 2018 when I was having my problems and we were having the show about once a month. So we're back. We're more than back. This is the third in 11 days. For those of you that like when we come on often, this is about as often as we're going to come on. (laughs) Three full shows in an 11-day period. Next week on Wednesday is scheduled to be our next one. May 8th, and we should continue on Wednesday throughout May, except the final week of May, which is when the World Series begins, there may be a modification. I will tell you when that comes, but uh, right now we are planning to be on every Wednesday of the month of May. We're going to have Trader Ruski on tonight. We're going to have Eric Benzamokin as a guest in the first segment, or the first real segment. I have two quick segments to do before that, but... uh, the first real segment we have, we'll have Eric Benzamokin on for some legal analysis once again. So here are the phone numbers to call into the show. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. That's the main line to the show. There's also the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain about 45 minutes away by car from Las Vegas. Still has snow on the top, and on top of that same mountain is a cabin. In that cabin is an old 70s rotary telephone, which forwards to me wherever I go. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808 is the number of the Mount Charleston line. That will 
connect you to the show in a separate line if you can't get through to the main number. But remember, if I don't take your call, no matter what number you call, just don't keep hammering me over and over or I will block your phone number. Also, make sure to show your caller ID. If you don't know how to do that, just do star 82 before dialing the number. That should unblock your caller ID. Otherwise, you won't get through. Please try to call either when I announce I'm taking calls or as I'm winding down a segment and about to go to the next one. That's another good time to call. If you try to interrupt me with a call during a segment, I probably won't take it. You can also text me during the show, before the show, after the show. The text phone number to the show, 775-372-8355, same as our main phone number, 775-372-8355. Text me anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I will respond to you. I do want to announce that the pieces of my World Series have been sold. It's pretty much done. And I say pretty much because I've held back a few pieces that I'm not going to sell to the general public because, you know, just in case some family and friends want to buy pieces, I don't want to tell them I'm totally sold out. So I'm holding back a, a few pieces. Actually, I think four pieces, so I guess that equals 2% of the package of the smaller events and one piece of 0.5% for the 10K package. We had a lot of 10K package pieces left, as I mentioned last week, but someone came forward, and we're only a month away from the World Series, and someone came forward and said he'd like to buy the remaining portion of that package. So I said, okay, that one is not selling as well as the other one. It's not selling as well as it has in previous years. So I would rather sell out than just wait and have it probably not sell out. So that one, I allowed the guy to buy 15%. It's a radio listener. And I thank him for doing that. He came to me about it. I didn't come to him. Uh, Everybody else was limited to 4%, and what my policy was going to be is I would open it up to people to buy more than 4% once it came closer to the World Series and it wasn't sold out. However, only two people bought 4% this year, so obviously anyone who has less than 4% doesn't want more than 4%. And the two people who have 4%, from what I know from my conversations with them, neither of them really wanted more. So I didn't explicitly ask them, so if you're one of those two people, I apologize, but... uh, you know, I had to make a decision when someone came to me and said he wanted to buy the final 15%. And I said, yeah, let's just do it. So I, I, didn't, I don't want to shut anybody out. I don't want to be unfair to anybody as far as what you're allowed to buy. But this one, it just seemed like no one wanted more than 4% except for one person who came to me and really was only interested in buying something big. He didn't want to have a sweat for a, a small amount of money. So I, I gave it to him. I gave him, but I sold it to him. <laughs> and uh, that's that. If nobody ends up buying these final few pieces, then I will reopen it right before the World Series, and you guys can buy the remainder. I'll let you know. But for right now, all the pieces are either sold or held, so you shouldn't bother to ask me about it. It's too late. You had your time. It's over. But I thank everybody who bought pieces of me, and I I hope it's going to be profitable. I hope I will be sending you more money than you sent me. That's the goal here. Well, the real goal is to win a bracelet. But the, and if I win a bracelet, provided it's one of the events that uh, I sold, then you guys will definitely be getting more than you sent me. But uh, secondary to winning a bracelet is to send you guys more money than you sent me. And uh, last year I came close to that. Last year the package was $100 per 0.5%, and I sent everybody back 95 something per uh, 0.5%. So almost broke even. 
In fact, I would have done better than that if it hadn't been for the 3K limit hold'em at the end where I was one of the first ones out. That did not go well. Anyway, uh, if you want to chat in the chat room, you can do so if you're listening live. If you're not listening live, don't bother. You need a flash-enabled device, meaning no iPhones or iPads. I should not forget to mention the call to listen line. This is a phone number you can call and listen to the show. Does not require a data plan, a smartphone, a computer, the internet, none of that stuff. All you need is a phone that can dial a phone number in the U.S. Any phone in the world that can do that can use the call to listen line. Never buffers, never freezes. It just plays the show. 605-313-0736 is the number. 605-313-0736 is the call to listen line. It's located in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. When we're not on live, it plays a streaming rerun until we go back live on the air. It just picks random streaming reruns and plays them start to finish, usually join it in progress. You can use Amazon Alexa to listen either live or in the archives. Just say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio on TuneIn to listen to the live show. To listen to the last archived episode, say, Alexa, play Poker Fraud Alert Radio podcast on TuneIn. Add the word podcast and it will play. Just make sure to say on TuneIn at the end. Otherwise, it uh, will not do this. Speaking of TuneIn, that is an app you can download to your smartphone and listen to the show either live or in the archives. There are two entries for Poker Fraud Alert Radio. One does one, one does the other. You'll figure it out. Also, the Stitcher app works, except you can't listen live. It's only archived. And also for the archives, you can use iTunes. You can use Google Play. You can go to the radio forum on Poker Fraud Alert and click on the MP3, and it'll just play automatically in your device probably. A lot of ways to listen. If you found another way that you think I should add, let me know, as long as it doesn't cost me too much Jew gold, and as long as it does not require a lot of effort every week, then I will do it. The best for me are the services that can just pick up the show using an RSS feed. That's the best for me. But if you want to suggest one, even if you don't understand what an RSS feed is and you just want to suggest a way to listen, then let me know. I'll see if I can add it. Last I checked, SoundCloud is not really feasible unless I want to go through a lot of trouble. Some have asked about that, but I'm not ready to do that. And same with YouTube. I'm looking for things that can just automatically grab the show and put it up. I, I kind of feel funny about putting it on YouTube anyway because there's no video to this show. And I don't think there ever will be. I just prefer an audio show. That's, I've always been more of an audio guy. I've always been a, a fan of radio. And though I know a lot of people do video shows, I know some of the video shows are very popular, I just prefer the audio show. I just like being able to be heard. I think it's also nice to have an audio show because people are not missing anything if they're listening and can't watch. Like if they're driving, like if they are at work, if they're exercising, whatever. Sometimes it's just a lot easier to listen than watch. And I I have YouTube shows I like where I kind of want to listen. At times I can't watch, and I know I can't really do that because I'll miss things they're showing on the screen. Here there is no screen. Here there's nothing to show you guys. Here at your imagination is the screen. Radio is the theater of the mind. Okay, so give you the agenda, then we'll get going. We'll find Trader Ruski. We'll get going with our main show. I want to give you two quick updates before we do the agenda. Update number one is that PokerFraud.com, not PokerFraudAlert.com, but PokerFraud.com, which I also own, and for quite some time was a mirror into PokerFraudAlert.com. 
That is, you went to it, you could use it the same way you'd use Poker Fraud Alert. And the reason you would do that would be because some places have Poker Fraud Alert blocked. Like some hotel internets have it blocked. Believe it or not, the Commerce Hotel has it blocked for gambling, of all things. You, you can't go to a gambling website from Commerce. You really can't. Uh, so some people have it blocked from work. So PokerFraud.com works. The reason it works is because it's not as well known as PokerFraudAlert.com, so it gets through. So some people were using it. Some people were also using it a few months ago when PokerFraudAlert.com itself was having trouble. But I fixed that trouble back in February, and some people just stuck on uh, PokerFraud.com. It didn't switch. Well, there was some problem with the PokerFraud.com domain when it came time to renew the site's security certificate, which I I don't want to go into the technical explanation, but it was a, a kind of a hassle. And there were some problems with it, and it was having a hard time with the renewal. And when I did renew it, it wasn't being recognized properly by browsers. And anyway, I, I took some time and I fixed it. But in the meantime, I said, I'm tired of this. I'm, I'm tired of having to maintain PokerFraud.com so, so actively, knowing that a lot of people are going to it. It really should only be something you go to when you can't get to the main Poker Fraud Alert site. So what I did is I disabled the ability to just go to the same URL on PokerFraud.com as you would on PokerFraudAlert.com. But there is still a secret way to use PokerFraud.com, but I, I please only use this if you need to. So if you can get to PokerFraudAlert.com and use it normally, please use that URL. Only use PokerFraud.com if you cannot get to PokerFraudAlert.com. If you go to PokerFraud.com slash Forum 3, the number 3, that's PokerFraud.com slash forum and the number three. That will get you into the PokerFraudAlert.com forum. That's a secret way in that you can use, but please don't use that unless you really need to because I, I don't want to hear all these complaints again if it starts having problems. Oh, I can't use the site. Like There were people who really thought that was the way into the site now or they, they had bookmarked and forgot that they switched the URL. Like I don't want that hassle. So it's there, but... I could take it down any time. I, I may not feel like maintaining it. So it's there right now, but I changed it to pokerfraud.com slash forum three. And just stick that in your brain. If you don't ever want to use it, that's fine too. Second update, I mentioned last week I was very late because there was a waterfall in my house. Uh, a waterfall I did not want. Not a decorative waterfall, but a, a waterfall that was upstairs that was coming from an air conditioning vent wasn't quite a full-fledged waterfall, but it was getting there. A lot of water was coming through the vent, and a climb into the attic revealed that a pipe from the air conditioner was dripping. And I want to thank various people for attempting to help me with this, and I, I even posted a picture of it on the forum, and some people helped, some people gave good advice. Well, I figured out what it was, and it wasn't what I expected. It turned out that the air conditioning that was leaking water was because a drain was clogged in Benjamin's bathroom. Yeah. Who would have guessed that? A clogged drain in Benjamin's bathroom, which I know about. His drain is completely clogged. And I'm about to have it unclogged. But it's like really, really badly clogged. I tried to do it myself and failed. So it's completely clogged, and that is actually what caused this, because what I did not know was that the air conditioner drains its condensation into 
that pipe in Benjamin's bathroom. And if that is clogged, then it has nowhere to go and the whole thing backs up and that's what caused the leak. There we go. So the good news is there's nothing wrong with my air conditioner. I can't run the air conditioner until this clog is fixed in Benjamin's bathroom, but I'm happy to say that because the Southern California area continues to be unusually cold in 2019, this year has just been unbelievably cooler than usual from New Year's forward. We don't need the air conditioner right now and won't for the foreseeable future. Like the next 10 days, it's not even going to reach 70 for the most part. So no AC needed. I have a little bit of time to get this whole thing fixed, but that's what was going on for those of you that were wondering. And thank you to those who gave me assistance and advice because that sort of thing I'm not that good with. There's some people who are really good with stuff like that. I'm, I'm not. I can do some very basic things like that, but uh, I'm not like a whiz with home repair. Usually I have to call someone. I did replace the air conditioning controller about two years ago when we came home and it was just broken, just stopped working. So I actually did take that off and bought a new one and replaced that myself, but it, it wasn't a very tough job. But I, I did do that, but that's about the extent of my abilities. All right, here's the agenda for tonight, and then we'll get going. A lot of different topics tonight, so it might be a long show, might not be, depends how long we take on each one. The top story is one that I take no pleasure in doing. I, I do take pleasure in stories about people who I dislike when there's something unflattering about them. I mean, I'm human. If there's someone I really don't like and there's a way to criticize them with the truth, then I enjoy doing it. I think you probably would too if you were in my position. I won't lie about anyone, even if I dislike them. I'm not going to spread false rumors. I'm not going to do a biased analysis. I try to be as unbiased as possible when bad things happen to people I don't like. But the other side of the coin has to exist, too. If bad things are going on with people I do like, then I I can't pretend it's not happening. I can't cover it up. I can't ignore it. I have to cover it if it's worth covering, if it's a story that needs to be covered. And our our main story is one which does need to be covered, even though it it really gives me no pleasure to do it. And I'm, I'm serious about that. I... Wish it was not this person we're going to be talking about, but it is, and we have to talk about it. So Ray Davis, who's been on this show before, and we get along very well, and I I like him, and his Real Grinders Facebook group has been very supportive of Poker Fraud Alert and what we do here, and I, I was taken aback when I saw that uh, Ray Davis was arrested on April 20th for the accusation was sexual assault against minors. Yeah. So we're going to discuss it. We're going to be honest about it. Some people wondered if I'm even going to cover it. But yeah, it it needs to be covered. And I, I wouldn't be 
uh, an honest radio host, if I were to just skip over that just because uh, Ray's been on this show and, and because he and Real Grinders have a good relationship with the site. So uh, we're going to be fair. I, I definitely don't want to jump all over this and make it into something it's not. So I'm going to try to explain to you my opinion of what it is and what it isn't. Because even the term sexual assault against minors is, in my opinion, not totally accurate. But uh, he is accused of something, nonetheless, that is still serious. And since I'm not an attorney, I think you know who's going to come on to help us figure some things out, including a very weird situation where, despite the seriousness of the charges, uh, they didn't arrest him for three years, despite knowing where he was. He wasn't hiding out by any means, but it took three years to arrest him. So we'll... That'll be our main story tonight, and uh, as I said, doesn't give me any pleasure to discuss this, and I wish it wasn't him, but this has to be discussed. Chicago Joey had America's Cardroom CEO Phil Nagy on his show to discuss the bots on there and other matters related to America's Cardroom. The reason that's so notable is because Phil Nagy hated Chicago Joey for really putting a dent in his business. Chicago Joey made a very, very public display last year. A lot of very public claims, a lot of very public videos that a lot of people saw saying that there's cheating on America's card room, that there's super using, that there's botting, that America's card room's not doing anything about it. You can imagine that the CEO of America's card room was furious about this. And he swore at the time he'll never have a conversation with Joey because he didn't feel he was being treated fairly. But lo and behold, he appeared on the show. So I'll play you some clips about that and I'll give you my opinion. And some people have a pretty strong opinion about uh, Phil Nagy appearing on there. And I'll tell you why now. Why, why did he now choose to go on there when he swore to himself he would not do that? Kate Hall is in the news again. Kate Hall has done something crazy again. Just a tweet. She didn't really do anything, but she tweeted something crazy. Kate Hall, who used to always brag on Twitter about what a slut she was and how proud of it she was, has now tweeted that she's been celibate for six months and might be celibate for the rest of her life. The World Series of Poker made some various positive additions and changes to the 2019 World Series of Poker as compared to previous years. I do like what I'm reading regarding their plans, but will some of the best changes be choked out by oppressive fees to where people like me will not want to utilize them? We will talk about what you can expect at the World Series of Poker this year. These are changes that were just announced on April 29th. A coordinated bust took place today. They waited until Poker Fraud Alert Radio was on. I actually got a call from uh, the law enforcement body that was in charge, and they said, uh, hey, Todd, we're, we want to bust these people, but uh, we want to make sure your show is tonight. If it's tomorrow, we'll do the bust tomorrow. If it's next week, we'll do it next week. But tell us. And I said, no, it's actually tonight. They said, okay, good. Glad to hear you're back on Wednesday. We will bust the poker rooms today. And they did. Two poker rooms got busted in a coordinated fashion in the state of Texas. Tell you about that and what these Texas card rooms really are and their legality. 
Randall Emmett is a producer who has appeared on some of these high-stakes poker broadcasts. You may have seen him play. He's kind of a fish, but he does have a poker connection. And he had a pretty public battle this past week with rapper 50 Cent about a rather large sum of money that Randall has supposedly owed 50 Cent for six years. One million dollars. Yeah. And people were very entertained by that. So I'll tell you what happened. It seems to be over now, but I'll tell you what happened. Poker Fraud Alert Radio listener Ari Engel was angered when he saw at Horseshoe Tunica that they had a photo of Annie Duke displayed on the wall. He felt that she didn't deserve that, given her history in the community. And he tweeted about it and attempted to get them to take it down. I'll tell you what ended up happening. Phil Galfond finally speaks. He gave an update on 2 Plus 2 regarding the status of his struggling run-at-once poker site. Antonio Esfandiari had his boxing match with actor Kevin Hart, who's also sometimes a poker player. Hart was expected to easily beat Antonio as he had some previous training in boxing, but surprisingly, Antonio won. So talk about the consequences of that. Little news regarding Tony of Five Dimes. His body has not been found. He is assumed dead, but uh, I guess it's possible he's not. Probably he is. Three people have been extradited from Spain to Costa Rica to face charges over that kidnapping and possible murder. I have an update regarding the Wynn property, which is actually going to be called Encore, in Boston, the only casino allowed to be in the Boston area. Massachusetts has decided the fate of that property, whether it will be allowed to keep its license due to Steve Wynn's sexual misconduct. So I'll tell you what the verdict was and whether that casino is even going to open. A casino which is no longer open, the failed Lucky Dragon Casino in Las Vegas has been purchased. And finally, China has been seen as perhaps the future of of poker. China, with its gigantic population, with about uh, well, more than a fifth of the world's population, China is expected to really revitalize poker if just that population was able to access it, especially online. Imagine if you could play with all these Chinese gamblers. How great poker could be again. But the country of China has been attempting to hold that back and something has happened again to hold back the Chinese poker boom. That'll be our final topic tonight. So let's try to locate Trader Ruski. Then we will locate Eric Benzamokin. And then we will get going. That's how it'll work. And we will do our first topic about Ray Davis. What's happened to Jeff? Trader Ruski. So I'm going to violate my own privacy once again. And I'm going to share my screen with you. Just so you can hear everything that I hear. You see my screen? Um, I don't have it on. Yeah, I'm sure it's there. 
I mean, I don't care if you and see I it. I see it. Yeah, I mean, I okay. won't look anyway, but I do see it. <laughs> I, oh I, my god, shocking! I, I actually, I, I really did forget to close things. I, I really did forget that, and uh, I, I've, I've got to get used to this. That Trader Rusi is going to see my screen, and that I've got to be prepared. I've got to make sure it's all for public consumption, or at least not not public, but but kind of a semi-public consumption. I, I, I will let you see more than the public, but I, you can't see everything. You got to have some secrets here. Right, we're going to try to locate Eric. Let's see some texts there. I, I I got a text from somebody who said you love Kate Hall. See that that's not really true. I do love talking about Kate Hall. She's she's very good material for radio. She's amusing on Twitter. Her, her craziness is amusing, okay? I, I do like following people like that. But personally, I don't like her very much. She's never done anything to me, but I just, I just don't like her very much. But I do enjoy talking about her and, and seeing what she's up to. And I actually, I hadn't looked until today. And then I'm like, oh, look at that. All right, let's see. I got some texts here. Hey man, make sure you give a shout out to my warriors. As someone in the five one zero in the Oakland area, and my wife's San Jose Sharks. The Bay needs just one of its NFL teams to come through, preferably be my my Forty ers And we're going to be feeling like Boston fans again. I actually hope your Niners, not your Niners. Your, I hope that your Warriors lose because I have a futures bet on the Portland Trailblazers, who, by the way, won tonight. So they're one and one against Denver. Uh, if they can beat Denver. And then play presumably the Warriors. If they can win that, I win a twenty to one bet. So I can't say I'm winning for the rooting for your Warriors here. Besides, they keep winning too often. It's time for someone else to win. Wouldn't that be a better story if the Portland Trailblazers win and finally Damian Lillard gets the credit he's deserved all this time? Sorry, that's 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 what I'm rooting for. Uh, here's an interesting. Uh, thing that was texted me that we may have to talk about tonight from the 561. Hello, did you see Sean D on the Joey Ingram podcast? Answer, no, I did not. <laughs> Roughly 21 minutes in, he claims Daniel Negreanu and Amanda Leatherman were sued and settled a sexual harassment lawsuit stemming from their behavior that on that Poker Stars TV show said it's not public due to an NDA. Uh, and he also directly accuses him of being too touchy-feely with uh, female fans. Well, okay. I will tell you that someone told me a little while back that Negranu was sued for sexual harassment, uh, some having to do with something with that Poker Stars show. I had heard that before. I don't remember if I said it on radio or not, but I was told about it. I still don't know if it's true. But that rumor has been going around. Maybe Sean Deeb heard that rumor from the same people I heard it from. Uh, I didn't know Amanda was involved. Like, was, was she sexually harassing someone? <laughs> I don't know. That's kind of weird. I, I wish I could see that lawsuit. I, I'd pay money to see the documents from that lawsuit. Uh, let's see. From the 773, whatever happened to Drexel? Did we miss the explanation for his absence? No, there is no explanation. Uh... Brandon just hasn't been on. He just, you know, he goes through phases where he wants to be on radio regularly and times where he just doesn't. This is the time he doesn't. There was no fight. 
Uh, I texted with him several times this week, so there's no issue between us. He just hasn't been on radio. He just hasn't had the desire to do it recently. So when he wants to do it again, then he's welcome to come back. And Calwatt, he just hasn't been able to make it because his sleeping schedule is just off what we are doing here. By the time we start, he's sleeping, and he's just not used to staying up this late anymore. And maybe at some point he can be back on, at least temporarily, if we are on a bit earlier. But that's, there's just a, a time zone incompatibility with him. And, and really, that's what it is. And I just, I, I text with him as well. So it's not like uh, I had a falling out with either of these guys and co- covered it up. That's not true at all. And I'm, I'm going to see Brandon when I go back to Las Vegas in May for the World Series. And Calwatt I may not see for a while because he may not be in the West for a while. But uh, if he is, I'll like to see him. So there's no problems there. Just uh, they haven't been on. But we have Trader Ruski. And let's see if we can reach Eric Benzamokin, who is going to talk about the Ray Davis situation with us. So, okay, let me uh, try to reach him. He will not see my screen, because we're actually calling him. You can only see my screen if you're on Skype. And if we're just calling you, then you can't see my screen. But I think it's good. I think it's good that uh, an attorney... Can't see my screen because you know he's an officer of the court. Even though he's my friend, he's an officer of the court, and I don't want to put him in a position where he sees things that he has to wonder what to do at that point. Why can't I see? This is one thing that stinks about the new Skype is it's hard to add people onto the call. It's it's so like not intuitive. I always do the wrong thing. I press, I, I click the wrong thing. I start entering the number, and then it just won't dial. And I go, oh, I did it wrong. Every week this happens. And by the time I get used to it, it'll change. I'm sure. Hello, Eric. Hello. Hey, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on once again, bringing your expertise to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. This is Eric Benzamokin, attorney at law. In California? Yeah, expert at sexually assaulting minors. <laughs> well, he, he's got uh, many areas of expertise. So ho- hopefully it's not from uh, personal experience, this one. Or, or defending those people. Well, if, you know, if someone's got to defend them. I, I, I don't hold it against lawyers who provide a defense. Some, every person's entitled to a defense, and someone's got to defend them. So, uh, yeah, I, I, can, I can understand that. I, I never... And bothered by someone actually, taking a client. But yeah. yeah, I've actually been doing quite a bit of criminal defense lately. Really, yeah. I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah there, uh, in Los Angeles, uh, there's a special new uh, department that opened up uh, in the criminal courts building at Department 47, which is basically a wheat court, and that's for all the illegal operators and people busted in mm. the illegal shops and things like that. <laughs> um, and it's just it's just become a, a little niche. So, area so, so you're t- you're taking a lot of uh, California weed cases. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, L.A. mostly. All righty. Well, I, I I don't think Trader Ruski opposes that, right? <laughs> Somebody, Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. All right. So here's what happened with, with Ray Davis. And as I said, this is something, this is a segment I really wish I didn't have to do. It's something that I know I need to do, but it, it really is one that I, I don't take any pleasure in doing. And I was shocked to see this and, uh, we we just need to break it down what it is and what are the what are the facts we know so far 
and then Eric can chime in from a legal standpoint about uh, certain matters with it. And then, you know, the, it's up to the listener to make his determination of, of what you think. And we'll see sometime in the future what the courts determine, but sometimes the courts are wrong. So <laughs> the, the courts don't always get it right, but uh, that, that does influence your decision, of course. Uh, but uh, we will see with that as well. So on April 27th, let me get before April 27th. Ray Davis disappeared from Facebook, and it was reported that he was in Facebook jail. I don't remember who said it, but so, someone said he was in Facebook jail, and that wasn't hard to believe because people get put in Facebook jail all the time. Facebook jail is basically you can't do anything with your account. You're shut out. And so many people I know have been put in Facebook jail. Somehow I have avoided it. I, I'm shocked I have never been in Facebook jail, but I've been on there for 10 years, and I've never been in Facebook jail. Somehow I, I, it really does shock me it's never happened once. But that wasn't hard to believe, especially with all the controversial content that Ray Davis likes to post. So that was very unexciting to me that he was in Facebook jail. But he was gone from Real Grinders and from Facebook for a number of days. Then he returned, and that was that. Everything seemed to be normal. He's posting normally, and I didn't think much of it. Then on April 27th, Jay Searles posted on Poker Fraud Alert. Breaking news, Real Grinders going donk down. Now, Real Grinders isn't really going down. It's uh, it's still thriving, even despite what's going on here. But he posted a screenshot of from the Las Vegas court system, which showed inmate in custody status. And it says, Davis Raymond T., age 52., Race black, sex male. Sexual assault against child under 14. A second count, sex assault against child under 14. Third count, sexual assault against child under 16. Well, you can imagine that is pretty shocking to see. And also in this first post was a picture, a grainy picture of a guy in court who's in a prison jumpsuit who looks very much like Ray Davis. Though it's a grainy picture, it pretty much looks like him. So at first I'm thinking, is this real? Did someone find a guy in court that happens to look like Ray Davis or a picture of something that, and then attach this to either a, a fake screenshot of a court document or, or, a, or a court website or is it is another Ray Davis who happens to have the same name? Though, the age 52, I didn't know Ray Davis's exact age, but I knew he was early 50s, so that it kind of matched. So I had to find out pretty quickly, is this real? So I, I went to somebody who I know through Real Grinders uh, and who knows Ray very well, and I asked this person. It's, it's a female. Uh, some of you might be able to guess who it is, but uh, it's, it's a female who... Knows him very well, is good friends with him, but has never had a romantic or sexual relationship with him. And she told me that this is over a matter from years ago, and that the accusations are false. Well, um, I, I said, how do you know it's false? And she said, well, you know, there's some details I can't give right now, but I know it's false, trust me. Uh, I, I'm the last one who would defend someone like this who is accused of doing this unless I was really sure that they were being wrongfully accused and I'm sure he's wrongfully accused and uh, 
Again, this was from three years ago. That's what I was told. Well, a short time... So I posted that to Poker Fraud Alert. I didn't say who it was, but I just relayed what I just told you here. This is again on April 27th. He had been arrested on April 20th, according to those documents. On April, uh, two, two hours later, that same day, Jay Searles posted an update. He said, it started in 2016. The charges were dropped or reopened recently. And then... Jay Searles wrote this. In 2004, he was arrested and charged with sexual assault on a minor who was retarded. The charges were dropped when the victim couldn't or wouldn't testify. So that obviously complicates this more, is that this wasn't just a one-off thing. It's unrelated, by the way, the 2004 thing, but if he's been accused of this before, that does start to change your mind a bit about... uh, whether you should believe this to be a legitimate uh, complaint against him in 2016. So he was showing uh, from 2004, Jay Searles, he posted this shot that says, uh, charges against Raymond Davis, uh, kidnap first degree, annoyance slash molestation of minors slash mentally retarded, kidnap first degree again, and again, annoyance, molestation of minor mentally retarded. I'm not sure it's listed twice in each one, but whatever. That's a, you get the point. That's, that's pretty disturbing. Now, this started, according to these documents, these started in uh, 2004, on uh, June 26, 2004. And uh, he, it actually says he was bailed out after being arrested. He was... Uh, bailed out by a bail bondsman called You Ring, We Spring. <laughs> and uh, this is back in 04. So from what you, we can see here, it, it says uh, dismissed on state's motion in, on May 31st, 2005 on all four counts. So he was never convicted here. Uh, I don't know where he's getting the information that uh, it was that the person couldn't or wouldn't testify. But uh, that's what he was claiming. But what I'm reading here doesn't show that, but it does show it was dismissed. It does show that he was accused of something, annoyance slash molestation of minor mentally retarded uh, in 2004, and then it was dismissed on May 31st, 2005. So he, he does not have a conviction for that. So back to the current one. Uh, as I said, there's three counts. Two of them are sex assault against child under 14. One of them is sex assault against child under 16. So this does date back to 2016. From what I can see, it looks like it was September 26, 2016. There was a criminal complaint filed September 27th, and then an arrest warrant uh, ordered on September 29th, 2016. Now, here's the weirdest thing. And we'll get, we'll talk to Eric about this. Maybe he has an idea. Uh, Here's the weirdest thing is that an arrest warrant was issued and yet he was not arrested. This, uh, this went on for two and a half years. Jay Searle said he was dismissed, but I don't see that either. Uh, But... For two and a half years, nothing happened. Now, you would think that would be the case if Ray had left town or was hiding 
No, he was. I, I'll say one thing about Ray. He was not attempting to hide whatsoever. He was way out in the open. He would. He had his real grinders lounge. He told everybody when he was going to be there. He played poker tournaments where he had to register. Like, if you wanted to find Ray Davis, it was not difficult. If you're if you're the police, this is not a tough guy to find. I, I believe he's lived in the same place for quite some time. So, why they took two and a half years over something like this to arrest him, I don't understand at all. So then he was arrested for over this matter two and a half years later on April twentieth, two thousand nineteen. So we're we're almost current, of course. He was bailed out for $2,500, which sounds like a pretty low bail amount for that sort of uh, situation. These uh, three felony counts of sexual assault against a minor, two of them being under 14, $2,500 bail doesn't sound right for that. But that that was the bail. I actually uh, know who bailed him out. It wasn't uh, you ring we spring this time. It was someone he knows who bailed him for 2500 And what they had to do is they had to, I think they had to give 10%. So it was a, a 25000 bail total bail, but I think they had to put up $2,500 to, uh, uh, for the 10% initially, something like that. Uh, it's a surety bond, it says. So on, on uh, April 22nd, it said surety bond acceptance, notice of appearance. April 24th, waiver of extradition after... Admission to bail, and then I know it doesn't say this here, but uh, oh, yeah, it does say this here. It says bail and electronic mark, uh, electronic monitoring, low level. And I was told this too that he can't leave the town; he has to wear an electronic monitor. And so I, I think he's kind of under like house arrest in his own home at the moment, and he has a preliminary hearing coming up on May sixth. So you might wonder. What does this have to do with Real Grinders? Uh, or not, what does it have to do with it? But how's Real, Real Grinders taking this? And I'll tell you that shortly. But a little bit more. A little bit more about this, and then we'll get into the analysis and the discussion and all that. Jay Searles posted, then about an hour after posting all that, a screenshot of Raymond Davis talking to someone. It's not clear who. It wasn't Jay Searles himself. You know, This was not a, his own conversation with Ray Davis. He, he, he got this because it was posted up to a a competing group called Cash Poker, who hates Ray Davis. So basically, Cash Poker is a knockoff of Real Grinders on Facebook. It really is a knockoff, and they try to steal the Real Grinders members. There's a lot of drama. Uh, Cash Poker really sucks. They, they're they hypersensitive over there. They, they ban you for the slightest thing. They actually will pre-ban you if you're seen to be friendly towards Real Grinders, which is why I was banned. I was actually banned and blocked from Cash Poker, not for breaking any rules, but because they saw me as an active member in Real Grinders and decided I'm, I'm not allowed there and bl- banned and blocked me. That's the type of group that is. But they, they have a real bitterness toward Ray Davis, so they're, they're loving this. Well, while I said this gives me no pleasure, this gives them a lot of pleasure over at uh, Cash Poker, and they're trying to push as much as they can about this. So... Someone there posted a conversation, which I think is legitimate. I mean, yes, these things can be Photoshopped, but I I think it's a legitimate conversation. This is Ray Davis talking to someone, I don't know who, who wrote, I I am at home, not in jail. April 20th, I was arrested for a warrant from 2015. It was actually from 16, but whatever. Uh, 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 Live, I don't know what live means, had been on a nationwide ma- uh, hunt for me for five years, me getting a red sports car with custom plates and living in the same place for 10 years threw them off, not to mention posting my whereabouts daily. 
which that is weird to me. Anyway, the attack they claim was sexual is I watched two teens take a shower and jacked off. Not one charge of touching or sex in the complaint. My bail was 2500 I paid 7500 for a pr- private lawyer and ten k for a civil lawyer. The alleged victim, who's now 19, asked for a job at the Real Grinders Lounge three months ago. She has a ton of arrests and a known gang member. The whole plan was to extort money from me. This is what Ray Davis was saying to someone about the situation. Now, some people misread this, and Ray writes very poorly. This is someone who, who's not a good writer, and I think he'll admit this too if you ask him. So uh, I was actually correcting some of his mistakes, some of his grammatical mistakes, uh, as I was reading this to you guys. Uh, but but that's some people mistook what he was writing that he was admitting to having done this. No, he was he was talking about what they're accusing him of doing. He's saying that the accusations are that he masturbated in the room or in front of uh, two teens who were taking a shower. That he is not accused of touching them in any way. He's not accused of having sex with them. He is accused of uh, in I presume his own house masturbating in front of them while they were taking a shower. He's not saying that he did it. He's saying that this is what his accusation is. So, um, and then he's trying to discredit the one of the girls involved, saying that she's uh, a known gang member, that she's been arrested a bunch of times, that she tried to get a job at the Real Grinders Lounge just three months ago. So he says this is a way to try to get money out of him. So, uh, what's really going on here is the question. What's really going on? Uh, on one hand, anyone can accuse anyone of anything. And when a minor goes to the police, or if someone who is a minor recently, and isn't anymore, but uh, they go to the police and say that uh, such and such adult molested me, and they give details, uh, often the police will arrest them even without real proof. On the other hand, uh, it's not common that these type of accusations are false. It happens, but it's not common. It's not that common that someone is victimized by false accusations of uh, any kind of sexual impropriety towards minors. Just doesn't happen very often, especially from the minor themselves. So, so it, it does happen sometimes. We're in a very bitter divorce that uh, a mother who's really, really, really hates her ex-husband will allege sexual abuse that wasn't really happening in order to try to win custody. Uh, but that's not what's going on here at all. This is the person who is supposedly the the victim here alleging it on their own. Uh, so there's that, and then there's also to consider what happened 15 years ago and how, how has Ray Davis twice in 15 years been subject to sexual impropriety accusations by minors. And obviously the one in 04 isn't the one accusing him in, uh, in 16 because the, the one in 04 would have been an adult by, by 16. So two different people for sure probably don't even know each other. So uh, that's, that's something that, you do have to take into consideration. Another thing you'd have to take into consideration is you, it's hard to say with anyone for sure when they're accused of that that they didn't do it. There's people you think are more likely to be accused of that than others. There's some 
guys you know that you're you're just waiting to hear the day that they're busted for for child molestation. And then there's other guys you'd be shocked to hear about, but there are people that shock you all the time that you think that this is just something they wouldn't do. And then it turns out, yeah, they did it. And yeah, they had a secret life you didn't know about. Some people who seem very normal and legitimate on the surface. So it's hard to even say from someone that you know and that you like that they didn't do it just because of what you think you know of them when it comes to something like child molestation. Now, there are certain profiles that child molesters will have. Some of them, in some ways, Ray fits that, in some way he doesn't. So Ray had posted a lot on Facebook about various kids that would come over that he would help, usually kids who were uh, also black and from an impoverished background. And he would take them out for things and buy them things. And uh, uh, he said the reason he did this was because he had a very rough and impoverished childhood himself and that he's been able to do pretty well for himself now and that he wants to help people like him from back when uh, who were in the situation now that he was as a kid that he wished he had someone like, like him to help out. And uh, so that's, so he, now he was public about the fact that, you know, he posted on his Facebook about the kids coming over. It's not, it's not like this is a total secret part of his life, but on the other hand, he was spending time with kids that were not related to him in any way. And, that's not that common for adult males to do. And people have learned over the last 35 years or so that when you see that, that starts to be a red flag, though that's not always the case. I actually have known adults that uh, have spent time with kids. I'm talking about adult males. Adult, females very un- very rarely commit these uh, sex crimes against children. It's very, very uncommon, except for a few teachers who have sex with their they're middle school or high school students, but that's for the most part, women are very unlikely to commit sex crimes against kids. It's almost always men. So uh, there's signs you start to watch for that have been made more public in the last 35 years to try to educate parents what to watch out for for their kids. And and one of the things you look for is, is a guy that seems to want to spend a lot of time with children that are not related to him. So that uh, he does check that box. A box he does not check is the fact that uh, Ray has always seemed very interested in adult women. And yeah, you could say he's just posturing, but I saw a, a real example of this. Uh, if you remember two years ago on the show, we talked about Brandy Blackley, who appeared on Real Grinders, a pretty girl around early 30s, who really caused a lot of controversy. I won't get into that whole story, but uh, Ray took a lot of heat there because he was... Uh, supportive of Brandy for what some people said was too long because he he really liked her and he later admitted, yeah, I, I, I was attracted to her. I, I wanted to have sex with her. <laughs> he admitted that he was very attracted to her and that was influencing the way he was behaving there. And you could see it. You could see that he really was into, into Brandy Blackley. They, they never did anything, but you could see he was excited by her there. And that that part does deviate somewhat from people who tend to uh, molest minors is that most people who molest children tend to really only be attracted to children. Some of them will force themselves into a normal relationship with an adult woman, but usually their real excitement and attraction comes from children and, or, or in some cases, teenagers. And if, uh, 
Ray Davis clearly has a strong attraction to adult women. So in that way, he doesn't tick the box. But I will say that uh, there's a difference between teenage girls who may be developed and have a womanly look to them, at the, even at an age like 13, and little girls. So if, if you're, if you're a, a man molesting eight-year-old girls, you, you probably are not attracted to adult women. If you're a man who has sexual impropriety with a 15-year-old girl, well, you, you can be attracted to both. And uh, so that doesn't, just because someone has a, has, does have a strong attraction to adults doesn't mean that they're not going to be attracted to teenagers too. So that, a lot of people group them together. A lot of people say, oh, pedophile, pedophile. Well, the thing is, there, there's a difference. There's a difference. There's the, uh, and there's actually a different term for it. The ones who are attracted to teenage girls are called ephebophiles. The ones who are attracted to prepubescent children are called pedophiles. And I, I feel the pedophiles are the much sicker ones. And they also do a lot more damage. They're both bad, but the, the pedophiles are much, much worse. And, but I think the, the, those that are attracted to the teenagers, I think they're the ones who are more likely to also be attracted to adult women because they, uh, teenage girls, especially ones who are more developed, uh, have a lot more similarity in their look than, to adult women than they do to children. So uh, anyway, that's uh, – so I think you, you can't say – Oh, I, I know Ray Davis. I like Ray Davis. There's no way he did this. You can't say that. You you have to wait to see what information comes out. And uh, you you have to kind of make your own decision as time passes. Of, but but this is – the thing is this is a disturbing situation either way. If, if he's being falsely accused by someone who's just trying to get money out of him, then that's very disturbing. And it's sad – very sad for him that his reputation is taking a hit over – Someone who was just, uh, you know, with a criminal background, who's just trying to extort him for money when he didn't do anything. But 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 if he was guilty of what he did, then that's very messed up too. Uh, And before we get into the legal discussion of it, there is one other possibility that one has to think about. Might be it might have occurred here. Uh, What if these girls were? You know, and keep in mind these are girls from uh, I don't know actually what their background. He said it's a gang member in a bad area, but uh, yeah, let's, let's see. These do seem to be the profile of the, of the young people he was associating with. So let, let's say that these girls were okay with this at the time. Let's say they even said, "Hey, you can come do this." Now, of course, the responsible thing to do and the proper thing to do as an adult is say no, even if you're invited to, or if the girls say it's okay. But what if the girls said it's okay? And then, you know, you know, hoping that maybe he'll be nicer to them and buy them more things or whatever. And uh, so at the time, everyone was okay with it. And, and then uh, uh, later she gets mad at him and decides to go report it. Is that possible? It, it definitely is possible. Uh, does that make him less guilty? Not really. Uh, does it make it less outrageous? Well, somewhat yes, somewhat no. It, the, the somewhat yes is that uh, he wasn't you know, just kind of pressing it on someone who, who really didn't want it and he you know he he wasn't he probably wasn't traumatizing someone by this but uh the other hand you you just shouldn't do it if the if the person is is under age especially if they're under 14 that's uh uh I, I guess one was under I don't know if it's two three people or two people but there's there's more than one person one was under 16 but over 14 the other one was uh was under 14 in Nevada by the way the statute of limitations is for for 
sexual contact is 16, not 18. So that's why they have the under 16, under 14 designations there. If the girls were all over 16, probably nothing would have happened uh, legally, especially because it occurred in a private residence. And uh, so, I, so I think I believe him I, if, from the standpoint of what he's being accused of. I think I believe that much. I think what he wrote in that message is probably true. I think probably this is what he's accused of, is masturbating in front of them when they took a shower. I think he probably is not accused of any kind of touching or sex or anything like that. That it, He probably is telling the truth about what the accusation is. Of course, he's denying it's true, but uh, this is for you to decide whether he really did it. And uh, so, so we're going to talk about a few things here uh, regarding the analysis of this further. Uh, Eric, why do you think why do you think they uh, they took two and a half years to arrest him over something like this? It's not as uncommon as you think, and so when they, when an arrest warrant is issued, that starts the clock ticking on the statute of limitations to prosecute a criminal act. And that's meant to give enough time for investigators to look for either other victims, potentially more credible victims, um, a pattern, whether this is crossing state lines and it becomes a federal issue. Um, and then, to be frank, if nothing really comes up, they keep that arrest warrant open up and until the statute of limitations runs for them to file a case. And at that point, then they'll drop it or they'll close the warrant. So an arrest warrant being issued doesn't mean uh, it's not like TV where they go after the judge's signature and they rush out to the guy's house to pick him up. Usually it's, you know, well-planned. And now a search warrant's different where they may actually go right at the moment because they're afraid the evidence is going to be destroyed or something like that. But just an arrest warrant, those are often left open um, just to allow uh, investigators time to build a case. So would you think that... Uh since this, here's what here's what I'm, I understand everything you said there. But if there really is a concern that that he is is committing these acts with minors, so wouldn't this be serious enough? Where they, I, I'm not saying they may should should arrest him that day, but wouldn't you think it's serious enough to actually uh, go pick him up pretty quickly so he doesn't do this to other minors? I'm not when I say he, I don't even mean Ray himself, but I mean any guy who's accused of this. Uh, wouldn't you think this is serious enough to pick them up uh, fairly soon after such accusations are made? Well, I think it's also depends on the nature of the accusation. And so if indeed the accusation is that he stood by and, and pleasured himself but didn't cause harm, physical harm directly to the minors, um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe the, the, the complaining witness just isn't credible enough. Or the, the complaining witness may be too young, and there's a fear that this will cause more harm and damage to the complainant. Because if they, if they have to go through this process, too. They have to identify the... The perpetrator, they may have to testify in court, they may have to go under to uh, testify to a grand jury. You know, it's traumatic for a 13-year-old girl or a 14-year-old girl to go through something like that. Now, you fast forward two or three years later, and they're 16 or 17, um, it's a little bit easier for them to testify, and they become a little bit more credible. You know, you believe a a 17-year-old more than you would believe a 13-year-old when it comes to something like this. Um, So so that's one reason. Uh, Another reason, although I understand practically, the idea is that, well, if this person's out there you know, causing harm to children, we want to pick them up right away. But if the evidence is weak and they don't have a strong enough case to arrest, they're not going to do it because then it's never going to get to trial. 
and it'll be well in Los Angeles we'll call it the DA reject or a CA reject, where they look at the the arrest report and whatever evidence the detective has built, and the district attorney will look at it and say, no, there's not enough here. I'm not going to take this to trial, or we're not going to you know we're going to drop the charges. I can't I can't convict. So again, they wait because they want to make sure that when they do pick him up, they have enough to get him. Okay, uh, now the the charges of sexual assaults against a minor, and then the ages under 14, under 14, under 16. Uh, some people were a little confused by that, and I was saying in the thread about this that uh, I, I think this is kind of a, a misnomer because uh, personally, I don't know the way the law sees it, but personally I don't see that as a sexual assault because no one was actually touched or attempted to be touched. This was, I would consider, more of just a lewd act, committing a lewd act in front of a minor. Uh, but but yet he was charged with sexual assault. Uh, is that kind of a case of overcharging him, as they do with many people who are arrested? So they they charge as much as they can initially, and then eventually it, it gets brought down to to something less. Or or is that the correct charge here? If you know, well, regardless, I, if it's true or not, you know, I, I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure about Nevada statutes specifically and what other potential variations there are. You know, I know some states have um, a charge of, a, you know, an accusation of committing a lewd act with a minor as opposed to the term assault or sexual assault. Maybe Nevada is just um, an, more of an overbroad definition, and everything will kind of fall under that. Um, you know, that, that's also very possible. But the, the issue of overcharging at the time of arrest, uh, I mean, that's kind of a, that's an important aspect of the criminal justice system that a lot of people don't realize or understand. And it's it's 100% designed to make the defendant or the, or the the accused feel helpless and feel a need to cop a plea right away and make all the rest of these charges you know get dropped. And so it's an immediate point of leverage that's used on the criminal defendant. Uh, and, and often they'll just get a public defender and say, "Look, just plead down to this and get me out of here, and, and you know, uh, let me go home." Uh, I want this to be over, and and that's what it's meant to do. To be to be frank, yeah, uh, and that's 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 I thought it was something like that. So so I, I always say that uh, a lot of to- times when there are situations where someone's charged in a certain way, not to jump to conclusions from the way they're charged of of what they actually did or what they're expected to be convicted of, but uh, but uh, because for that reason, the overcharging. So. Yeah, I don't really, I don't know Nevada either whether they do have a committing a lewd act. Uh, it's, it does seem from all I'm hearing from Ray Davis, and I haven't talked to him much about this directly. Uh, he's aware that this is being discussed on Poker Fraud Alert. He's aware that uh, nothing's going to be deleted or removed. I told him that. Uh, Basically, on, on Poker Fraud Alert, the policy is that if something like this is just completely made up or there's no substantiation that he was arrested or anything, then I wouldn't allow it up there because it's just using the site to libel someone and could really damage their name. But since there was an arrest for this and since these charges are real and he admits this, he admits that at least the charges are real and that the arrest was real, that, that much he admits, then at that point it's, it becomes discussion-worthy and then it's, it's up to the reader to decide uh, whether they believe there's there's guilt or innocence, and then they can also wait to see what happens with it through the courts. Now, let, let's focus on uh, the bail amount. 
Uh, I was just about to ask that, Jeff. Yeah. So, the, can, what, can we see? Can we read anything into that, Eric? It seemed kind of small from what the no, charges what, were. The bail, no, the bail is actually twenty five thousand, which is standard for a felony. Right. No, I know. Um, I just thought there'd be yeah, much more. So, to, to yeah. later. No, the twenty five hundred dollars is just typically. Normally, what happens is that if uh, a bail bondsman essentially is guaranteeing that that he will appear at his preliminary hearing and ultimately appear for trial. And the way they do that is they post a bond with the court. And so in the event that Ray skips town, the bondsman will have to pay $25,000 to the court. And so the premium for him doing that, right, for his putting up a guarantee, is 10% of the amount. So that's where the 2500 comes from. That's the fee that the bail bondsman charges to put up a, a guarantee that in the event he skips, $25,000 will get paid. Okay. No, I got that. I just thought twenty five k was small. That's what I was thinking. No, it's standard. Is, it's I don't know if that's common. You know, one count. It is. Okay. Yeah, it's, if it's one count, I mean, if he was. Well, it was actually remember, it was three. It, also, it was wasn't it three counts? It, yeah, but I mean, it also goes up depending on um, the the level of charges, and so you know, if he's charged with attempted rape, bail will be higher. If he's charged with attempted murder, bail will be even higher. You know, so a lot of it has to do with the degree of the felony count and. You know, and, and likelihood of skipping town. It's very possible that when he was, if he made an argument for bail, that look, he, you know, the guy never leaves. He's here all the time. He don't care. You know, he'll, he'll put on a monitor. He has no objection to that. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, they they did try. I saw in the the records there they were posted by Jay Searles. It looked like he tried to get a bail for ten thousand, and it was rejected, and it was made twenty five thousand. And then he has to wear the monitor, and and he's out. So. Uh, if there, if if the extent of the evidence is simply the girls saying it happened, and nothing else beyond that, uh, I know you you have to only guess at this, but how likely does that sound like this would result in a conviction or enough to where he'd be afraid and have to do a plea bargain? Well, that's. <laughs> It's a really good question because, first, let me just tell you that if all the DA had, in my opinion, was the girl's word for it and nothing else, he wouldn't have been arrested. Hmm. So I think there's probably more to it, or there's some other evidence, a potential second witness, a photograph. There's something else there uh, because he said, she said happens all the time. Uh, and if that's all there is and there's no corroboration, uh, general, and, or it could have been that that's where it started, and it, that's why it took three years, is they had to build a case and they had to find corroboration. They had to track down and find some kind of evidence. Um, so that's also a possibility. There's, there's, there's a question that I had, though, in that uh, as I was listening to the recap you did earlier, this arrest warrant was issued several years ago, uh, correct? Three uh, years ago? Or two, so? two and a half years ago. Okay. So I, I have like a rule of thumb. And so... And I bet you you've experienced the same thing. So when a, when a potential client meets me for the first time and we start to discuss a potential issue they're having, whatever their case is, often I'm very, very weary of the guy that says, listen, and I don't want you to worry, I pay everybody. I pay all my bills on time. Don't worry. Don't. I got you covered. Everything's fine. I already know at that point i got to increase the retainer because I'm going to get stiffed at the end of the case. <laughs> if somebody constantly reminds me of how worthy they are of a know how good of a payer they are, or you know they're terrible. So using that same logic, i got to be honest, when somebody says, like they victim shame, and they say, look, this is just a plot to extort money out of me, right? And this, this 
gang member is crazy and this is all BS, you know, that raises a red flag. Because if this one was issued three years ago, when the girl was 16, she didn't go down to the lounge three years ago looking for a job. It didn't exist then. So I, this is a revenge. This, this, this warrant was issued before there was even a lounge to give her a job in. Well, you see, so I don't know if he's I, I, sense to me. Right, I, and I thought of that too, but I don't think that's directly what he's saying. It's kind of hard to understand you know, to what he's right sometimes. It kind of sounds like he was. this is a separate thing he's mentioning, kind of like uh, the – Along the lines of, if I victimized her so much, then why three months ago did she try to get a job at the Real Grinders Lounge? Why, why would she even want to work there if I was such a, a, ter- a terrible guy who masturbated in front of her when she uh, – like the, I think that's what he's trying to say. And she uh, – but as far as the – Well, but that's it. That's what I'm saying. Bingo, right? red flag, right? So he, he's diverting attention, right? Well, you know, if I'm such a bad guy, why would she come looking you know, to me for a job? Well, that has nothing to do with anything, and this alleged conduct was three years ago. Yeah, you know, I, I, so, I understand that part, and I, and I definitely okay. I definitely understand the first part you said, like the people who constantly brag about how good they are for the money and how good they are at paying bills. That immediately you worry, okay, they're they're gonna they're gonna stiff me. That totally makes sense, and that's been my experience well, I mean, too. Uh, I, I got to tell you, off topic every time. Yeah, every time. <laughs> anyway, sorry. yeah, and, and and I find that same thing with just people who brag about money in general. Like just people who have money just. Don't want to brag about it. It's usually the the ones who constantly flash money and brag about how rich they are usually aren't. Usually, the money they're flashing is all they have. So, so getting back to this, if let's say his story is is true and he never did this, and that just something pissed this girl off, or or she was looking to extort money from him, and she just decided in late 2016 she's going to go report this and and try to get money out of him, uh, and 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 he knows he didn't do it, and. And he knows that she has had legal issues, and that she's not the best person. And so, if this happened to me, if there if there was a girl who had a criminal history, who uh, who went and made this false accusation against me, and then I'm defending myself, I, I probably would say that too. I probably would say, well, look at the accuser. Look at this. Uh, uh, this. This is what she's doing here. And even knowing that I didn't do anything, I, I would say this if if I thought it was true and relevant. That uh, this isn't just uh, to kind of you know, alert people to the character of the person making the accusation and making it easier for them to believe me that they didn't do it. So, so that I so, I, I can uh, see it either way. Well, okay, so let me, well, let me but let, so let me interrupt because God forbid a day comes where you are the guy that gets arrested. Trust me, you're not going to say anything because I would never let you. To, and, and so, if Ray is saying in his post that he hired a a criminal attorney and a civil attorney, he shouldn't be saying anything to anyone. Oh, I agree with Radio that. Silence. All he should be saying is, the truth will come out, I look forward to my day in court, whatever the you know the standard lines are, and that's it. I so agree. Either he's not listening to his attorney, or his attorney's a bleeding idiot, <laughs> or Ray himself is an idiot, or whatever it is, but... The fact that there's even text messages out there talking about his accusations, it makes him a moron. Well, yeah, and that, and that people have said that, and I agree. I agree that uh, this is a very stupid thing to do to send Facebook messages to people, especially someone untrustworthy, something you don't know well enough and trust well enough not to go run and post it on Cash Poker. Like, uh, obviously, that was a big mistake uh, to, to be doing this at all. And uh, now he he hadn't been making public statements about this. I'll say that. Like, it's not like he's making public statements, but he he obviously had this conversation with someone who wasn't trustworthy and who, who went and ran and posted this on cash poker. So it's not like he was sending this to his best friend. He was sending this to just some probably random idiot in poker who, uh, who, who played both sides and then ran over to cash and said, Oh, look what I got here. So that, that was pretty stupid. I agree. And he, sh- he shouldn't be saying, 
saying things like that. And I, I agree when you're accused of something like that, the best thing you can do is, is keep quiet. And you always have to listen to the your criminal attorneys who, who know much more about the process than you do. And uh, you should follow their advice on, on that sort of thing, especially. So uh, this, it is interesting to me that you say that they wouldn't have made this arrest. And this is your, your guess, of course, but that you think they wouldn't have made this arrest without more than just the girl saying it happened. So uh, th- this is the type of thing which I, I do think we should wait for and see what happens in court. And if there's something like a plea bargain where he, he pleads down to something lesser and admits to some part of this or, uh, or, or it does go to court and some of these things come out that aren't known right now that don't make him look good, then obviously at that point, uh, then you can have a pretty strong opinion that he, that he's guilty. Uh, right now it's, uh, I'd say the strongest thing against him right now is the fact that this is the second time it happened in 15 years. That's right. And I was just going to, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I definitely think that we shouldn't, we shouldn't skip that over. That's a significant factor because this is not the kind of thing uh, where mistakes happen, you know, frequently and you're accused of wrongdoing when nothing happened at all. I mean, it's, it's an uncommon result. This is not like uh you know, being pulled over for speeding and you were barely over the limit and you get pulled over twice in the same month, right? That's happened to me, a bunch of people, right? This is different. This type of accusation isn't so common that you could be accused of this twice in a lifetime. If, if there wasn't, you know, how unlucky can this guy be if that's really what's going on, right? Is this the unluckiest guy in the world that he's accused twice in the span of 10 years or 12 years or 15 years uh, of sexual assault and misconduct with a minor? That's, that's a pretty tough coincidence. Uh, that's, a, that's, a bitter, that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, and, and that's – in fact, I've brought this up when, when I've been arguing with, with companies when they've screwed something up uh, twice in a short time and they're telling me this is a fluke, this is rare, and I go, how did this happen to me twice then with you guys? Am I the, am I the unluckiest man in the world? Uh, do you think you might have a chronic problem here? Like I, I've used that line before, and unfortunately it, it probably does apply here. Uh, now, yes, he is exposing himself to this more. Like, like if you think about me, for example, I'm near Ray's age, and I don't ever spend any time with children I'm not related to unless their parents are there. Like, I'm just like, there's just like never, or, or I, mean, I guess there's kids that come over to play with Benjamin, but aside from that, um, like there aren't just kids coming over to visit me, and I don't come over to visit kids. So uh, that's. Uh, there would be very little opportunity for any kids or teenagers to make that accusation against me because I'm just not with them. I just, I, and that's what most adult males, especially at this age, when they're quite far from the teenage years, uh, would say is that I, they're just, that's the situation they're in too. They're just not spending a lot of time with, with teenagers or kids that aren't related to them. So since Ray does, for whatever reason, whether innocent or not innocent, uh, there is more exposure here to where for the, it's a lot more likely it would happen to him than the average guy because of, of all the various kids that he helps out or spends time with that there, this could have happened twice where, uh, where something is wrongfully accused, wrongfully believed. But, uh, but then again, it, this could be about a pattern. And uh, so that's, yeah, but this is still, I would say, of all the things to consider here, 
that's the most uh, troubling part at the moment is that this is the second time if it was the if this was the only one in isolation and if there was nothing yet at the moment that's come out that uh, aside from just these girls have said he did it two and a half years ago then i'd i'd say well you never know this could these could have been kids who had a lot of issues a lot of uh uh, 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 juvenile delinquents that he tried to help and then when it didn't go the way they wanted they decided to just then get back at him it's not that hard to believe that could happen and I know that's what he is pushing now as the story but it's a, like that story is not that hard to believe but the, but then what about 15 years ago like, like how, how is this twice and that's something that's uh, that that you have to consider regardless of whether this was dismissed or not and uh, I mean it was dismissed but that's that doesn't always tell the full story. So that you, you have to think about that. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I hope for his sake, and I hope for just, you know, I, I, I would be happier to see if somehow the story comes out that this was all made up. And somehow the story comes out that he was uh, totally not guilty. And that, uh, that it was a case of someone falsely accusing him of all that. And, uh, that would make me a lot happier to see than it coming out the reverse that that he was guilty. But it's uh, it, as I said, it's a messed up situation either way. Either way, something bad has happened, either to him or by him. There's there's no way that and, and it, yeah, it's, and it's very likely that it may end up being somewhere in the middle. Yeah, and I thought about he's that not too. Completely innocent, but he you know didn't cross the line as far as people might think he did, but enough to where he's exposed himself to some degree of criminal liability or, you know, even potential civil liability after that. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's the, the, and then that, you know, that's, that's where it sits right now. And we'll, we'll have to see where it goes. And, uh, I know the, the, the various camps of people on this, because there's the people who hate Ray Davis, who are thrilled about this and are taking every opportunity to make this look as bad as possible and to expose as much as possible and post this everywhere and just try try as hard as they can, could to get mileage out of this to make Ray look bad. Then there's those that like him that are just saying, nope, no way it's tr- true, this is false, you're being railroaded here. Like there's, a, there's, there's those who are really strongly in that camp. They just strongly believe that this is totally false and that uh, they're 100% behind him and this doesn't impact at all what they think of him. And then there's those in the middle and and i have to say i'm i'm in the middle i i I don't want to i'm not one of the people saying oh this is impossible i'm not Uh, and uh especially with there being the second one i'm also not uh trying to railroad him or or post this everywhere get mileage out of it or uh or get uh or or jump on it or even make assumptions about things that are not true and I, i actually took some flack in the poker fraud alert thread from people who were saying i'm trying to defend him and I said, no, you won't find anywhere in the thread where I'm defending him. What you'll find in the thread is me trying to clarify that when they say sexual assault against minor, and then he, he, he there's that stupid screenshot of him talking to someone about it, that I think I believe in the screenshot that he, that is really what he's being accused of. And if that really is what he's being accused of, then it, it, it isn't what most people, just in their mind, regardless of the legal definition, would consider actual sexual assault. You, you ask someone what is sexual assault, the, the typical person will either say 
rape or something where someone is is uh, sexually touching someone else that doesn't want to be touched that way. That's what just about everybody would say if asked what is sexual assault, especially non non lawyers. If asked, that's just what just about what everybody would say. Uh, and, and so most people would not think of just jerking off in front of someone when they don't want you to uh, being sexual assault. If you don't, if you're not attempting to touch them in any way. Uh, so uh, that's a, I'm not defending it. If that's true, that's very bad that he did it. But, uh, but I was just clarifying to everybody what, uh, what he's probably really being accused of, what he's probably not really being accused of. And, uh, and, and that's it. And I wanted, unlike the people on cash poker who want to jump on everything to make him look as awful as possible. I was trying to be fair, just like just like when Mycon got busted. I know a totally situ- different situation. Mycon wasn't accused of any sexual impropriety. Mycon was accused of running an illegal gambling site, uh, but uh, and he was running an illegal gambling site. But uh, the situation with that, when it happened, Mycon and I were not getting along at all. We were uh, very much uh, disliking each other. At that point, former friends that had a bad falling out. And I was very fair about it. I did not jump all over. I did did not. I I talked about it, but I didn't try to make it seem worse than it was or make it seem like his likely consequences were worse than they were. Or or at no point I tried to be very, very fair about it as if I was analyzing it from a standpoint of someone who didn't even know him. And that's what I'm trying to do with Ray Davis here. I'm trying to. So, so people listening to this, I, I'm curious. I'm wondering if Ray's going to listen. I'm wondering if people who like Ray are listening. I, mean, I know for sure people who like Ray are listening. There's probably people listening who don't like Ray. And I, I hope that I don't have people messaging me. I probably get messages both ways. I'll probably get messages of how can you be defending him so much. How, you know, and then I'll probably get all other messages telling me that I, I'm screwing him over and how can I treat him this way after he's been nice to poke a fraud alert. And I'm... I'm Doing just what I did with Brian Mikan when he had his legal troubles is whether I like someone like Ray or whether I dislike someone like Mikan, I want to be fair and I want to do fair analysis as if I don't know them. And that's that's the way, the way I think you can be most fair on a show like this. You can't uh, – um, th- this way you can say I approach this in the correct fashion in the way I'm covering it. Because I I don't want to cover any topic and just and, and not and be biased. I can be biased in my personal opinion of how I feel about the thing happening, like I'm happy or sad to see it happening. But I I can't be biased about my analysis of the facts. I've got to really try to just get down to what the truth really is, and that's what I'm doing. Well, I, I, listen, fair enough. But let, let me just say I don't know Ray, and I've never met him, so. Let me let me if she, offer a different kind of analysis. I want you to think for a second how likely it is that a 13-year-old mentally retarded girl would craft and create this story with specific allegations of showering with another girl while an adult male in his 50s masturbated to them. You're talking, you're talking about, the, about the 04 thing. You're talking about. Of, of a situation that. I don't think it's likely that someone makes up. Well, I think the O four thing That's wasn't. Not, I don't think the O four thing was about showering. The O four thing was never. I don't think we have details on that. That was the, the that was about the mentally retarded girl. The girls currently, you know, in in sixteen, I don't believe were, were mentally retarded. Oh, okay, okay. So I must have misread or misunderstood. Because my feeling is that 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 that's the kind of crafted and detail that that isn't just you know a fantasy or you know it's not it's not just made up. You know, it's hard to make something like that up at that age. 
yeah. you know, with that kind of detail. Well, I, I want to throw one other thing in here that someone just sent to me in text message. Uh, this, this adds a new angle to it. This is not about Ray personally, but this is about the statutes in Nevada. This person sent to me, and this is the screenshot they sent me. They, didn't write, they did not write this themselves. Nevada law defines sexual assault as having penetrative sex against the other person's will. It is the most serious crime in the, in the state, second only to murder. Uh, at, see, but, you know, hold on. This is, see, I don't believe this. Uh, this is listing all the different forms of sex, you know, anal sex, vaginal sex, blah, blah, blah. But I, there is definitely a sexual assault which isn't sex here that this isn't being listed. That's, let, let me get so. But there is a. There is actually a statute about just lewdness with a child under 16. That's NRS hmm. 201.230, and it's called lewdness with a child under 16. So there is such a law in Nevada. So this person's saying it was just the masturbating thing. He wouldn't have been charged with sexual assault, but who knows? That's uh, uh, I'm just seeing this right now, though. I'll tell you what, that, that screenshot they sent me, there's, there's something missing because I, I know there is an in-between, uh, in-between rape, and not touching at all, but doing something lewd. I know there's a there's the in between of of touching someone. Like like if I were to walk up to a woman, a stranger, a stranger in Nevada, and and grab her breasts, that would be sexual assault. I wouldn't be raping her, but it would. I'm sure it would be called sexual assault if I were to be arrested for that. So I there's got to be a sexual assault there that isn't just that it, that isn't rape. I know for sure in California that exists, but in Nevada there's got to exist too. In California, it'd be battery. Sexual battery. Oh, that'd be sexually battery. Okay. <clears throat> still, there, there would be uh, there. There is still a sexual assault that is not rape, and I, I'm pretty sure in Nevada it is. So, someone just texted me. It's it's creepy that you're in the middle. It's not creepy. I, I I'm trying to <laughs> listen. I I I am going by everything we know right now, and I'm I'm stating all the facts and doing the analysis. I'm saying by by in the middle. I'm not trying to make a decision here. I'm not the judge here. I'm not uh, trying to make a decision. I don't have the information yet to be, make the decision. I, I stated what looks bad. I didn't hide any of that. I, I stated what looks bad. I stated uh, the, the reasons why you can't just say, oh, I know him. He didn't do it. But uh, but there's people who really hate the guy and are trying as hard as they can to push this everywhere and, and – uh, and make it seem as bad as possible. I'm saying I'm trying to be fair. I'm trying to just look at as if I don't know him. Just look at this and be fair. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. And uh, that's I'm not. Uh, uh, and the person also they they misconstrued what I said as well. But the, they wrote he admitted to watching teenagers shower and jacking off uh, guilty. No, he didn't admit to that. He was saying in in the Facebook that this is what he's being accused of. He was trying to tell this person, no, I'm not being accused of touching these girls, even though it says sexual assault. I'm only being accused of jacking off in front of them. But I didn't do that. That's what he's saying. So, uh, so, so then this person just texted, but a different person, the one who sent me the stuff about the Nevada statutes, just sent to me, non-consensual sexual touching that falls short of penetration, such as groping, is not rape. In these cases, the accused could be could, could instead face charges for the Nevada crime of open and gross lewdness for the Nevada crime of lewdness with a minor, depending on the victim's age. Hmm. I don't know. This is... Uh, well, this just could be more like what we talked about earlier about the DA just tacks on the charges, um, and then it gets sorted out usually later. So the burden falls on the district attorney to file these charges and then move forward, and then they have to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. If they're unable to, then he gets acquitted. So if they don't have enough evidence to show any kind of physical penetration or other contact, then either that charge 
that particular charge gets dropped uh, before trial starts, like they we uh, they do what are called motions in limine and, and other things, or the prosecutor will continue on and then see what evidence they present. And then they'll have the evidence will be exchanged during you know for, during the discovery process, and they'll have a chance to depose witnesses or cross examine them and father investigators go into it and, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, but I just generally, in, in, in my experience, um, if, again, if all they have is just this girl's word for it, uh, they would, you know, it wouldn't have taken this long and he wouldn't have been arrested. So I, I think that there's, there's got to be more to it. There might be. Uh, by the way, uh, Ray told someone else, supposedly, I don't have proof of this, but he supposedly told someone else that he is planning to sue the state of Nevada over this for uh, for a lot of money. Yeah, that's that you can always just time of money on that one. They're just gonna they have governmental immunity. And if everybody sued the prosecutor at the DA's office for a wrongful arrest, you'd have no prosecutors. Yeah, I probably I considered that was probably uh, the case. But that's but let but let me tell you this see that's concerning to me. That's a red flag and just and just practicing law for a living. So when clients say that, when they say, Eric, I want to sue the cops that did this, and I want to sue the DA for prosecuting, to, like 99% of the time they're full of shit. That's just a big, giant red flag that says I have to divert the attention onto something else um, because I did what they say I did. And it, it's just it's unfortunate, but it's too often that's the case. Yeah, I when, can see that. When, 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 no, when that's the tactic, uh, I'm going to sue the DA. No, no you're not. But it looks good when you say that, right? How many times do we see that, like, in the, you know, oh, I, uh, he said what? Oh, I'm going to sue him for slander. You know, I'm, I'm going to sue him for defamation. How dare he say that about me? Well, no, it probably was true what he said about you, and you're saying that just to try to deflect. Now, now here's a question. Speaking of that, uh, so the, take the people on, on uh, Cash Poker or wherever else that are, are posting these things. Since it is true that he was arrested for this and charged with these uh, – People discussing this and, and uh, making accusations about him or, or calling him uh, a pedo or whatever, uh, could, the, could these people be exposing themselves to a libel suit or once you're arrested for that, uh, even if not convicted yet, then you, you really can't uh, – you really don't have any case? No, it's, it's because there's more to it. So it's not just the terms or the words that are used. You know, Somebody goes on Facebook and says, Ray Davis is a chomo. Um, that's not in and of itself enough to bring on a libel suit or a defamation suit. They have, Ray has to be able to prove that he suffered some kind of economic damage or damage to his reputation beyond where it may already be. And that's why, by the way, a lot of these like libel suits never go anywhere. Um, if I turn around and I say, uh, you know, Brian Mikon's a you know, filthy criminal, um, well, if I didn't damage his reputation beyond where it already is, then no harm, no foul. My words didn't do anything. You know, they didn't make him any worse. Um, I, I, in fact, I had a, I had a, a case five or six years ago, uh, a First Amendment case where somebody complained about uh, the performance of the prior attorney. And the prior attorney got so mad, he, you know, he sued him uh, for slander, for defamation. And I defended with an anti-slap motion. And at the end of the day, we won. And one of the reasons we won, besides that it was like for public policy purposes and all that, is that at the end of the day, how much worse could this attorney's reputation have gotten? We've been disbarred. And he had a bunch of complaints about him, and there's a bunch of stuff online about him. And so, what did my client's two words? You know, how did that make it any worse? And that's that, so. That's one of the key elements in this. So, if I go on and post online, hey, you know, don't don't let Ray babysit your kids. 
that, uh, you know, how much worse did that make his reputation? And this is a guy, by the way, that comes on the radio and openly says, you know, if, if it's after 8.30 and you're not a hooker, don't knock on my door. <laughs> so, uh, so what, you know, how, how much worse could his reputation really get? Yeah, well, I just wanted to find that out for those that were uh, were doing this. I, I was wondering it myself, too, because I, I was thinking of that just... Uh, just in general, where if you're arrested and accused of and charged with with some pretty bad crimes, if and people make statements about you based upon that arrest, uh, could you really have any? It wouldn't make sense to me that you could have any kind of uh, libel or slander case against them for that reason. If you really have been arrested and charged with that with that particular crime at that time, so no. Let me let me tell you where it could. So, for example, if I know that somebody is backing you or staking you in a tournament, and I go to that person. I say, look, don't put your money behind this guy. He's a known thief. And that ends up being untrue, and you lose that backing, and you suffer damage because of that. Then you might have more of a case like that, you know, for libel or slander or some, some type of defamation. But what if you did that after I – what if you did that like two days after I was arrested for stealing? Uh, no, then it's okay because there's a public policy concern that trumps all of that. Right, and so if in a sense, if think of it like it's like what you do on the radio all the time, you warn the public, right? When uh, what Zohair, Kareem, whatever, and the guys like that, right? You go on, you broadcast, you talk about it. So even if it ended up being untrue, uh, the fact that there's an open accusation that was already made by somebody else, uh, you can repeat that and you can display it. You can you know retweet it and do whatever you want. It's not defamation on your part, especially because you didn't start it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting stuff. Well, I, I thank you for coming on here again, and uh, it seems like we're getting a lot of issues recently on the show where uh, we're, an, an attorney's input is, is valuable, and I'm glad we have you here. That uh, A lot of this stuff I, w- I wouldn't have known, and it uh, seems like every week now we're having something come up like this. So, Well, hopefully we don't have another topic quite like this. No, no, this one I'm hoping not uh, to have. In fact, you know, like, this, this type of thing I really... Not only is it about someone I knew and has been friendly with this show that especially is, is bothers me to see, but uh, in general, this is the type of topic I don't even like talking about because this is just something that I hate that that this type of thing even happens in in, in the world. And uh, you know, if, if well, I did I did read by the way. I'm sorry, I, I know we're wrapping up, but I did read that the membership of Real Grinders went way down because Ray and the admins were kicking people out that were trying to post stuff. Yes, they they are not allowing this to be discussed there. Uh, they <clears throat> So that's, anyone who brings it up there, it is being removed and uh, that's 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 what's happening there. That's That's been the policy over there. The, the rationale they're using is that uh, because it's uh, Ray says it's not true, that they, they don't want this use, the real grinders use as a vehicle to now smear his reputation and, and compound the problem, and it is his group. But you know, you, you do have to say that uh, this it, it does look like it's being covered up. So that's that's not a, the best look. So that's the, that's what that's what they're doing over there. And uh, as I said, with a poker fraud alert, uh, anything as long as it's not made up uh, can be discussed of of any kind of nature of an accusation against someone. Well, what's interesting to me is that they're not deleting or blocking these posts. They're kicking these people out of their group. Yeah, well... You know, and they're, and they're, they're doing away with them. I think that it's different. You know, listen, I've seen where you've banned people once in a while, but then you kind of have to give it a second thought. Maybe you let them back in, you know. And that's not for posting information 
or an opinion. That's for, you know, doing something blatant or directly aimed to hurt someone uh, or spreading a, uh, a falsity uh, intentionally. You know, but somebody comments, hey, Ray, what the fuck is going on? You know, what's this all about? You know, you're the face of this group. Uh, I, I have a little bit of an issue with that, just constantly, you know, just blocking those posts and deleting and kicking those members out. I, I haven't looked as to who's been kicked out or why. I know there's been, I know there's been people attempting to post this, even attempting to post the poker fraud alert thread about it over there, and it gets deleted. I haven't watched if those people get removed from the group or not. I just haven't paid attention to that. I I, I do know that this discussion just isn't allowed over there. That that I do know, and. Uh, I haven't watched what's happened to people on Poker Fraud Alert. The people who I I ban, uh, usually it's because they just won't stop doing something. I keep asking them to stop doing that. That usually just clutters the forum or causes them kind of problem. And the only time I ban someone over like a, a personal type thing is like if someone's going to follow me into every thread I make and troll me, then I ban them because that's. That's not why I have the forum up, is for someone to, to hassle me constantly. You know, if people disagree with me, or people want to uh, post unflattering things about me, or uh, post or argue with me, that's totally fine. Or criticize me, I, I allow all of that. It's just if somebody's going out of their way to go into every thread and just uh, troll me, then on, on my side, I, I just eventually have to say enough. Like a little trolling, I allow, but uh, against me, like uh, that's that's fine. If there's a, there's the occasional trolling, that's fine. But I don't uh, – just someone who's trying to make my own life on my own forum miserable, I think, you know, I don't need that here. That's not why I'm running this. So that's – that's, and it, it doesn't happen often. There's I, I really try not to ban people. I really like it being left as a, a free speech place. And anyone who's browsed the forum sees that I'm uh, criticized and trolled all the time. And there's very few people getting banned. So that's uh, – I, I try to be fair even when it involves myself. And I only do away with someone when they just – can't stop and they just won't leave me alone at any moment, then I I, I have to finally do something, which, I believe me, I, I'm probably the most tolerant forum operator as far as that sort of thing than anyone. Just to try attacking any other forum operator, even one that's known to be pretty lax. Think if you just, like, attack once, a lot of times you're gone. Or, or, or even more than once, you're almost always gone. Like, I, I tolerate a lot more trolling against me than just about any other forum operator out there. So that is true. I just think, yeah, I mean, I just think at the, at the end of the day, I mean, my prediction, I think that he's going to quietly plead to something. Um, there won't be a lot of, of publicity about it. Uh, you know, he may not have to do time. It may be some kind of uh, probation period or suspended sentence with some kind of diversion therapy or something like that. Um, but I, I don't, it's again, I just, Charges usually aren't filed, and, and you know people just aren't picked up uh, with when it's just speculative. There's usually some some solid evidence, especially if an arrest warrant's been open and pending for three years. Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to argue with all that. So, okay, well, thank you for coming on and uh, explaining this whole thing here, and uh, always appreciate your contributions to this show and both uh, the times you've donated and the times you have donated your time. So, thank you, thank you for both. And, uh, Anytime. I appreciate having me on. Thank you. And one, one question before Thanks, you go. Eric. One question before you yep. go, unrelated to all of this. Uh, are you going to be playing any of the World Series poker events this year? Yes. I haven't decided which one yet because, believe it or not, cases that I'm getting now, hearings are being set for June and July. Uh. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of figure out when. And unfortunately, I may end up having to play like a no-limit event, which, 
you know, it's not my preference, but I try to go once a year and at least pick something. So yeah, well, I hope I get to see you there. Only I'll be there for a long time this summer. It's just the kind of like a two week period from uh, like around June twelfth, June thirteenth until like June 24th, uh, around that point when I'm not going to be there. Other than that, I should be at the World Series, so hopefully it'll be when you're out there. And, I might uh, do that 888 one. I'll, I'll probably be in that too. I have it planned. Yeah, as I might as, do that one. Yeah, I, I have it planned as long as I don't uh, have it interfered with by something else. I'll, I'll be in that event. Well, well I'm sure, hopefully I get to see you there. I'll, I'll know pretty soon which event I'm going to pick. It's coming up. So Yeah, okay, very good. Talk to you later, Eric. Thank All you right, for thanks. coming on. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. All right. See you. That's Eric Benzamokin, the attorney who comes on this show and explains things to us about the legal system that we often don't know. And I bet you as a listener often don't know. We, though we do have some other attorneys who listen to this show, so uh, they may know it. But uh, most people don't. And uh, it's a very good resource to have for a show like this. So, moving on to uh, less controversial topics. I know there were people wondering, like, how am I going to handle this? How is this going to be done? But it was handled. So, something a little more along the lines of what we usually do here. Chicago Joey had the CEO of America's Card Room on his show, which was never expected to happen because those two were enemies ever since Joey accused America's card room of turning a blind eye to blatant cheating on the site. And Joey has a big reach, and this probably really did hurt America's card room's business big time. So the, I know the CEO was, was furious about this, and it didn't seem likely that he would ever come on and talk to Joey about the matter. But he did. And he did this partially because of the controversy over the Fox Rocks situation. Fox Rocks, if you remember, we talked about it, I, I think it was last week. Can't say for sure, but I think it was last week. Fox Rocks was an account on there that was got to the end of a tournament. It was from Latvia. And it got to the end of a tournament, and it malfunctioned. It was a bot that malfunctioned and folded every hand, heads up, even in ridiculous spots where it didn't make any sense to fold pre-flop. Like, being almost all in on the big blind, it still folded. So clearly there was something, it was a machine playing that malfunctioned, and that there was, there was no way that could be denied, and there's no way it could be said Fox Rocks was a fish, because Fox Rocks had a, a great record on there for winning over many, 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 many tournaments. So there's no way it was just someone who, who sucked. So this caused a lot of changes immediately. Uh, America's Card Room banned Fox Rocks and others from Latvia that were assumed to be bots. And uh, some refunds were given. And they came up with a new coherent policy about uh, about botting and about refunds. And they, they put that out there. We talked about all this last week. But this really put the botting issue on America's Card Room out front and center. And the CEO of America's Card Room, Phil Nagy, finally decided, okay, look, I've, I've got to say something. I've, I've got to, I, as much as they don't like Joey, I've got to go on his show and try to defend my site and defend what we've been doing and try to make people feel comfortable to play here 
because this this looks pretty bad. Even though we suspended Fox Rocks, but the problem is Fox Rocks was reported in the past for being a bot, and they did nothing. So only when the smoking gun came out of the totally nonsensical folds, heads up in, in, in a tournament, that it was clear that it was a machine playing that was malfunctioning, that uh, Fox Rocks was actually banned. So he probably figured he's got to get out there and defend his site and try to put out there what they're doing to make the site a fairer and safer place to play. So I'm going to play some clips and Trader Ruski, I'm going to play a little bit for you just to make sure you can hear it. So uh, using the 2008 Skype technology that they brought back in 2019. And I'm going to comment, this is a a two and a half hour long show that uh, Joey did, so I'm not going to play anywhere near that. I'm going to jump around and I'm going to play the beginning where Phil Nagy talks about why he was really angry at Joey and was at one point swearing he wasn't going to come on. And then I'll comment on that and then we're going to kind of just jump around and talk about some various parts of it. So, uh, drinking, trying to loosen it up a little, and it worked. So, could you hear that? No, and you know, I didn't hear the drop after Eric got on. Oh. I think you played like a laughing drop or something. And so, I think that I think something might have had to do with uh, when he got on, uh, screwed something up. See, this this was the old problem the Skype had before I didn't ha- before I had to do the screen sharing. Uh, they. Before I had to do the screen sharing to share the sounds with you, just when I could share sounds, it it had this problem where it would, after some time, kind of randomly, it would just stop letting you hear the sounds, even though it says it was still sharing. So it looks like we may still have that issue. So I just shared the screen again. Let me see if you can hear it now. Tournaments and cash games, you got to get better. You hear that? at your game. Go in the link below. Do you hear that? Sorry, Jeff. I couldn't get off mute. Yes, I could hear both. Okay. okay. I can't hear you now. Now we really got a problem. Okay. So let me let me uh, get to the part where Phil Nagy comes on. And here we go. Tournaments and cash games. You got to get better at your game. Go in the link below. Sign up for a course on upswing poker for tournaments or for the PLO Matrix because the bots are coming for us, guys. Jeez, I got to get an ad for upswing on here. No. No, don't go to Upswing Poker unless Upswing Poker pays us to advertise for them. They have not paid us, so don't go there yet. We got to fucking destroy them. So that's it. All right, guys, join me on today's podcast. And uh, we just said I, I didn't. I didn't see this ever happening, guys. I'm going to be honest. I made a bunch of YouTube videos talking about the, the cheating happening in America's card room, talking about botting, talking about colluding, talking about tournament glitches, talking about some suggestions for Phil for the site, talking about we want a better. Poker site for Americans to play on because Americans obviously love playing poker as well. And finally, the time has come. Phil Nagy is here. Phil, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Well, I have to say thanks for having me. Uh, and, and, and here we are. Yes. Amazingly enough. Phil, first question. Why did you decide to come on the podcast, man? Uh, that's a really, really good question. Uh, it was hard. It's... Somewhere, somewhere around, I don't know, it's two months ago, I, I kind of turned a corner in, 
I don't know, let's call it life, whatever. Uh, maybe it's midlife crisis. Maybe it's not. Uh, but it's there were some things. I didn't want to be everybody else. Uh, it's I wanted to be. I wanted to get back to who, who what got me where I'm at. And uh, that, that's when it's out of, out of the blue. I, un, I unblocked I unblocked you and said, hey, I need to talk to you about some real life stuff. So you actually had it blocked. <laughs> you actually had him blocked on, on Twitter or something. I guess it was Twitter. But yeah, he didn't just stuff. like not, not want to come and, on there. He actually had him blocked. And so you unblocked him supposedly two months ago and thought he turned a corner. I don't believe this, by the way. I think what really happened, he turned a corner just last week. When the Fox Rocks thing happened, he's like, "Crap, I've got to address this." That's that's what I believe. But he doesn't want to say that. He doesn't want to say, "Well, you know, Joey, I hated your guts, and I still hate your guts, and I think you're a piece of shit." But I'm on your show now because I'm trying to save face for my site because we got caught with an embarrassing botting situation. Bots that have been reported before that we did nothing about, and then someone caught them red-handed, and everyone's laughing at us. That's that's why I'm on here, Joey. So he's giving the story by turning a corner. And uh, you said, what's up? And I looked at it for like four days and I said, oh, my God, am I really going to talk to this guy? <laughs> um, and I said, it's it's really I got to the point that, that what got us here was talking to our customers, listening to the customers, uh, whether it's easy or whether it's hard. And uh, for the last year, 14 months, it's just a lot easier to sit behind your desk and work and uh, uh, and and do what you believe is right. Uh, whether that's right or wrong is, you know, it's completely irrelevant. You just don't listen to the outside public. You live in your own little bubble. Mm-hmm. So uh, my bubble, I just got tired of, you know, living in my bubble. So what, what's the issue that you had with me to the point where you blocked? And obviously I understand we exchanged messages. I'm not very, I was not very happy about what I felt like me being cheated on the poker site at the cash game tables on there too. Obviously I put the videos out there in a way that I'm sure you didn't agree with and the people that are with HCR or winning poker network probably did not enjoy or agree with as well too. So what was the issue with me and the way that I went upon doing it? Uh, well, it's, it's, it's to be, to be very, very blunt. Uh, it's, it's, I, I have you, I had you on my personal Skype. It's, mm-hmm. it's, there's not a lot of people, uh, that, that I have on per, my personal Skype. And, uh, I, I felt like, uh, it didn't really matter what I said, whatever was going to happen. And, uh, and, and really there was, there was one particular word that stood out and it, it's, it's, it's your show joy. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, it's, I'm going to, it's, I'm going to let you put my feet to the fire and I'm going to answer questions, but there's one thing that I would, it's, it's no, I'm going to, it's, it's this, it's as, as a human being, it's difficult to, to admit that you were wrong and I was wrong. Right. Before we go on with how he's wrong, when you hear the little cutouts, it's not your internet. It's not the call to listen line buffering, which it doesn't ever do. It is not a problem on my end. It is actually they have a Skype connection back and forth, those two, and the connection wasn't the best between them. So that's why there's the occasional cutout. I, I should have I stepped up. As a matter of fact, I should have stepped up right away and, and uh, uh, said exactly what things were. That being said, what, what got me where I was at was uh, one particular word that uh, really made me uh, decide I didn't want to speak, that, that, that I didn't want anything to do with you. And that was the word super user. Whoa, hold on. Super user was the word. That's the word that bothered him so much, and he's going to go into why. 
That was the word that upset him so much. Super user. Do you guys know who used the term super user to describe a player who can see everybody else's whole cards in poker? Who used that term for the first time? Anybody know? Bracer winner, Todd Dandruff-Vitalis. That's right. Yes, i I got to take credit for this one. And this isn't an Al Gore, I invented the internet moment. It's not. I, I promise you. In September 2006, in September 2007, I got so used to talking about 2016 in the Ray Davis segment. In September 2007, when the Absolute Poker Super User Scandal, which wasn't called that yet, it was just they're talking about there might be cheating there, someone who could see the whole cards, I came onto 2 plus 2 in the middle of September 2007, and I said that there might be a, and I put in quotes, Super User on Absolute Poker, who could see everybody's whole cards. And then I went on to describe why we were suspecting that. That was the first time ever that word was used in a poker sense. Now, it's I didn't make up the word. The word actually comes from the computer science world to describe an administrator account, a user on a multi-user system that can access everything. That's in the most basic sense, what a super user is. So that term existed long, long before. Nothing having to do with online poker. But I adapted it to online poker by referring to an account that can see all the whole cards as a super user. And I took it because I'm from that computer science world myself, and I thought that's the best way to describe it, is call it a super user. But it's not like so obvious that someone would have just uh, naturally thought of it. This was the very first usage of it. And when I was saying I was the first one to ever use that word, the there was some doubt. And Haley Hintz, one of the best poker journalists out there, was one of those people who had that doubt. And she spent some time researching it. And then she messaged me and she said, you know what? I doubted this at first, but I researched it and I could not find any usage of that word prior to your usage of it on 2 plus 2 having to do with poker. So you're right. It was you. And I I know it was me because I'm the one who I I remember thinking of it and making it up. So it's funny when I hear this 12 years later and people just throw around that word, that's become the accepted term. And it has been ever since then. Like just people picked it up and that became the term. People just use that as, as the term. And I always think, wow, that's my term. And I do wonder like, what if I was never born or what if I just like never got into poker? What would they be calling it now? What would be the name of this now? It wouldn't be super user. That was my term. That was my adaptation of that term into poker. So what would it be called now? So I hear super user go, ah, that's me. I I came up with that term. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. But the reason Phil Nagy is angry here, well, I'll let him tell it and then I'll explain to you my take on it. Mm -hmm. And now it's, 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 I'd like to, I'd like to establish Establish a few different terms, right? As as we go forward, uh, what's what's a bot? Uh, what what's collusion and cheating, and mm-hmm. what a super user is? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's there's been in 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 the industry there's been exactly one case of uh, a proven super user, and that was where the company was stealing from the players knowingly. Ultimate bet, ultimate, absolute poker, ultimate bet. I believe there was maybe both sites had something like that happen back in back in the early two thousands. And uh, it's 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 you can call me a lot of things. You can call me an idiot. You can call me 
that I put my, uh, my, my that I put my head in the sand like an ostrich. Uh, it's, it's don't call me a thief. Is mm-hmm. is I've, I've never stolen a dollar from anybody, and uh, it's it's I'll accept I'll accept proof on on, on a super user, mm-hmm. and 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 I'll accept that 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 you were tilted and 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 that that was uh, to get attention. But I really won't accept anything in between. After that, I'll lean back and and and, and we'll have a conversation as right. to where we what, what happened, what's yeah. happening right now. So you can see there's already some animosity still going on here. He was basically calling out Joey for being tilted and trying to get attention for using the term super user and said he won't accept anything less than that. And then once he hears that, he claims that he'll discuss everything else. So I will say this. When Joey came out with these explosive accusations, I believed every accusation Joey made, and he actually put some data up to back up some of it, except the super user stuff. I actually do see why Phil was angry about this, because there was no real evidence of a super user. It seemed like what uh, Joey was bringing out there for everyone to see was that there was a lot of unchecked botting on the system, that America's Car Room didn't care about the botting, that there was collusion probably between bots, which is also true, and bots do that. Bots actually do collude with one another. They're programmed to collude with one another. There's bot networks that do this. So these were all very valid accusations, and he had data to back it up. And I think people who've been following the situation believe that not only were bots running rampant on America's Card Room, but the bots were colluding with each other, and America's Card Room was dismissing most of the valid accusations against these bots. But I, I just couldn't connect this to the super user thing. We had Joey on here. It was kind of an annoying segment when we had him on here that one time to talk about it because he was, he was in a casino. It was very noisy. He could only half pay attention. I was trying to ask him about the super user. I didn't get much of an answer. It was too hard to flesh it out with him when he could barely hear me. But I just never was convinced. And this is someone who obviously experienced the super user thing personally on, on two sites, on Ultimate Bet and Absolute Poker, where I got refunds from both. The ultimate bet refund was pathetic, but I got a refund of a small amount. So I was a victim in both places. Even the sites themselves admitted that. And I was on the forefront of the calling out of absolute poker and convincing people that there really was this going on there. So I know what it looks like. And Joey did not present anything that looked like a super user. So now at the same time, I'll say that Phil probably jumped on this because he knew he was guilty of everything else. He he knew that he was turning a blind eye to bots. He knew there was a problem with this. He didn't want to deal with it for whatever reason. And so Joey brought out all these accusations and Phil's going, crap, yeah, he got me there. Crap, he got me there. Yeah, crap, he got me there. Oh, this sucks. Uh, I wish this guy wasn't doing this, but, you know, fuck, he can't, he, you know, like, he knows, even though he's not happy about it being put out there, he knows in his heart it's true. But then it gets the super user part, and he's like, no, there's no super users here. What the fuck? And he gets really mad. And often when someone's guilty, they and then they're accused of something they absolutely didn't do, that's when they're going to start making a lot of noise. I bet, I bet Eric Bansomokin, if he were on here, he'd be saying that too. <laughs> he'd say, 
I, it sounds like something he would say, but it's true. When somebody is accused of something that they didn't do, among other things they're accused that they did do, they'll jump all over the part regarding what they didn't do and act so outraged about it. So that's, that's what he's doing here. That's what he's doing. And that, that should even suggest more that there isn't a super user because it's showing he wouldn't be bringing up a, uh, attention to this so much if, if it was true. He's bringing attention to it because he knows it's not true, and it, it deflects from all the other stuff, and it makes Joey look less credible. And Joey just shouldn't have said that stuff. Joe, Joey was trying to be sensational and get people's attention, but he should have left that word out. Mm-hmm. And a little bit less of where we're going, because one of the things that made it the absolute hardest was people, people expected me to come out swinging. Because that's kind of who we were. And, 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 and not doing that was, it, it was my own ego. It, it was my own ego. Is, is I've, been, I've been doing this for close to a third of my life. And uh, to, be called, to, to be called the lowest of the low was, it wasn't, it wasn't easy for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't easy for me. And, uh, it's, it's, and the last thing, it's, it's, I mean, put yourself in my shoes. I didn't want to get you any views at all. Sure. Coming on and speaking about it at all, right? Uh, it's it's so that that's that's where I was at. I believe uh, I believe you didn't speak publicly anywhere. It wasn't just my no. show. You could have put up your own video. You could have gone in someone else. You could have gone someplace else as well too. Indir- in, indirectly, indirectly, as a, as a matter of fact, is uh, uh, indirectly. That's why I'm not. I, it's, I was the only, I was the only poker site supporting two plus two. And indirectly, that's why we're not a supporter of two plus two is uh, uh, with the with the emails that I got from them. Right. Um, it's it's it really it really blew up. And see, that, that's not true either. When he says we're not a supporter of two plus two, he probably I don't know the whole story behind that, but it probably was a case where he wanted two plus two to silence the outrage about this and allow him to delete posts or whatever it is. And and they said, no. And then he said, well, forget it. I'm not going to advertise anymore. F you. And they said, okay, fine. Don't advertise here anymore. And that was that. This, this is common when poker sites misbehave and then they go to whatever site they're sponsoring at the moment where discussion is taking place. that's unflattering to them. They say, Hey, uh, can you get this under control? And then sometimes the site will say, no, sorry, you've got to face it. And then they get mad and stop the sponsorship. I think that's what happened here without, without even knowing the story. I'll tell you, ego is a, ego is a mother, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I really did let my own ego get in the way. Uh, I'll tell you, it's, I'm glad we weren't sitting at a poker table because you would have got all my money. <laughs> I, was not, I was not in, in, a, in a good place. Uh, and, and I wasn't thinking about what was what was best for the business. I was saying, you know what, I, I'm just going to do my thing, and and, and to hell with uh, uh, the tell with the, the, to hell with what everybody thinks. Right. So I want to go back to your comment about the super using thing, and I want to explain that more. So the instance I'm talking about is an account against an account named Sleepy Berry from Turkey, the, the one of the strangest accounts I've ever seen in my entire life. And at the time, I already had suspicions that the Potlum Omaha tables were overrun with bots, sometimes two to four at one table. And up until very recently, I believe, after I sent you a spreadsheet of 30 accounts on there, I'm told that those accounts are not playing anymore. And 
and we can kind of get into that a little later, but I want to, I want to expand on the super using thing. So now I'm sitting here, I have these suspicions already. I'm like, what, you know, this is very strange. The play on this site is nothing like the play on other sites that I plan. I played 5 million hands pop in Omaha in my lifetime. I certainly, I've never brought up a complaint like this in my entire life. I've been in the poker world for 12 years, never made an accusation like this, never said anything like this. I don't even think about this kind of stuff like that. So then I see this account that I follow around for about 25 hours straight. I'm watching the account. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And now when it comes to the idea of that, my, my, my thinking is that, well, if these guys can't police the games from taking away these bots, these are the most obvious bots, the most obvious bot accounts to me. And I believe some of those accounts were then banned after the first videos I put out at five cent, the five cent, 10 cent bots that played 666,000 hands and had some of the biggest win rates on the entire site at five cent, 10 cent. So my thinking is if the security is incapable of catching these obvious bot accounts, like I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I don't even have access to anything like that. Then how can I possibly trust the security on the winning poker network to police collusion and to police super using? And that, that's where I'm coming from with it. And I'm not saying you're the one that's doing the super using. I don't know. Well, well see, see, that's, so I believed like everything Joey just said there, I agree with, except for the last part of the super using. That's just, that's separate, and 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 Phil was right that the only super using that's ever been caught has been super using where the owners of the site were doing it. It happened twice. It wasn't once he said it was actually twice. Absolute Poker and Ultimate Bet, but both times it was the ownership doing it. There there hasn't been one known case where it was occurring where an outsider who wasn't in ownership or even an insider who wasn't in ownership was doing it. So for him to say, well. If you can't police obvious bots, you can't police super using. That's that's not really a good argument because there wasn't any evidence of super using. He should just stick to if you can't catch and stop the most obvious bots, how can we how can we expect you to catch collusion? How can we expect you to catch bots which are not quite as obvious? If you're missing the super easy ones to catch, you're probably missing it all. That he should have just stopped there. That would have been very compelling, very convincing. I don't know who else has access to these things. All right? sure. I don't think it's you. I'm not sure. I don't know what, what's going on there. But there's a lot of other people out there that have access to the site that who knows what they could be doing. And you, and you would have absolutely no way of knowing what they're doing because they're located overseas in a different country managing the software. And he's bringing up, okay, well, you don't know who's managing the software. You, know, you could have insiders screwing with people. So this is where Joey's kind of getting away from it. He's making, he's just kind of pulling things out of the air like, well, this could be happening, that could be happening. Well, okay, that could be happening anywhere. Every site has people working for it who could be taking advantage of their access to cheat people. But you got to stick to the pretty convincing evidence you already have of wrongdoing and not just go out in the weeds with these guesses. And the problem is I don't think Joey wants to admit that he overreached on this. So there there was a lot of bickering back and forth on that. I'm going to skip past this because this is the problem with this one. It actually annoyed me to watch because there was too much arguing back and forth. I felt like screaming at the video. But... <laughs> Let's jump forward a little bit just to a random point and see what they're talking about here. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ban this guy, and we're going to look at this guy's play. We're going to look at other play that's like this, and we're going to start. I have, I, I have a write-up that I wanted to ban all of Latvia. And, uh, Get rid of them. They're done. <laughs> so they're talking about Fox Rocks, and 
you think considering banning all of Latvia, which, which, by the way, isn't that bad of an idea. You may think, oh, come on, ban, ban all of Latvia. Well, it's not like banning all of the U.S. or England. Latvia is not that large of a country. And if you're just getting a lot of the high percentage of the people or, or a very disproportionate number of users from there are cheating, it's your own private business. You can say, yeah, we don't want Latvians on here. We're just getting too much abuse from there. We just decided to ban that country. Countries get banned all the time for other reasons. What they could do is just ban everyone from Latvia, let everybody who's not a suspected bot cash out and say, sorry, we, we don't want your business anymore. And that's it. There's actually nothing wrong with that. I'd, I would probably do that if I was running a site like this and just certain countries were just havens for bots and these are small countries where I'm not going to lose a whole lot of legitimate customers. Yep, and now I, now I lost it. I have a write-up that I wanted to ban all of Latvia. And, uh, Get rid of them. They're done. Get you them know out what? It's 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 funny it's funny that you said it's funny you said that but but then I felt like uh, uh, you know geo targeting it's it's uh, a bunch of people they, they don't have a lot of other options you know stars pulled out of Latvia I believe and and now these now we've got some people that are actually playing for a living so I've got I I, I want to say I've got like thirty videos of of Latvians and Russians uh, I've got maybe closer to a hundred with Russians over the last week or so playing a 90 minute session. Right. And I'm matching up their stats, making sure they're a real person. Uh, if, if, the, if the stats are close, but not close enough is we call them on WhatsApp and say, okay, let's get on WhatsApp, turn around, walk, spin around the room, make sure there's nobody else in there and go ahead and play a jackpot. And I'm going to ask you a few questions about hand ranges because one of the things about bots, and this is, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire too. Right? We'll get there. We'll I'm get ready. there. I, got, I already know what you're going to say, and I'm, I'm ready for it, Phil. Trust me. Okay. Okay. I'm ready for it. There's some things that you, can, that you can find out about bots because they have certain tendencies, right? Okay. Uh, they have, uh, well, for lack of a better term, they have some always or ne- and nevers, right? Um, it's, it's, and that's the kind of things that you look for. And and you know what? Maybe I didn't. Maybe I didn't put a, what, enough weight on hand histories because a lot of these always and nevers, they take a lot of time to converge with hand histories. So uh, maybe I was putting too much weight on some of the other things that were not necessarily hand histories. Uh, that that's I say well, that may have been a mistake. Yeah, that was a mistake. Um, so we banned we banned these bots uh, as soon as the first. And and you know what? It's funny. The, the, the very first bot that I banned, uh, he had one, and don't quote me, please. It was $170-ish thousand dollars. Oh, my God. Uh, he had lost $135,000. So his net was thirty five. I refunded the $170,000. Right? Uh, I did that as a token of good faith because I said I was wrong. Right? Uh, so it's, it's, again, you buy in, you win, you lose, so on and so forth. Um, so the, the whole, the, that particular bot cost me, uh, not players, uh, a quarter of a million dollars. Are you with? I'm with you. I'm just disgusted. Okay. By that. I'm disgusted that this bot was allowed to win so much money on the site where Americans, this is the main American well, poker site well, for tournaments. It, it just, it's disgusting for them, man. Well, it, it, just, just remember he, he, he lost $135,000 as well. Sure. His 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 net win was thirty five thousand, and I refunded one hundred and seventy some. 
right? Um, it's it's I then then that and and people said, well, that's great, but what about why why do you put a cap at twenty five thousand? That's correct. Uh, it's and and I'll tell you, it's I'm gonna I'm gonna thank Phil Galfon for that. I watched I watched a video that Phil did, and uh, he was ranting about poker in the U.S. And he said these unregulated sites don't have any motivation to have game integrity. It's, it's, there's, there's nothing in it for them to have any kind of game integrity at all because it's, there's, there's nobody to police them. And I said, you know, he's, he, he's got a point. So that's why I put, A, I put a cap at 25000 per bot because I feel like that's a stiff enough penalty that that's that's expensive. See, that's uh, stupid. One particular word. Oh, I see. I just lo- I just lost that. Whatever. I keep accidentally skipping back to the beginning of the video. But uh, this is stupid. We talked about this last week. There shouldn't be a cap. There should be a cap of what America's card room will refund after the bot has already cashed out and they haven't caught them because then it comes out of their own pocket. But if if they confiscate, let's say uh, one hundred fifty thousand from a bot, they should give that one hundred fifty thousand back to the players. It's that simple because that's one hundred fifty thousand. The bot will not be cashing out himself. That's one hundred fifty thousand dollars that the that America's card room doesn't have. It, it actually belongs to the players. So instead of giving it to the bot player, they give it to the players that the bot beat. That's what they should do. They shouldn't put a cap anywhere there. The cap should only be in the case that the bot has already cashed out and, and flown the coop, or they catch the bot when it has a thousand dollars left in the account, but it actually won you know one hundred seventy five. Then then fine. Don't. Give back one hundred seventy-five thousand. Give back twenty-five. At that point, I I agree with that. Otherwise, America's card room will have just incredible liability that they won't be able to keep up with. Okay, let's jump around a little bit more. If you ban all winners, all the bots go away. So, so all right, so- let's try it. Go ahead. Let's- <laughs> <laughs> You're just saying that because you don't play. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, is, is a lot of the, a lot of the sites are are working on you know leveling the playing field and doing things for this and doing doing things for that. The reality is, the murkier you make it, historically, it's been the players. Even back with like, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember Stocks Poker and with PTR when they found the short stack high stakes cheating. It wasn't even stars that found that. It, historically, it's been the players that have found these things with the poker sites because let's face it, poker players are some of the smartest people in the world. That's a pretty bad example. He's, he's mentioning Stocks Poker. They, they did, they colluded themselves. That was why Stocks Poker fell apart. They, that uh, The owner of its stocks trader, Nick Redzian, was caught multi-accounting and colluding. <laughs> He's mentioning what they found. They could have found it by looking at a mirror. They're sitting there looking at their database, trying to figure out how to get better, and they're spending more. And you know what? You can't afford to hire most of them because they're just too smart and they're too high paid. So what you can do is listen to them. Right? That's, that's, that's where I'm at. Uh, 500,000, Phil, I go to work. Yeah, that's, that's, I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I'll take these guys down. We'll clean the site up. And, 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 you know, and, and what, and what's funny is, is I'm sure that, that, that there's poker sites out there that, that are paying people like that. Yeah. Let's, let's jump around here. I'm done with that discussion. I stopped, I stopped watching everything for about a year and I just focused on the business. Um, it, it turns, it turns out, you know, uh, cryptocurrency, whew, 2018, it was harder than it was before. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, as a matter of fact, is that, that's one that's one of the things. Uh, it's it's I've went and spoke. I, I spoke at a, at a few at a couple of different gaming conferences talking about cryptocurrency because I do believe that the gaming industry could really uh, propel cryptocurrency to a whole different levels, and uh, uh, it's it's I just got a whole bunch of people that stared at me with and went I don't get it. Well, it's it's maybe maybe I'll talk to you guys about it. The fact is, is 2017 when Bitcoin hit an all time high. 2018, we did double the number, the, the dollar volume in Bitcoin. And uh, uh, interesting and interestingly enough, almost 70 percent of our business comes from cryptocurrency now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's, there's, we may be the biggest user case in the world for cryptocurrency. No, you're not. I'm sure Bovada is bigger. And yeah, cryptocurrencies become big for depositing and cashing out from Online gambling sites, not just poker, but from sports betting too. That's that's a fact because it's getting harder and harder to get money on and off these sites if you're an American. So that's not novel stuff he's talking about here. Let's move up a little bit more. We're about now an hour 40 through the two hour 40 video. It's gone pretty fast, huh? So I have a... Um, I'm trying to pull this image up here I have. So I have an image right here. I just want to kind of get more clarification on the image. So here is the message from the CEO on the site. And now when you read this, is this supposed to be like this? So when you read the message from the CEO, it, it leads you to believe that this guy, is, first of all, this isn't true because ACR does cater to professionals. He says they hijack the industry, preying on you, the recreational player. This is why my team and I designed the Poker King model to cater to recreational players. We believe, okay, so you go through here. So what I'm reading here is that Poker King is the one that came up with all these ideas. <laughs> and now, now when you look at when you look when you go through here and I'll, I'll, pull, I'll pull up one more data and the sincerely Vinko Dobrosovic you see that he also is the, the person that's in charge of the uh, company that makes the software so it seems like there's a little conflict of inter- how, how can how can Phil Nagy understand what's happening when I'm reading this and, and I'm led to believe poker they, they came up with all these ideas right here I'm re- he said it right here message from the CEO so when I see that and then I also see that he is the guy so, doing the software, I'm led to believe this. This is this the shot caller right here? Like, what's you know how would you know what what this guy on Poker King what they're doing over there if they're letting all these accounts come through? Uh, so I bought Poker King, right? And uh, it's 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 I'm moving with the new software. I'll be moving Poker King service here. It's here in Costa Rica. Um, it's it's they'll be moving to the new software platform, and uh, it's it's I bought. A portion of the software company, so I had control. I had controlling interest in the in the software uh, because I didn't like the idea. This was oh, three years ago, three and a half years ago. Uh, it's it's about controlling interest in the software because I didn't want anybody uh, uh, telling me. I I didn't think anybody else could do it better. Uh, software is hard. Um, it's the the message from the CEO. Yeah, I've, ne- I, I've, ne- I've never seen that before. You know, we should not trust this message from the CEO. It's the the, the fact is I'm the CEO of Poker King. Uh, it's it's I'm changing. You got to update the website. According to this, is that's, that's not. I don't, I don't know. It's the the, the fact the fact is the fact is is um in the next thirty days we're moving over to the new software platform. This was supposed to happen two years ago. So I think they're talking about a, a skin called Poker King that wasn't known to be a skin into the. Winning Poker Network, which is what America's Card Room is, and something about bots coming through Poker King, and they weren't doing enough about it. I, I don't know that much about it. Let's let's skip ahead. I need to see how big it's going to get. 
So many players say they want to play poker. They love playing. Where should I play? Should I play on rigged global? Should I go to the fucking PP poker app and deposit through the poker king who's going to take my money and buy rims for his Bentley? You know, it's like the options for Americans out there are scarce. They're not good. It's not well, good. So if we can have a site that at least has a chance to help players out and give them a chance to play. And as we know, ACR has the biggest guarantees out there. So, well, it, you know what? It's, 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 uh, what, what, what's, it's, it's, what's, what, 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 what can I, what kind of, what can I do? It's, and, and you know what? You, you, we can follow this up on Twitter. We don't have to do it right now. Mm-hmm. What can I do to start earning your trust and confidence? And how can I be transparent and verifiable about it? Once I see that there's not four ECN bots at the PLO tables, that's when I, that's when I start start taking notice of that. Yeah. It's I'll tell I'll tell you what, here's, here's the one thing, here's the one thing I'll guarantee. I won't let people change their username. No, I won't, I won't let people change their username and I won't remove countries from, 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 from the nameplates. Right. So if I stay, it's, 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 if I let people change their username, it solves all my problems. Because now there's no hand histories, and you and, and, I mean, and what are people are doing. Oh, okay. I, I, I'm not going into any of that. Okay. Right. If if you don't have hand histories, then the public can't police it. Oh, interesting. Right. It's you, it's site it, it, would make a change like that. What, what would a site make a change like that for? Uh, it's. I think they're trying to. I think they're trying to level the playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so what he's trying to do here. This is interesting because what he's trying to do is say what they're not going to do that other sites like Party Poker are doing. So this is a way to make yourself look better by instead of saying, what we're doing such and such to make ourselves better, you're saying, what we're not going to do such and such to make ourselves worse, like some other sites are. Some other sites are making themselves worse and harder to police for cheating. Uh, We're not doing that. We're staying the same. Yeah, but if you have an existing bot problem, the same isn't good enough. (laughs) That's... Uh, that's what's so stupid about this. He's saying we won't block you from seeing what countries people are playing from. We're not going to let people change their screen names. And well, good. That's that's a good thing. But that's not solving the problem. If you have an existing problem with botting, which you definitely do, then leaving things the way they are is not an answer. And what, what Joey was trying to say to him is that we need a good place to play in the U.S. And I'll give America's card room credit. I'll give them a chance when I can tell that it's not overrun with bots. So what are you doing? Well, let me tell you, we're not doing these bad things. We're not making things worse. Well, yeah, okay, but what are you doing to make it better? We're not making it worse. Yeah, but better? No, it's not worse, right? <laughs> That's what he's doing. So you can watch the full video. I'm kind of tired of this. It's two hour, 40 minutes. I've gone through, I've jumped through about an hour, 55 of it, skipping around. It says, America's Cardroom CEO addresses cheating. Poker Life podcast. It's on Joey Ingram's channel. Joey Ingram one or J- Joe Ingram one is his channel on YouTube. Pretty easy to find if you want to watch the video for the two hours forty minutes. We're going to move on to other things here, but that was uh, just little segments of it. We took forty minutes on this. I think that's enough. You still with us, Trader Risky? I'm I'm here. And that was good, nice and clear. I could hear everything. Good. Well, I'm impressed. How do you feel about everything you heard there in general? Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Uh, I mean, it was interesting that a CEO of a company that's not really legally doing business in the U.S. would get on that show for two and a half hours. And, and you know, I mean, why he wouldn't just insta... 
get rid of Lithuania. Was it Lithuania? Is uh, that La- it? Latvia? Close. Latvia. <laughs> it's just I don't know. I mean, he, I, I, I would have liked him to ask. Well, how many players are playing there? Right. right. Like, like how, why aren't they playing on Poker Stars if they're outside the U.S.? I'd be suspicious of anybody outside the U.S. playing on that site. Yeah, I, I, I would think that this, the easiest way to put an end to this is the small countries where there's a lot of abuse, just do away with it and say, the, sorry to any legitimate players in Latvia, but the, all, the botter, all the botters screwed it up for you. Sorry, we can't allow Latvia anymore. And, and, start, and, and also countries that are larger that may have a combination of a lot of legitimate players and a lot of non-legitimate players. Those countries you just watch closely. You see Russia didn't sign up. Okay, we're not banning Russia, but we're going to watch Russia real closely. We're going to have a flag on those accounts to watch closely for signs of botting, more closely than we watch the other accounts, and aggressively ban those. There, there's ways to handle it, and they, they just weren't doing it. And, and what was irritating people so much is that there were very credible reports made about like that Fox Rocks account last year, and nothing was done. So it's not even just that they weren't catching on their own. They were getting credible reports and doing nothing because they didn't want to do anything because these bots were filling tournament seats. These bots were paying rake. These bots were playing actively. These bots were keeping games running, filling tournaments up. So they they didn't want to do anything about it. They kind of figured, why should we? Why should we put the effort into this? These are raking players. And only because of people like Joey that, stuff started to get done, and especially thanks to these uh, recent vloggers who put out these, they're not vloggers, these streamers, that put up very questionable situations for everyone to see as they were playing, and it was hard to deny. And did he ask him any of those tough questions? Some of them. Like, I, didn't I, listen to the whole thing, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I was skipking around when I was watching too. I, I couldn't. It was kind of tilting to listen to because there's just so much uh, like frustrating back and forth. Where kind of like both people are saying things that I kind of find more more Phil than Joey. But both of them were saying things. I just kind of felt like screaming back to the YouTube video. Going, no, no. What about this? Like it just it, was, it got kind of stressful to listen to. I, I wish it was shorter. Which which is. Funny coming from me, who has this six-hour show, but uh, I don't know. I, I just didn't have the attention span for it. But if you guys do, you can listen. And I think I gave you some preview here for about forty minutes. You can go listen to the rest. Well, now for something completely different. Kate Hall, who we haven't talked about in a little while here, has done something. Well, this person has good timing. They called in right between segments. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, I was just calling in. I could probably give you the cliffs of the interview if you're interested. Yeah, go ahead. So, I mean, pretty much for the whole interview, he was asked pretty basic, you know, ABC questions, and he would just give, like, a philosophical answer to it. it. It's really what I took from it is um, it really sounds like there just isn't much that they can do because he mentioned he mentioned as far as his security team, supposedly there's like 11 people monitoring everything, but he made it seem like he has people just watching tables and like he didn't really seem to understand the software side or 
how people were being tracked. I mean, he kept saying that if, you know, asking Joey, like, do you know something I don't know, or I really don't know what to do. And Joey kept saying, I could get you in touch with the people who brought the data forward. Um, another thing that leads me to believe that they can't really do much about it is they have a 5,100 game going. And he says it's the only one going because they just monitor it basically 24-7 and make sure it's on the up and up. But if they have to watch it that closely, that means the software can't really detect anything funny. I mean, overall, like, it's just, it just seems like it's just poor, poor and just outdated software. I left ACR because of all the bot stuff. And after the interview, I'm definitely not going back. He even mentioned um, the client. They're going to be able to tell. If you have something on your computer and it's interacting with the client, they'll be able to tell. They can, according to him, he said he can tell what type of website you're on. So if you're on view porn or something, they'll be able to tell. <laughs> if you're watching gay porn in the background, they're going to know it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, also, he said another thing that I thought was disturbing is he said um, some of the people that were accused of bombing and whatnot he says he has access to their real name and supposedly he went to like their facebook and they kind of see their habits and see if they actually play poker and just just a bunch of weird stuff like that like i mean just pretty invasive it's just well that that part i understand kind of that part he does have the real name because they give it when they go to play and then uh, so he probably just says if he someone's a suspected bot and he looks at their you know he looks them up on Facebook and Latvia and, and doesn't see any mention in years that the person plays poker at all then then something's questionable if the person seems to be playing all day and all night and they make no mention of it I actually I don't hold that so much against them uh, I, I it would bother me if he were to be phishing people's uh, like taking people's Facebook passwords they're entering in and and then uh, he goes on their on their Facebook on their own Facebook account and spies that would be a problem if he just looks at what's publicly available on Facebook I don't see that as big, a big deal. Yeah, but I mean, the only thing still what I take away from it is like that's your procedure. You don't have anything better than that. And I I just realized he just there just probably isn't much that they can do like the. DDoS attacks, like that was going insane to the point that they had to restructure their tournament. So yeah, that's true. They they were helpless know. against those. That's true. Yeah, it does seem like yeah, it's, it's not a good idea to play. It does seem like kind of like a Mickey Mouse operation over there, and yeah, they they need some analytics is what they need to figure out what the tendencies of bots are, and to, for the system to automatically detect them without having to have humans watch and catch them, and they, they need. Also, they, they need a very aggressive response to players who bring botting accusations to them, and if they, it, it shouldn't take that long at that point to look into the habits of those players and see if they probably are bots or not. And that, that's what they should do. What they, it does sound like they're not using the proper methods, so that's, that's interesting, and I, I can understand people being wary of playing there. No, yeah, for sure, but but yeah, but that's all I was just calling in for. Okay, well, thank you, you. You really didn't miss much else. Okay, thanks. Later. All right. Well, he called in at the right time. I'll give him that. He he called when we when we told him to call in between segments. <clears throat> Very good. Okay, let's get to Kate Hall. 
Kate Hall, we haven't heard much from in a while. I, I Maybe I haven't been paying attention. But Kate Hall, one thing that she loved to do in the past was brag about her sexual promiscuity. So to her, it was kind of like a form of empowerment, just where, where she was taking this term slut and applying it to herself as something she's proud of. And she was doing this from the standpoint of, well, how come men can brag about their sexual conquest and women can't without being looked down upon? So I'm just going to take over the, the word slut and say it's a good thing. Well, first of all, I don't agree with that. Because the problem with this is, is men and women just aren't the same. They're just, they're, they're completely different. So, uh, and, and there's different societal expectations of them, whether it's fair or not. That's, that's the way it's been. And, uh, and the truth is, Think if women had the same attitude towards sex as men and had the same sex drive as men. And I'm talking about women in general, not the outlier women who may have a very high sex drive or same attitude towards sex. I'm saying just in general, men have a much, much higher sex drive. If you don't believe me, if you think I'm just being sexist, uh, try this little experiment. Make an account on, on any dating site and first make a male account and, and just like pick like, Take like random pictures from the internet somewhere. Take like an average-looking guy, make a, an account, and say, "Yeah, if you want to meet and, and, and have sex tonight, uh, message me." See how many messages you get from women. You'll probably get zero. Okay. Then take an average female and make an account and say the same thing. If you want to meet up and have sex tonight, no strings attached. Let me know. You'll probably get like a thousand messages in a day. So there's a reason for that. That's because the men have a much higher sex drive. The men are much more likely to want to engage in promiscuous sex. And this is actually a good thing for society that most women don't have the desire to do this. Even the women who enjoy sex don't just want to go bang random guys. That they're kind of the limiting factor. They kind of keep the men under control to some degree. Because think if, if men and women were the same like this, there would be indiscriminate sex everywhere, and there could be a lot of uh, pro- societal problems that stem from that. A lot of uh, a lot more sexually transmitted diseases, a lot more unwanted pregnancies, uh, a lot of stuff like that. So it's, it's actually not a bad thing that, that women are the limiting factor. And there's, there's many differences in the role of society that men and women have, and some of them are starting to blur over time, and some of them aren't. But, but you shouldn't say that all, just because women and men, there's different expectations for them, it's necessarily bad. And, uh, so anyway, I, I don't think a woman who goes around bragging what a slut she is, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't, I don't think it's something that, I don't think most guys think that's good when a woman's bragging what a slut she was. <laughs> so, uh, but Kate Hall takes this as, as some form of empowerment. Now, I always said it was kind of weird with her, is I didn't even believe that she was really living that way. Not that she was living like uh, a nun, but I think she was actually one of the few girls who was bragging that she was having more sex than she really was. Usually it's the reverse, where they try to play down how much sex they really have and make it seem like they're much less promiscuous than they are. Here, Kate Hall, I believe, was... Much more promiscu- or much less promiscuous than she really was, than she claimed to be. And this is because it seemed like the guys I heard she was involved with or had sex with, most of them were guys that she actually had relationships with. 
I didn't hear of that many one night stands that Kate Hall had with guys from poker. The guys I heard that she had slept with were mostly guys that she had some kind of real relationship with, even ones that weren't that long, but they were attempts at real relationships. But anyway, she was pushing this for a long time on everybody. I'm a slut. I love to have sex. I wish I could have sex with more guys without being judged. I wish I could have sex with more poker guys without being judged. You know, she, she went through this whole rant at one point that she wishes she could just bang poker guys indiscriminately, but she's afraid if she does that, that no one will take her other messages more seriously. Her, her political and, and feminist, feminist messages won't be taken seriously if she's banging tons of poker guys. So therefore, in order for her important messages to be taken seriously, she can't become a, a huge poker slut. But she really wants to become one. She just she wishes she could be one, but she's afraid it'll it'll take away from her important messages. She she put that out a while back. Well, times have changed apparently. This is Kate Hall's most recent tweet from today, May first, two thousand nineteen. She tweeted about six months ago. I made a decision to be celibate for at least a year, and based upon my experience. I think I am going to extend it forever. So now she's saying she's going to be celibate forever. She claims she's been celibate for six months already, that the decision she made six months ago was actually to be celibate for a whole year, and that rather than feeling like she wants to go back and have sex and that she's really missing it, that now she's... uh, Enjoying the six months of no sex so much that she, she may never have sex again. <laughs> and she's announcing this on Twitter, by the way. This isn't like a, a personal decision she's come to. It's one thing if she said, you know what, I've been having too much sex and I think sex is dominating my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop for, for six months or for a year, no sex. And she's trying that. And then after six months, she's like, you know what, this is kind of nice. Maybe, maybe I'm going to go longer than a year. That's fine, but she's putting this out there on Twitter for everyone to see. It's, it's always about attention. It's, it's, it really is attention whoring at its finest with Kate Hall. And I don't even think this is true. I, I think maybe she hasn't had sex in the last six months, but she's not really going to be celibate for life or celibate for a long time. This, this is the latest thing she's into. Remember, she was, she was living in some sort of commune where everybody's polyamorous. What happened to that? So she, she went from a commune where everybody bangs each other to I'm never going to have sex again. That's quite an extreme. So, of course, we got to look at the responses to this. Remember, this was only done about five hours ago. So, not everybody's had the chance to respond. But uh, someone responded, It's kind of weird, though. So many people reserve other aspects of their love, specifically pe- for people who are who they're having sex with, often monogamous people, but the personal experience is when you love freely, fully, and deeply, it's already pretty intense and fulfilling. What? Joe Searock, who has his own issues, he tweets a lot of weird stuff. He wrote, not Joe Searock, but Joe Searock. He wrote, not very nice to my roommate's feelings who I showed this to. I thought you were all about the poly stuff, too. I laughed hard at his expense, so I appreciate you need all the ammo I can get. I don't know who his roommate is. Maybe she's not someone she had sex with. Uh, let's see what else here. Talking about some album they've listened to. Ryan Martin, whoever that is, responded with, elaborate on said experience, please. 
And she wrote back, I haven't had sex and find I don't miss it, or the people I've been having sex with very much. At least not relative to the benefits. Then Bill Perkins said, try no drugs for a year. <laughs> that's, that's true. She should try that. She probably wrote this when she was on drugs. Who knows? It could have just been for attention. Like Most of this stuff is for attention. She doesn't even really mean a lot of the stuff she writes. A lot of it's just, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Kate Hall. I'm going to talk about sex, and people, people are going to be responding to me for that reason. Like, like this guy. D- at Doug Stant- Stantcop. Or, or Doug Stanktop. That's what it is. Doug Stanktop. Wrote, do you still masturbate? I mean, come on. That, that's actually probably what she was looking for. Questions like that. that that's from Kate Hall. It's a valid question. <laughs> that's, that's what she's up to these days. Is she's, she's not having sex and she, she may never have sex again. I don't know what happened to the polyamorous commune. I don't know why that didn't work out, but uh, that's over. She's now celibate, and and maybe when this is done, she'll be back in the middle and just have normal relationships again, like one on one. This the stuff that she puts out there. This would be kind of like weird, want to be edgy girl in college putting this out. Like you can kind of understand it, but she's in her thirties. She's like thirty three now or something. This should really stop at this point, but it doesn't. I don't think it's ever going to stop with her. And if you go back and find, I don't know why I even bothered with this, but I went and found some old articles she wrote for her school newspaper back at uh, ASU in 2006. It was like all the same stuff. It's like the same Kate Hall back in 2006 as today. Like she hasn't changed a bit. She's just, the same attention whore, uh, always got to write something controversial and outrageous to get people's attention. Same thing as 13 years ago. As today, except it's transferred from wherever she was before to poker. So I, I think in another 13 years, she'll still be the same. I, except at some point, there's going to be less attention paid to it because she's going to get older and older, and the allure of, of her writing this when she becomes an old woman is not going to be as interesting anymore. The, the younger and more attractive you are as you write these things, the more people are like, oh, look, you know, a young, attractive girl talking about sex. Like Once when she, when she's like 60 years old, are they going to see it the same way? So that is what's going on in the chat room. Disposition is mad that I blame this on drugs. Is why are drugs being blamed? That's kind of nonsense. Sex is overrated, though. The gangbang wouldn't let her in. He's referring to the commune, probably. Uh, okay, let's let's move on. I, I just had to give a Kate Hall update. That was like the last topic I added to our agenda, too. I put it in the early middle of the show, but that was the last thing I decided to add. Okay, now to, for a more serious topic, and one that you're going to want to probably know about if you're going to play the World Series. The World Series has announced that they're going to make some changes this year to make the player experience better. So I said, okay, I'm listening. Could always use positive changes for the player experience at the World Series. So there's a number of them, and they actually are positive changes for the most part, but I, I'm afraid some of them are, are not going to be as useful as they appear. Change number one is more of a promotion 
they're giving away five main event seats to anyone who swipes their Caesars reward card. And Caesars rewards is the same as total rewards. That's just changed names. The statement says, to help celebrate our 50th anniversary, not our 50th, they mean the 50th World Series. The 50th anniversary is actually next year. The, the 50th year is this year. We're giving away 50,000 in main event seats, meaning five seats, to our loyal tournament players. Players can earn up to five entries for a drawing to be held on July 1st, 2019. Five seats will be awarded to the 2019 main event. Players can get a free entry by swiping their Caesars Rewards card at the Rio Caesars Rewards desk. Receive additional entries based upon your participation in gold bracelet events. Enter two different gold bracelet events. Earn a second entry for every additional gold bracelet event entered after two. You earn another entry to the drawing. Participants may earn a maximum of five entries for the drawing. Simply buy into gold bracelet events and you'll automatically be tracked and entered. So you can get one for free. Just swipe at the Caesars Rewards desk, and then you'll earn the other four by playing four or more World Series events, provided that they are bracelet events. Probably not going to affect most people. It's only going to be five people out of all the entrants winning it, but okay, it's five free seats. Might as well do it. I'll do it. Just want to let you guys know that. By the way, something really tilting about reading this statement, all the statements I'm going to be reading you, these all came from the same webpage on WSOP.com. The genius they hired to write this up, whoever it is, uh, forgot to put any spaces after the periods. <laughs> I- I'm serious. Like, There's no spaces after the period. Like, uh, how-, how do you make that mistake? I'm talking about like, everything throughout that page. It's like the space bar was broken, but yet the space bar worked between words. It- after a period, there's no space. It's like really tilting to read it. So, so much that when I reposted it on Poker Fraud Alert, I added my own spaces for them. Sad that I have to do that. Okay, number two, they will be giving away $500 to, quote, hot seats in the cash section every hour. This is their statement. Everyone knows the Rio Pavilion Ballroom is the home of all levels of live action games throughout the World Series of Poker. Approximately 40 of these live action tables, referring to cash tables, uh, will participate in the hourly hot seat promotion every day, every hour of the World Series of Poker. A random seat will be drawn each hour, and the player in that seat will receive $500 in cash value Rio Casino chips. This promotion runs from June 3rd to July 9th. I don't know which 40 tables it's going to be, and they don't describe it, but if you're at one of those 40 tables, then every hour they will give a hot seat, what they call it, $500. Now, it's not at each table, but I I guess one out of the 40 tables will be chosen, and then one seat there will be chosen. So basically, you have a a 1 in 360 chance of winning uh, $500, which, if you think about it, is actually over a dollar an hour equity in this. It's not bad. Number three. Credit cards are now accepted at the cage. Now you can buy into events using your credit card. Isn't that exciting? You can actually before you could do it online, but now now you can actually bring your credit card to the cage and say, "Yes, I don't have the money to enter this World Series event, but instead I'm going to do it with money I don't have on credit." Yeah. And they'll let you do it if your credit card is accepted and you have the high enough limits to do it. But the fees will be brutal. 
And I suggest you don't do this. Even if you're a degenerate, please don't do this. Please don't do this. It's, they're going to rape you with the fees. Your bank will also rape you with the fees. It'll probably go down as a cash advance, not a purchase, which means interest probably starts accumulating immediately, and there's fees on top of fees on top of fees. Don't do it. You're probably going to finish, <laughs> probably gonna finish like third place to cover all the fees. Just don't. It's terrible. I like how they're catering to the total degenerate now, though. They, the, the person who doesn't care about fees and wants to enter World Series of Poker events on credit. That, that's what they're really doing. They're, they're making it easier for the person with the degenerate gambling problem to play World Series events. Very good. Number four. The Amazon Room tables will have automatic shufflers. The Amazon room is the room where the main event eventually finishes. It was the original room for the World Series of Poker at the Rio starting in 2005. But it's a room I play in often because this is where they will typically run a lot of the non-Hold'em events. Or non-No-Limit non, Hold'em events. I shouldn't say non-Hold'em. But the, the events that are not No-Limit Hold'em will often run in the Amazon room. Also, day two of... Events, including No Limit Hold'em, will often be in the Amazon room. Sometimes No Limit Hold'em events are there too, but uh, that's mainly what it's used for is day twos, day threes, and uh, non-No Limit Hold'em events. I end up there a lot because I play Limit Hold'em, I play Omaha 8, I play some of the 10K events, so I, I do end up in there a lot. The Amazon room is also always very cold. That's the coldest room they have. But they're going to have am- they're going to have automatic shufflers in that room going forward. So this will benefit people like me who play a lot of those events that take place in that room. And what that especially means is more hands. Which indirectly makes the structure better. Because you're getting more hands in at each level. So that's good. Nothing to criticize there. Amazingly. Number five. A new mid-stakes section called Gorilla Gaming Live Action Tables. I have no idea why it's called Gorilla Gaming. Probably, I, what is Gorilla Gaming? I'm imagining maybe it's a, a like video gaming company, like console gaming. I, I don't know. Gorilla Gaming. I should Google this. No, actually, these are poker tables. It, it's not video gaming like I thought it was. It, it's actually a sponsor. Gorilla Gaming. I knew it was some kind of sponsor, but I, I assumed it was going to be some sort of video game thing, but it's not. GorillaGaming.net, legendary poker tables built just for you. So Gorilla Gaming actually buy, they actually make poker tables. If you want to buy a poker table for your house, then you go to them, I guess, if, among other possible vendors of this. So the Gorilla Gaming mid-stake section has been created for this year. This is similar to the King's Lounge, which already existed there, which is for the high-stakes games. So now there's a separate mid-stakes games section. The King's Lounge will still exist in 2019, even though the owner of the King's Casino, who the King's Lounge is associated with, uh, has ripped people off and scammed people at the World Series. Somehow it's okay to still do business with him, but uh, that's, uh, that's a different matter. But in addition to the King's Lounge, there is now the Gorilla Gaming Live Action Tables, which are the mid-stakes games. So there will be three areas now to play, actually I think probably four areas to play 
cash games at the World Series of Poker in the Rio. There is the King's Lounge for the high-stakes games. There's the Gorilla Gaming live-action tables for the mid-stakes games. There's the just regular cash tables in the pavilion room for the low-stakes games. And then there's also a low-stakes section in the normal Rio poker room, which runs year-round. That doesn't close. The King's Lounge had a lot of problems. The food service, you actually had to order food from outside vendors and not ones that are contracted in any way. They just hand you menus of people that uh, of businesses, small delivery businesses that they know are in the area. And then it takes a long time to get it. And then if you leave, you, know, you don't pay it till it comes there. So they, they encourage you to order things that other people are going to want to buy. <laughs> so, so this way they'll take your food if you leave. And that's actually what happened to me. I ordered a sandwich and then my game broke and I left. And they said, oh, no, so someone will take this sandwich. People like this, this type of sandwich. So like someone else took my sandwich. I didn't pay for it, but someone else took my sandwich. Uh, the rake was too high. There, there were a lot of issues in that King's Lounge. But it's coming back. The, I don't know what they mean by mid-stakes games. I don't know what limits that means. I assume like in no limit there would probably be like 510. Uh, in limit games, I don't know. Would, would 2040 be in there? Would 4080 be in there? Or would that be in the King's Lounge? I don't know. But what they consider mid-stakes, whatever that is, is it's going to be the guerrilla gaming area. I don't know if the rake will be higher, lower, the same as it is in the King's Lounge, and I also don't know if there's going to be perks in the Gorilla Gaming area. Are they going to give you the free food like they do? Like When I say free food, there's like little hors d'oeuvres and stuff you can access there and some free drinks you can access there. So I wonder if they're going to have that in the Gorilla Gaming or they're not. I don't know. We will see. There will be a $200 Gavin Smith Memorial Tournament. It's going to take place on May 28th at 6 p.m. And the proceeds will go to his family. Some portion of the prize pool is going to go to Gavin Smith's family to help support them with Gavin Smith having passed away. I do want to mention, again, that regardless of what you think of Gavin Smith... You should be wary of any charities for his family because I think, and I'm not sure, but I think this money would be going to his ex-wife, who is the mother of his two children. And Gavin, for all of his issues, for all of his problems, had full custody of these two kids. Full custody! And the mother wasn't even living in the same state. He was in Texas and the mother was in Alaska. So this shows you how messed up the mom must have been if a degenerate like Gavin had full custody. If he was the parent to get the full custody, what was the mom like? It must have been terrible. The mom must have really been screwed up. So she's the only one left now. Gavin's gone. She's the only one left. And presumably she's going to get the money. So if I understand wanting to help out these kids, and I feel bad for the kids, obviously. But I don't know how smart it is to give lump sums of money to a woman that was so irresponsible that someone like Gavin Smith had full custody of the kids in a different state. That's very unusual. 
So that's that's going on, though. This uh, Gavin Smith Memorial Tournament on May 28th, which is kind of like right before the World Series begins, like the night before. Not a bracelet event, in case you're wondering. And finally, perhaps the biggest development, you can now wire money to the World Series of Poker and put it in a tournament account, which you can use to register for tournaments online and then print out your seat card at a kiosk. Therefore, you get to completely bypass standing in line to buy into tournaments. So you wire money first. The money's in a tournament account. You can use an app where you can go online to pick the tournament you want to register for, and then all you need to do at that point is go to a kiosk they're going to have. I don't know how many they're going to be, but you can go to a kiosk and print out your seat card once you've registered for the tournament. On the surface, this seems very good. They have made attempts in the past to have an electronic registration system because they've, they've been lacking this all these years. But there's, there's been attempts going all the way back to 2007 to have pre-registration systems where you buy in beforehand. But they always got stuck on the whole thing with getting the seat card. And they tried this back in 2007 and it was a disaster there was actually a line of more than six hours to complete your pre-registration and convert it to a real registration in 2007. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I saw it. You wouldn't believe this line. It was, it was horrendous. I didn't do it. I, I suspected this was going to be full of fail. And every time they've tried to do any kind of pre-registration thing, it's been full of fail. So this is the first year that you can actually wire money to a tournament account and then go online to actually register. So you're completely registered. There's no pre-registration crap anymore. You're actually registered, and the only thing you still need to do is just print out the C-card at a kiosk. Now, there still remains a possible point of failure, and that is if the kiosks are either broken, as would happen in 2007, or not enough of them, there could be a tremendous line for them, and then you've just defeated the whole purpose. And you've already bought in, so you can't just say, well, I don't want to do it this way anymore, I'll just go to the cage. You can't. You're stuck. You have to use the kiosk, and you may be on a long line. So that's, a, that's one thing to watch out for. Now, you can avoid it by just going to the kiosk at a weird hour, like 4 a.m., but then again, you could also register for tournaments at that time with no line. So... Uh, that could be a possible point of failure if there's a huge line for the kiosk or if they don't work well or if they're not working at all. And I could easily see that happening. And then there's also the concern of fees. Before we get to the fees, the good things about this are that, number one, it solves the problem of having to bring a lot of cash to the World Series to buy into tournaments. If If you have a fairly big tournament schedule at the World Series, the money adds up very quickly, and you have to bring a ton of cash to the World Series and worry about where to put it, and that it doesn't get stolen. And now you don't have to do that. Now you can just wire the money to an account, no one can touch it, and it's only used to play tournaments. Now, it was made clear that you cannot, and this is made clear by the Twitter account, by the way, not, not by the webpage, but it was made clear that you cannot withdraw this money. So you can't go withdraw it to go play cash games or do something else with it, that this is only for buying into World Series of Poker tournaments. What if there's money left over? Then they will send it back the way you sent it. Means Whatever bank you wired it from, they will wire it back to that same account. 
when you're done with it. But you, what you can't do is go to the cage and say, okay, well, there, I, I see there's $11,000 in my tournament account. I'd like 2000 from there, please. You can't do that. They will either wire it back to your bank or let you play tournaments with it. That's it. But that does solve the problem of having to bring a lot of cash to the World Series and store it. And it also allows you to bypass all the lines except for the potential ones of the kiosks. That's, those are the good parts. The bad part, besides the kiosk potential problems, is the fact that uh, there, there could be fees. So I, I tried to ask about the fees, and nobody responded to me on Twitter. But Alan Kessler claims to know. So Alan Kessler said that the fees are, quote, only $3, which is more than fair. So I said, hmm, $3. Well, yeah, if it's only $3 to establish this account and wire the money in, that is fair. Yeah, that's that's fine. It's kind of weird to charge $3, but fine. If I can get this thing established and running for 3 bucks, yeah, I'll do it. Totally worth it. But they go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it $3 one time? Or is it $3 per tournament? Because let's say you enter 20 tournaments, that's 60 bucks. That's not a lot of money, but it kind of sucks. You know, why, why, why should you have to pay fees for this? You're actually saving them money on, on cashiers. You're saving them a lot of labor. So Kessler actually said back, well, it's actually $3 per tournament. Ugh. Amazingly, Alan Kessler, of all people, the cheapest man in poker, maybe the cheapest man alive, the, the guy accused of going and getting a water cup from a restaurant and then filling it with soda. Todd Brunson accused him of that. The guy who was accused of registering for tournaments and then unregistering just so he can get the food voucher from registering. This same guy was okay with the $3 per tournament. I was shocked of all people. So I asked him, how can you, Alan Kessler, be okay with this $3 when it's like it's bothering me? And he says, well, come on. It's such a small percentage of the buy-in. It's a $3 flat fee regardless of the amount of the tournament you're buying in. And I go, look, no, it's the principle of the thing. And he says, well, no, this is not them keeping the money. This is what they're being charged by their processor. Now, this really confuses me because they shouldn't have a processor at that point. The processor should only be for the wiring. Once they have the money in a tournament account, then they should be able to transfer it to their own tournaments without a $3 fee each time. If they're really using some third-party vendor who's charging them 3 bucks each time this is done, they're totally doing it wrong. They should have had a system set up which they maintain. They should have bought or rented some system that they maintain where they receive the money. Then they can transfer it to themselves for tournament buy-ins, and then they can refund the money back via wire when the person's done. I would understand fees in and out, but the $3 per tournament is crap, and there may be fees in and out as well. I don't know. I haven't gotten an answer about what the exact fees are. But even $3 per tournament, I'm probably not going to do it. Between the fact that the kiosk may be a point of failure or a point of a long line, and the fact that they're taking $3 for this, which they shouldn't, it just pisses me off. I'd, I'd rather just walk down there I'm going to be there a lot. Like I, I'm, I'm in that area a lot. Whether playing, whether going to visit somebody who's playing, whether yeah, there's a lot of times I'm walking in that area. Sometimes I'll just walk over there to take a walk. You know, I just want to get out of my room, take a little walk, and I'll walk over there and register. Like it's not a big deal. 
One thing you don't say during the World Series is, "Wow, I don't get to walk around enough. Wow, I, I don't get enough exercise." Like you're, you're sitting in a you're sitting in a chair most of the day, <laughs> you know? and if you're not, you're off in your hotel room sitting around or lying around. So a walk's not that bad for you. Now I don't want to wait in long lines, but what I've just been doing is I go down at off hours, and or if I'm already there at off hours, and I register for the next day's tournament. I don't need to pay three bucks for that per, per time. That's crap. And you know what? Even if they are paying three bucks to a third-party vendor who's doing it for them, just eat it. They make so much money there on all the rake from each tournament. They they can't eat three bucks for the relatively small percentage of the people that are using this method and saving them labor. You got to be kidding me! Where they can charge me for the bathroom next because they have to pay janitors to clean it? Stupid. So if that's the case, I'm not going to use it. And that's that's really obnoxious. I don't have confirmation, but Kessler seems pretty sure that's the case. Don't know where he got the info. Something I don't hear that they're doing this year, and they're probably not doing, is they are probably not changing the food situation at the Rio, which means that everything's going to shut down at 11 p.m. or midnight, which is really annoying. I believe room service ends at 11. Most of the restaurants close by 11 or midnight. And all of them are closed except for the sports deli by, like, I think 12 or 1. Which may sound late to you, but remember, a lot of these tournaments don't even end until after that. So you get out of a tournament at 2 a.m., make day 2, you're happy, you want to go have something to eat. Oops, can't do it. You played a 3 p.m. event, which has no dinner break, as they don't. You get to day 2, great. Time to finally eat. Nope, can't do it. Except the sports deli, which sucks. Why they don't expand room service during those seven weeks? Why they don't expand the hours of the American Bar and Grill for those seven weeks? I don't know. I keep suggesting it. They ignore me. So that problem and others will persist there at the World Series of Poker in 2019. And I'm sure some new problems that we don't know about. And I would not be surprised if during the first week of the World Series, I make a segment here about the kiosks messing up and people having tremendous problems with them and playing the sound effect pretty often. <laughs> Trader Risk, are you still there? But I'm, I'm I am. Grapple with the words. Can you still hear my, my sound effects I play? I can. Oh, good. So, so my, my next question f- for you is, uh, would you consider using that wire thing and would the $3 bother you? Yeah, I think per tournament... I'd have to see it working. I mean, I guess I don't play that many tournaments, so it's probably not that big of a deal as far as that goes. But um, uh, if it worked perfectly, I'd probably do it. Yeah, there's, you know, there's been some times where I'm I'm sitting I'm sitting in my room and I just don't feel like going down there. I'm just not in the mood to walk all the way down there and register for the next day's event. And then I kind of feel like I have to because if I don't, there'll be a line the next day. Though I do have the diamond room, so at least that brings it down somewhat. But still, there can be lines to some of these popular events. But then, you know, is that really worth it? Like, you're really exposing yourself to potential fail with the kiosks. And the first year of things, they never seem to do things well. So definitely bring up a good point that you should really wait and see how this works. When I first read about this, before I even knew about the fees, I assumed there's going to be no fees. And I go, oh, this sounds like a great idea. You know, where can I wire the money? I'm like, hold on a second. 
like I started writing it up. I go, hmm, you know what? This kiosk kind of scare me. Yeah, that was that was the point of failure twelve years ago, and I could see it happening again. Like, if, just think if they don't work, what a disaster that'll be. Or think if they only have one for everybody, what a disaster that'll be. So yeah, they. I think you have to take a wait and see attitude, even if the three dollars doesn't bother you per tournament. And uh, yeah, if you're not playing as many tournaments, like let's say you're going to only come there and play uh, three 10k events. Then it's probably worth it because you're you're really paying a very tiny percentage of the buy-in. You're paying nine dollars, and you're out of a thirty thousand dollar buy-in, and you don't have to bring that type of cash there. So that that could easily be worth it. If you're playing a a whole lot of fifteen hundreds and thousand dollar events, then there even ones that are less than that, you may not want to do it. It may just be too much of a hassle, especially if you have access to the diamond room, where the lines are a lot shorter. By the way, a little tip to people here. The Diamond Room, you may wonder, how stringent are they with the Diamond Room? They do have a security guard posted who checks your Diamond Card and makes sure you're eligible to enter the room. There used to be a trick, which I didn't have to utilize because I was always a Diamond or 7 Star, but there used to be a trick where if you entered the Payout Room... It was the same thing as the diamond room. You could just enter that way and bypass the security guard, but they separated the rooms last year, so you can't do that anymore. So there is a security guard blocking the room, and he'll make you show him your diamond card. But I will say that the security card the security guard only cares that you have a diamond card, not that it's valid currently, not that it isn't it is your diamond card. He only cares that you have a diamond card. I'm not encouraging anything, but I'm just telling you the way it works there. That they have a security guard who's only checking that you are in the possession of a diamond card that they can quickly view and see is a diamond card. Now, if it's one from like 10 years ago, then it won't look right. But uh, just letting you know. At my own peril, because that means if you don't belong in there and you sneak in thanks to this advice, then uh, you'll make a longer line for me. And I will have egg on my face. I have a right to be in that room, though, because I am a Diamond member. A legitimate Diamond member in 2019. Not 7-star anymore, but I am Diamond. All righty. Let's move on to the next topic. There is a coordinated bust today. Or earlier, I guess it's now yesterday, because it's technically May 2nd. But May 1st, there was a coordinated bust in Texas against their card rooms there. And there's fear now around Texas that there's going to be more coming and that more rooms might be seeing some trouble. Before we begin, it's important to understand what Texas card rooms actually are. Texas does not have traditional card rooms like other states, like California, like New Jersey, like Nevada, like Arizona, and like many other states I could name. In Texas, it is absolutely illegal under state law to run a poker game and take rake. Can't do it. Can't get a license for it. Can't do it. Just not allowed. And Texas is a very populous state. So there's a lot of desire to play poker. There are some well-known players who've come up through the Texas card room scene that has existed for a long time. 
So the players that you've heard of who are from the Houston area, the Dallas area, that lived there for a long time, they probably played in these underground rooms. And that's where they learned to become the players they are today. Maybe they eventually moved to other locations, but if that's where they started, that's probably where they were playing. In these card rooms, which aren't quite underground. They're they're actual card rooms that exist in a quasi-legal state. Now, what do I mean by quasi-legal? Well, remember, it's illegal to run a card room that takes rake. But, what if you have a card room that takes no rake? That would actually be legal, right? And this is to protect the ability for people to have home poker games. This way, if you have three of your buddies over to your house and play a poker game, obviously no rake is taken. This is not illegal. They do that on purpose so people are not breaking the law if they just want to play a poker game with their buddies. But if, if there's an, a business that that exists to run poker games and makes money from it, for, from operating poker games, that's what they don't want. I don't agree with that state law, but that's the law there. So, what if you want to run a card room in Texas, and you don't want it to be underground? You want it to be above board and above ground, but you've got to make money somehow, but you can't charge a rake. So what do you do? Well, what if you had a private social club where people have to pay to be members? And what if it just so happens at the social club that people like to play poker with each other? And what if a perk of the social club is that it actually provides dealers who will be dealing the games to you? Is that illegal? Probably not. There are social clubs out there. What if people at the social club want to play poker with each other? That's pretty much the same as someone playing a poker game at their house, right? As long as there's no rake charged. But that may not be enough. You know, people pay a membership fee, but then after that, the business doesn't make any money on these tournaments and and cash games it's running. That's not really enough to support the whole structure of a poker room. Unless the member fees are really, really high, in which case no one's going to pay them and the games are not going to run. So how can you have an ongoing charge while people play poker without there being a rake and without it being illegal. Well, there is an er- <clears throat> there is a solution to that. How about a seat or usage charge where they charge you not a rake, but just a charge to use the poker facilities. So you're either renting that seat or you're just paying uh, an extra fee to use that particular area of the social club. And that is the way that they've gotten around it. They have a membership fee and they have a usage or seat fee. The membership fee is something you pay regularly, like monthly, weekly, yearly, whatever the the club wants to charge. Sometimes even daily. But then they also have a usage fee. I'm going to read you from thetexaspokerclub.com their rules on the matter. This is just one I just picked out of randomly. 
Questions. Is the Texas Poker Club members only? Answer. Yes, the Texas Poker Club is strictly membership-based, whether for individuals, groups, or corporate outings. Memberships are available in daily, monthly, and yearly options. Current membership pricing is $10 per day, $75 per month, $500 per year, or $1,500 lifetime. There is also a one-time $5 membership activation fee. How does the Texas Poker Club charge for club access? Members must pay a $2 check-in fee upon entering the club. Once members are checked in, they have access to any and all the amenities and activities. Members must pay seat rental fees each visit of $10 an hour. So they also have a check-in fee they hit you with, too. That uh, Just to check into the club, uh, it costs you another $2. So this is all kind of a sham. This is all pseudo-rake. This is a, what they do in lieu of rake. This is really a rake, but they're, they've got to do it in a way that makes it look legal. So they even spell this out later in this webpage. Why don't you charge a flat fee for poker tournaments? Texas law expressly prohibits any direct costs for activities involving gambling. A fee to play in a poker tournament doesn't fit within the realm of legality. The Texas Poker Club has absolutely zero economic participation in any gambling fees, odds, wagers, proceeds, rakes, commissions, etc. When you play in a whether you play in a $100 tournament or a million dollar tournament at the Texas Poker Club, you only pay for your membership and club access. All money in in all tournaments is paid out 100% to tournament participants. The processes and policies are designed to keep the Texas Poker Club house compliant with state law. So, there it is. So that's what they've been doing in Texas. And they they find lawyers who can tell them that yeah, you're you're doing it right. You're doing it legal, but there's this is there's always room for interpretation. You can find a lawyer who can interpret this for you that you're doing everything according to the letter of the law, and then the state can think otherwise. The and then they can try to clamp down. So there's been an ongoing situation there in Texas where every so often some jurisdiction decides to clamp down on this and claim that they are violating the spirit of the law and that what they're really doing is charging a rake in a roundabout fashion and that this is not really a social club. So that's what they're constantly in fear of occurring. So this is what happened on uh, May 1st, 2019, the day that just passed, as we just passed midnight that two clubs in the Houston area were busted. The Post Oak Poker Club and the Prime Social Poker Club. There were nine people charged for money laundering. And I'll explain shortly why it was money laundering and not uh, anything having to do with gambling. The district attorney said, we are charging the we, we, sorry, we are changing the paradigm regarding illegal gambling by moving up the criminal chain and pursuing fun, felony money laundering and engaging in organized crime charges against owners and operated. Players are not being targeted. So they're being clear they're not there to bust players, but they're there to bust operators of these rooms. They froze these two clubs' bank accounts and are trying to seize them. The people arrested were charged with money laundering, a first-degree felony. 
The Houston police chief named Art Acevedo said, we can't allow illegal gambling to go on. It drives organized crime and fuels other criminal activity. The investigation was led by the District Attorney's Office Money Laundering Division and the Police Department's Vice Division. Last year, there were 36, almost 36 people, nearly 3,000 people, that were arrested in Chinatown involving illegal gambling, though not poker to my knowledge, uh, including three police officers. So this is the latest enforcement activity. There's some fear now in Texas that there's going to be more busts like this, that this is going to be a big turning point and they're going to start just nailing all these clubs where it's, it's been of questionable legality for quite some time. Because the, the law was not written for this purpose. The, the, yes, charging no rake and running a poker game is legal. Yes, having a social club is legal, but having a social club which is only a poker room where they charge a lot of fees to emulate a rake, that is not what the whole thing was intended to be. And they're finding ways to say they're really charging a rake. They can call it other things, but this is just a rake. It may not be coming out of each poker pot directly, but it's it's a rake. And the, the place that the most vulnerable is the seat charge. If they just charge a very high membership fee and then you could play as much as you want for free, that would be a lot harder to get them on. But here, when you're paying a seat charge, look, that's the same as like a, a time charge. Like Commerce even charges in some games a time charge instead of a rake. Like the 6120 Limit Hold'em game, that's a time charge. So you may say, how is that any different than the seat fee at these poker clubs in Houston? And the answer is they're not. So it is a rake. It really is. So whether you agree with the law in Texas, which I, I don't agree with, I, I think they should have poker there. I think they should just be done with this crap and just actually allow licensed, legalized poker there. But since they don't have it, I agree these rooms are breaking the law. They actually did have a bill introduced in Texas to legalize Texas card rooms and have them regulated by a government authority in the state. This is Bill HB 2669, but it was voted down. So a day later, they went and busted the largest poker room there, the Prime Social Club, and they arrested the owner. They, arrested, they busted one other room. So there's the thought that this is a, kind of a political statement. Kind of like, a, not only are we not going to legalize poker rooms in Texas, but these poker rooms that are running and pretending to be social clubs, uh, they're going to go away too. But at the same time, there's some speculation that this raid actually has to do with money laundering, and it's not about a war on poker clubs. There's some belief that uh, that there was money laundering going on through these poker clubs. Maybe it was a matter of organized crime being involved and money claiming to have been won and lost there, which in reality is just being used for money laundering. This was actually happening at the bike in Los Angeles, and they got in trouble for that. Money laundering through poker is something that goes on and is pretty obvious if you think about it. 
Because you can claim one person lost money to another person. And claim one person won a lot of money playing poker. When in reality they got the money in some illegal way. And now the money's clean. And in businesses like drugs where a lot of cash is received, but uh, you have to hide the fact that you've received so much cash because you can't explain where it came from. The ability to clean that money, to launder it, and make it seem like it came from a legitimate source, this has been a challenge for organized crime and drug dealers for many decades. And poker is an obvious way to do it. So maybe that's the concern. Maybe there's a lot of money laundering going on there and they turn a blind eye, which does happen at these card rooms. Especially if the owners of these card rooms are actually given something to keep their mouth shut. Now, A. Hoosier A, I believe he's from... uh, I don't know if he's from Texas or if he uh, was once from there, but he seems to have a lot of interest in this. I know the term A. Hoosier A would seem to imply he's in Indiana, but uh, this is what he wrote on Poker Fraudler. He wrote, uh, Working in the industry, we were provided with Title 31 training, anti-money laundering. My guess is they, they weren't making people fill out the proper paperwork and reporting it to the IRS. That could be it, too. That when people buy in or cash out for more than 10000 they are required to submit cash transaction report forms, CTRs, and they probably weren't doing that here. But I think if it was just the technicality of when someone happens to cash out 15k and they don't make them fill out forms, I don't think it would have they would have gone this far with it. It, it kind of does sound more like that there was there really was money laundering and they traced it back to these clubs and nailed them. Here are the people that were arrested and charged at the Post Oak Poker Club. Daniel Jeffrey Kibort, owner. William Jack Hewer, owner. Alan Harris Chadro, owner, Sergio Diaz Cabrera, owner, and Kevin, Kevin Lewis Chadro, owner, and then the Prime Social uh, Poker Room, Dean Maddox, owner, Mary Switzer, comptroller, Brent J. Pollock, general manager, and Stephen Farshid, assistant general manager. So it's funny, these all only owners that were charged at the Post Oak, five of them, but only a single owner, maybe there is only a single owner at the prime social was charged, but then they got the comptroller general manager and assistant general manager. Uh, so I, I don't, uh, I still don't know what the purpose of this was. If it really was aimed at the poker clubs or if it really was attempting to prevent money laundering. Uh, let's take a look at the official press release of this. It's a bad link here. Hold on. Why is this not coming up right? <laughs> this is posted by A. Hoosier A. And I'm trying to uh, get to it, but it's not coming up right. Try one more time. I'll have to give up. 
Here we are. I'll have to fix his link after the show's over. This is from the Office of the District Attorney in Harris County, Texas, headed by Kim Og. Poker clubs raided. Nine owner-operators charged with money laundering in joint effort. May 1st, 2019. Nine people were charged Wednesday with money laundering as part of an ongoing... Sorry, it's part of an engaging in organized crime investigation by the Harris District Attorney's Office and the Houston Police Department. The it was actually Harris County's District Attorney's Office. The agencies raided two poker establishments: the Post Oak Poker Club and the Prime Social Poker Club. It's very small print. That's why I'm having a hard time. I'm getting old. Getting uh, more and more difficult for me to see small print. Uh, in addition to arresting those who own or operate the establishments, the club's bank accounts through which millions of dollars have flowed were frozen and face being seized. Poker rooms are illegal in the state of Texas, District Attorney Kim Ogg said. We are charging the paradigm regarding illegal we're, we're changing the paradigm regarding uh, illegal gambling by moving up the criminal chain and pursuing felony money laundering and engaging in organized crime charges against owners and operators. Players are not being targeted. Yeah, we already saw that before. The charges, first-degree felonies, are the result of a two-year investigation by the District Attorney's Office, Money Laundering Division, and the Houston Police Department's Vice Division. We can't allow illegal gambling to go on. Houston Police Department Chief Art Acevedo said it drives organized crime and fuels the other criminal activity. Houston Police and the District Attorney's Office wrapped up an investigation last year that resulted in the arrest of nearly three dozen people, including three police officers and key gambling figures in Chinatown and elsewhere. And then they list the people charged that I read to you, and that's it. So I, most of this I already told you guys. It's still not clear to me if the, this is about the illegal gambling or if it's about the money laundering. So one part of it, they say they're moving up the criminal chain, which makes it sound like they aren't that interested in the poker part and are trying to get the money launderers. But then they, they're also saying illegal gambling can't be allowed to go on. But then the guy says it drives organized crime and fuels other criminal activity. So this does kind of sound like, in a way, like they're just tired of it. They're tired of these rooms because they're being used to money to do money laundering, and they're like, you know what? Screw the whole thing. Screw the whole thing. We're not no more illegal gambling because there's other crime that utilizes it to do more serious things that are against the law. If it were just the poker, fine, we let it go. And by the way, there there has been an attempt until not too long ago to just ignore these. Like, police departments kind of didn't want to deal with it. They kind of just were looking the other way, even knowing what these clubs really were. Because it wasn't blatantly against the law. It was just, it kind of seemed like it was, but it was a gray area. But now it seems like they're just sick of it because they believe these are being used by people engaging in organized crime to launder money. This does remind me a bit of the reason that they cracked down on uh, on Craigslist and on Backpage and things like that with uh, their prostitution sections. It wasn't so much because of the prostitution. It wasn't so much that it bothered them that 
prostitutes were getting bought by dudes who wanted to have sex and pay women for it, uh, what they were more bothered by was the crime that would ride along with it. The sex trafficking, the underage girls that are involved in it, the scams that would take place, or were the violence that would sometimes take place where pimps would show up and mug guys for money or demand more money that wasn't agreed to. There's a lot of bad things rode along with prostitution that was pushing the enforcement of it more than the sex itself. And they felt like a lot of jurisdictions felt that if they didn't do something about the prostitution that was taking place on these sites that were facilitating it, that these bad things would continue to happen, that there would be the human sex trafficking, that there would be the underage girls working these jobs, that there would be the scams and the people being violently mugged or attacked who would engage in it. So if it really were just the exchange of money for sex and nothing else between two consenting adults, then they probably would let it go. But it was all the other stuff that made them want to crack down on it. And that's what I would bring up to to those who would decry the fact that Backpage got in trouble for it. Saying, what's the government doing? Why are they reaching into this? I said, well, hold on a second. They're not, they're not that concerned about you going and getting a hooker and banging her for money. They're concerned with all that other stuff I just talked about. And that stuff really does happen. That's the reality. You can pretend it doesn't, but, you, but that's the reality. And that stuff's a lot more serious. So I think that's kind of what they're saying here. And if so, these clubs are stupid to have let it go on because they were existing in a legal gray area anyway and it seemed like they had the pseudo-cooperation of law enforcement who knew what was going on there but because it was a legal gray area, they they weren't touched. And then they had to press their luck, possibly, with with money laundering. Let's take a call here. That's weird. Oops. Call your call back. I was trying to add you to uh, to the call with uh, with Trader Ruski, and it, it failed. Still there, Trader Ruski? Someone's trying to call from the seven six five area. You can call back if you want. It was an accidental hang up on you. It's so weird. It usually allows me to add people, but then this time it didn't. It's so strange. Skype is such a strange program. Let me, uh, I'm going to try to add that person back. Let me try that. I have their number, provided that's really the correct number. Whoop. It's not, no, it's, it's not just, <laughs> what did I just do here? Okay, back with Trader Ruski here. It's not just letting me add the person to the call. What a pain in the ass. Skype is really a piece of crap. So I had to manually copy the number down, which is stupid. This better be a good call. I'm actually going to call the person back. Connect them on with us. Trader Risk, are you there? We may not even have him here anymore. He may be gone. <laughs> All that to save Trader Ruski on here. He's not even here. 
All right, I'm, I'm just dropping Trader Ruski. I'll make it easier. He's not responding. He's probably sleeping. So we'll just uh, we'll just pretend he wasn't here. We'll call this person back. See what we get. I'll be ready to hang up if it says the phone number in the voicemail. Let's see who was calling in. Caller, you're on the air. I'm calling you now. Yeah, hey, Druff. It's uh, Ehud Ray. How are you? Okay, yeah, hi. Yeah, sorry about that. I was trying to mess with Skype. You know how that is. So so what's going on? What do you have to add to this? Yeah, so uh, for, first of all, I'm from Indiana, but I currently live in Texas. Uh, okay. So that's where the uh, the reason why I have such a, a large interest in it is, uh, like, I, I live three hours from Houston. Um, but uh, I actually worked an event, uh, the WT. WPT Deep Stacks there in Houston and kind of got to see uh, how one of the clubs, Free Rolls Poker Club, uh, ran their operations, at least at that time. And I saw some really shady stuff going on uh, to the point where, I mean, if you don't remember uh, or if you didn't even hear about the WPT Deep Stacks Houston event. No, I did. We co- we covered uh, it We covered it on the show where the shady stuff going on it, there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually was the uh, the tournament director of that event, and uh, believe it or not, at the time I'd only actually been dealing uh, on the circuit for about two months before I was the uh, tournament director, um, and I was the person with the most experience at that event. So, uh, but anyway, like I have a lot of friends that deal in Houston. Uh, I'm not saying that all the clubs are shady. Um, but just from what I saw by working at the one club, and then I've talked to a couple of my friends that, that have worked in a couple of the other clubs about, you know, whether they're, uh, you know, like where the title 31, uh, thing that I came, you know, input that I added to was, uh, neither from my knowledge and from inside information, neither prime social or post followed the Title 31 protocols by filling out cash transaction reports and suspicious activity reports. And so I thought, you know, maybe that's where they threw in the, you know, going back to what you had said on something completely different, they overcharged somebody to where they could still catch them on some of the lower charges. I mean, I'm not no lawyer, uh, not no Eric Benzamokin, but I thought maybe that's where that came in, but maybe not. Well, here's what I'm wondering, though. If that's true, what was the motivation? That would be the way they were doing it, but what would be the motivation to go after them now if it's just, uh, okay, they're not filling out CTR forms? Like, couldn't they warn them? Couldn't they say, hey, you guys better start doing this. There's going to be a problem. We're fine them. Like, why, why, why is it this bust with the money laundering and all that? Why, why, why go after them now if they've existed all this time for in this way unless either, one, they're deciding that they're just changing it and they're not going to tolerate this gambling anymore, maybe to send a message after that, that bill failed, or maybe they really, they said it's a two-year investigation, maybe they were investigating money laundering and it led to those clubs and then like, oh crap, we've been ignoring these clubs all this time, but uh, like it, it's been a vehicle for money laundering, we can't ignore it anymore. I, I, that's to me the most likely scenario, but I could be wrong. Right, and, and, and I agree. I mean, some of the stuff is just speculation. Uh, a lot of it's speculation until we're actually able to read the indictment. Um, something else that actually 
I've not really got a chance to look into, but I saw it on uh, Facebook. I saw somebody post something that uh, on the Houston's 10 o'clock news, there was a little bit more information from the the chief of police there in Houston who said that they're not done, that they're going to go after further clubs. And uh, I also read that uh, possibly the other clubs have received a... uh, notice to shut down or they could be subject to uh future raids wow okay you know what i actually i meant to do this earlier but i actually have access to a facebook group that uh that discusses this and i i think you're in that group too aren't you yeah Houston poker life yeah so have you seen there are the is that where you saw that that there was notices about this because i know that uh yeah <clears throat> yeah, that's where I've been finding a lot of my information. Okay. Yeah, because I know that's, that's a, a, a group for Houston poker players, and I kind of just lurk there because I'm not a I'm not a Houston poker player, so I don't want to interfere with anything. But uh, I do say they started a thread for, like, serious discussion of this, and they don't want rumors. This is, yeah, the, the thread's called Poker Raid News. Please use this thread to only post verified and factual info. Rumors deleted, and there's like 131 posts there. I haven't. I meant to go through it all, but I I, I didn't. And uh, uh, but uh, so you you saw there that there. Do you know how many rooms got notices that they had to stop? Uh, I I don't. I actually haven't had a chance. Uh, I, I've been listening to the show, and I wasn't lurking on Facebook. But the one thing that I saw, it like that. The thing about. The, the other clubs being served notices was just a comment uh, from another person on there, so uh, I'm not sure that. But as far as the, share, uh, the the chief of police saying that they are going after clubs, that was an actual news article that I read. Um, I don't I don't recall from what news site I could probably find it posted on the uh, the forum, but uh, that came out at like the 10 o'clock news later tonight that they were not done and that they were going to continue to go after other clubs if they don't shut down. Yeah, well, here's here's something that might be supporting that. Someone got on that group got a text message from the Players Poker Club, and here's what it said. Uh, Players Poker Club, our tournament has been canceled tonight. We will be closed tonight due to the weather. Have a nice evening and be uh, safe. It's some terrible weather out there in Houston. How is the weather over there, by the way? Is it is it bad or not? Uh, I'm actually in Indiana right now. Oh, you're in Indiana. Know. Okay. But I, I have a feeling that the, the weather wasn't the reason here. <laughs> just closed. <laughs> so there's some scared poker clubs out here for sure. And let's see yeah. what else I can find. That's, that's all I can see at the moment. But, yeah, it's it, it is possible that... They are starting to drop the hammer on a lot of these, and we will see. Uh, someone says that Kim Og is up for re-election next year, and that's the reason they think this is happening. But yeah, I mean, honestly, like I believe a lot of these. Uh, I'd like to believe that most of these clubs are running legitimately. I mean, I know uh, from when I, you know, worked at the WT that. Uh, WPT event, you know, there's a lot of dealers in Houston that rely on this kind of work for their livelihood, and this is going to really put a, a damper 
on on those people, and I feel for them. And I just wish that uh, you know Texas would find a way to get this out of the gray area and have protection for you know not only the clubs and stuff, but also for the players and the employees as well. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh... Well, also, they they actually changed the Houston Poker Live to a secret group, where you can't even search for it anymore. They changed that today, so there there's some concern over there already that people are going to try to spy on this group for, for law enforcement purposes. So that's uh, there's a lot of scared people involved in this whole thing, and uh, yeah, th- th- yeah it, it's it's you have to wonder. It's it's just a question of why it is. If you if this really is just over money laundering and, and your club has not been involved in that, then you're probably safe. But if this is over making some kind of public spectacle that uh, that these poker rooms are not going to be tolerated anymore, then, yeah, there's going to be others that get nailed, too, I'm guessing. So we'll we'll have to see what happens. It's an interesting situation. It's uh, Now, are you, are you working for any of these anymore or are you not? Uh, I, I am a traveling poker dealer. Right now, I'm... I, do a lot of my work with the Heartland Poker Tour. Okay, so so this won't directly affect you though if this happens, if they uh, clamp down on a lot of them, or will it? No, it won't affect me one bit. Okay, well that's good. But yeah, for those that out there that that work in these poker rooms or use those poker rooms as your prime way to play poker, I, I feel bad for you if it ends up affecting you. It does seem that they're not going after players, so you don't have to worry about being arrested. At these rooms, they just seem to be after the operators of these rooms, and it remains to be seen what the purpose of this is. I think it'll come out shortly when we see what their claims actually are of what the charges are and what the justification for the charges are and what they claim was going on there. And if it seems to be focused more on actual money laundering, then we think we have our answer. If it's focusing more on the illegal gambling, then we have our answer. And if it's... uh, the only problem is if it is focused on the money laundering, they could just be deciding, you know what, we're not going to just nail the ones that we know the money laundering is happening. We're just, we're just going to hit everyone because we're, we're, we think it can happen anywhere. We think if we don't get rid of them all, then it's just going to move. They may be, they may have that attitude. Right, yeah, I think it's definitely going to be an uh, interesting couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, again, hopefully it works out for the best, but in my opinion, it's not looking very good. Yeah, it isn't. And they, there's been a question. I, I read an article back in October about these about these rooms and wondering when the hammer is going to fall. So I, I think we're getting our answer. The the hammer's falling in May 2019, at least partially. Yeah. So, all right. Yeah, I just wanted to provide a little bit of insight on that, and uh, I'll let you move on with the segment and uh, move on with the show. All right. Thank you. Good night. Yep, see you, Jeff. That was A. Hoosier A. Who brought details of this story. I was going to cover it anyway. I heard about it through Facebook, but uh, he brought a lot of good stuff to the story, and his phone call was interesting as well, and I thank him for that. He also brought us that other story we did about the shadiness at that WPT Deep Stacks that he was uh, working with. And that story, which I won't bother to go over again, but that story was an example of one of these clubs that was not running in an honest fashion. And that is always a problem. And that extended, by the way, to these online poker sites. That's why we had problems that we have had over the years with online poker. Is that when something's illegal or quasi-legal, and some people choose to engage in it anyway, from the operator's standpoint, 
this tends to attract the less than stellar human beings. Not always, but often. Because who is most willing to break the law? People who have broken the law before. And if you get criminals who've been convicted of criminal activities in the past running businesses that you're involved in, then bad things are going to happen. So when something has to run where the people are running it are taking a risk, then often those are people who have taken risks with breaking the law for money before, and uh, they're not always the best people. So uh, that could be what's going on in Texas, that in addition to shady things like at the WPT deep stacks that happened some months ago that we reported here, that maybe some of these rooms are allowing money laundering to go on in order to make some extra cash. So that would be too bad if that's what ruined everything, that they got too greedy and allowed their rooms to be used for that purpose. That's really the last thing you should do if you're already barely able to operate without the police busting you. The last thing you want to do is start throwing things in which are really definitely illegal and taken very seriously, like money laundering. All right, here's what I'm going to do. We're going to move on, but it's almost 1 a.m. The show has been on for four hours. We have a number of topics left to cover. Uh, Let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight topics. Oh, my God. We have eight topics left, and it's 1 a.m. Oh, boy. I can't believe that. I hope we can get through them. These are not long topics. We did the long topics at the beginning. We're going to run through them pretty fast, but still going to take some time. So what I got to do is I have to take a break. I have to use the bathroom. I have to do the rinse in my throat so I can be able to keep talking without my throat hurting. And I'll be back shortly after this ad for the man you heard on here earlier, Eric Benzamokin. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. 
And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin. Eric at eblawfirm.us. All right, moving on to our next topic here. A big Twitter dispute. Actually, it was uh, it was actually more on Instagram than Twitter, but a social media dispute, shall I say, occurred between a sometimes poker player and a famous rapper. That's the reason we're covering it, because the the guy involved, one of the two involved, plays poker. But Randall Emmett, who is a producer. And has been seen playing poker. He's kind of a fish if you've seen him on TV. But he he plays poker sometimes at uh, various stakes. He actually enters some pretty low buy-in tournaments sometimes. So he plays very high. He plays very low. He just seems to like poker. Some of these guys who have a lot of money just enjoy poker. They're not so much playing for the money. So Randall Emmett, who is 48 years old, he is uh, a producer, and he is uh, known for films such as Two Guns, Lone Survivor, Silence. Not a major figure, but still, he's a, he's a producer who's been involved with some real theatrical films, especially uh, dating back all the way to... Uh, 1998. He actually began his career as a personal assistant to Mark Wahlberg in 1995. Then in 1998, he co-founded Emmett Furla Films with uh, George Furla. Right now it's called Emmett Furla Oasis Films when they had another partner join in. He was previously married to an actress named Amber Childers. And they were married from 2009 until 2017. Amber Childers was in uh, the NBC drama Aquarius. She was in Ray Donovan and also in the Netflix series called You. She's uh, younger than Randall by a lot of years. She's only 30. He is 48. Uh, They divorced in 2017. He married her when she was only 21. They have two children together. Since then, Randall has had a girlfriend. 
The girlfriend is Lala Kent, who's also known. She's from the reality series Vanderpump Rules, which is a spinoff from the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And it uh, airs on Bravo. The reason it's called Vanderpump Rules is that there is a cast member on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills called uh, named uh, Lisa Vanderpump. And this new series centers around her and her restaurant in uh, West Hollywood. So Lala is on this show, Lala Kent. So this is what happened. Um, It's interesting how these things can play out on social media. Before social media, you would never see things like this. At most, you'd read about it in a magazine like The Inquirer, but you wouldn't get to see it playing out back and forth as it's occurring as a, a regular person not connected to Hollywood. But now on social media, you can. Sometimes you'll actually see battles between famous people on social media, which is interesting. This is one of those cases. So here's what occurred. It all started when, uh, of all things, Randall Emmett was on Poker After Dark Live, and he started acting very kind of frazzled, kind of nervous, kind of distracted. And people were noticing that he was really paying attention to his phone. The reason this was happening was that 50 Cent, yes, that 50 Cent, was texting him and was getting angry because 50 Cent claimed that Randall owed him one million dollars. And that he's owed him it for six years, which is insane because Randall Emmett uh, lives a pretty high-flying lifestyle. He flies on private jets. I think he was friends with Antonio Esfandiari. It took him on the private jet. He, he was on these high-stakes poker games, throwing around all kinds of money. So you'd think this is the type of guy who wasn't going to have a hard time coming up with a million dollars in six years. You would think this guy would have many millions sitting around. Not someone who had to borrow a million and couldn't pay it for six years, even though he's playing high-stakes poker and living these uh, extravagant lifestyles. So, uh, 50 Cent decided he had enough and decided that he was going to demand that Randall pay up the money and start threatening him if he doesn't pay. And so he tried this. 50 Cent tried. And uh, he wasn't getting anywhere. He was getting the typical excuses that we hear about in poker when someone who owes money doesn't want to pay and will try to make the other side feel sorry for him. So 50 Cent actually posted some of these text exchanges. So here's one of them. This is Randall's part. Randall saying, I'm sorry again. I really am. I'm, I said I'm sorry, Fofty. And this became a, a joke on social media, the Fofty part, which I'll get to shortly. I'm heading to emergency room. I'm not doing well. Please don't text me anymore. I'm sorry for everything. This is too much for me. I'm so hurt and not feeling well. 
Now my ex is fucking with me after your post. This is bad, very bad for me on all levels. Going to ER to make sure not having heart attack. Please, 50, no more. This was after uh, 50 Cent had uh, had already called him out for for having owed him money. And uh, and, and 50 Cent... Um, well, actually, I think that, here's where it started, actually. I think it started with this post where he posted Lala Kent talking about how Emmett gave her a Range Rover just for having one night of sex with her. Basically, in the first night they had sex, and then he presented her with a Range Rover. Listen to this. And sent his assistant up to ask me if I was an actress. I told him to go to my Instagram account. Today, I get a phone call that says, you have an audition. That's crazy. I had auditioned for it, and we went out, me and him, and like two of my friends, and... I let him hit it the first night and we were inseparable. He would just send me like really expensive gifts. The first night we banged, I got a car the next day. He was like, do you want a Range Rover? I was like, yeah. There's been a lot of times where I'm like, come to a hotel and I'll like put a wig on and I'll have him meet me at the bar. I'll be named Tiffany and I'll do anything to be in a movie, like give blowjobs. Yeah, Shut totally. The uh, like when Rancer, Flavi, and Act ask questions, I'm just like, does Daddy want to play with Lala's? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> does Daddy want Lala to play with your? <laughs> so this this was aired on uh, on Bravo, and Fifty Cent posted a clip of this. He just posted what I played you. It's a minute clip of the kind of the highlights from it, of her talking about what they did as, as she was saying how. She, he was giving her all these expensive gifts, gave her a Range Rover after the first night of having sex, and that uh, they they would pretend they'd meet up and pretend like she's trying to get a role in his movie, and the, you know, what can she do for him? So he was trying to humiliate Randall and make it look like his current relationship is just almost like a prostitute in her John. What he wrote was. 10 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Hose are winning. Do you want a Range Rover? Yes, bitch, yes. Then run out and suck a dick. LOL, shaking my head. Hashtag, uh, it's something I don't understand what this is. Lechem in Duroy, and then hashtag Branson Cognac. So I think that's what started the whole thing. I think it was him posting that first. That's what he's talking about with his ex giving him a hard time. So that's that that made it onto Bravo. So then then came that thing I read you there, where uh, Randall was uh, texting Fifty Cent, claiming he's heading to the emergency room. He's not doing well. So th- this is something that scammers and deadbeats like to use. They like to try to make you feel sorry for them when, when they owe you money. That. This has become too much. They can't handle it. They're having health problems. They're really sorry, but they've got, they've got to take care of themselves right now. This is the this has been used before. He's not the first one to use this. So he he supposedly was checking into the emergency room, which he then sent a picture of himself in the emergency room, where they, he's like on a treadmill with with things hooked up to his chest. And this is all BS. I mean, he he wasn't having a heart attack. This was uh, the whole thing was for show. The whole thing was for show. He wanted to show Fifty Cent that that he's. 
not able to handle this right now and to please leave him alone. It's a stupid tactic here. 50 Cent clearly wasn't feeling sorry for him. 50 Cent wrote back to him, to that whole thing. Get the fuck out of here, Randall. You told your girl to say that bullshit because when we had dinner, it was talking about your elf directing. You, you fucking loser. Did you tell her you owed me a million dollars over six years? Keep playing with me and get your fucking head cracked in in front of everybody. So he was threatening him. He's going to crack his head in front of everybody. <laughs> so he, then 50 Cent posted another exchange between them. This is what he wrote about Lala, Randall. He said, "This is my, she is my fiancé, and I asked you to be in my wedding last week. I'm sorry. And then 50 Cent wrote back, fuck that. I told you I wasn't fucking with you. What the fuck would you want me in your wedding for? Like, I ain't got shit else to do? Get the fuck out of here. You took my kindness for weakness. Now I'm going to show you what I've been trying not to do to you dumb motherfuckers. So then he wrote back, I said, I'm sorry, Fofty. I apologize. I don't know why I kept typing Fofty instead of 50. Sometimes he typed 50, sometimes he said Fofty. So the I'm sorry, Fofty became viral, and people, it became a viral hashtag, Fofty. And this, uh, this was really getting a lot of attention from people who were watching this whole thing. Here you have a Hollywood producer who's being intimidated and yelled at by a rapper, and he seems very scared about a million bucks he's owed for six years. And as aggressive as 50 Cent was, as threatening as he was, I, I, I kind of understood it because you know here's a guy who, who's owed him money for six years. I think what probably got Fofty so angry was seeing that he's giving Range Rovers and other expensive gifts to, to girls he was trying to impress – instead of starting to pay off the million. So I, I think he was getting pissed that the money was going everywhere but to him. So he, he figured he's got to start threatening him, and he started using social media to do it, to humiliate him. So Randall Emmett uh, then tried to stop the posting going on. He says, have an idea. Can you call me? Fifth, I agree to all the terms. Can you please stop posting? Money will be there in the morning. And uh, so at this point, what he's talking about is he he had sent $250,000 to 50 Cent to stop all this. And said, look, here's $250,000. The rest will be there in the morning. So 50 Cent wrote back, you made this fucking mess. When the money hits the account, everything comes down. Then he wrote, okay, I just got the wire a while back. Uh, uh, I, I just got my – I just got the the wire – uh, back to my regularly scheduled program, but you know he hadn't. Uh, he still hadn't gotten the whole thing yet. So he's saying when it when it, everything comes down. So uh, then, shortly after that, the rest of the money came in, and Fifty Cent wrote, "I got my money, so I have no problem with Randall Emmett. In fact, I'm wishing him and his family a very blessed day." Positive vibes now, guys. LOL. And then he still did the hashtag Lechem Indurai. I don't know what that means. Branson, Cognac, and Bellator. So 50 Cent went back and deleted everything. He, he wasn't kidding, which was annoying for me because I had linked it all to Poker Fraud Alert through, directly through Instagram. I can embed Instagram onto Poker Fraud Alert, and I did that. And then it all became broken links. I'm like, crap. <laughs> 
you guys just ruined my story. So I had to go back and search the web for screenshots of this whole thing, and I put it back up. 50 Cent made some interest on the million dollars, though. He sold shirts where the front said i'm uh, the front said i'm sorry fofty and and then a million dollars back like a text back and forth and then on the back of the shirt it says i'm sorry fofty or actually i think these two different shirts two different shirts one says i'm sorry fofty and then it says a million dollars under it and the other one just says i'm sorry fofty the reports were that he sold $300,000 worth of these shirts so he did pretty well here he got his million dollars back and he sold these shirts these were not cheap. You, you could get these shirts for $32.99, would you believe? Wow. You believe $32.99 for a, a, a t-shirt? And uh, you actually could buy one of eight shirts. There's, there's I'm sorry, Fofty, and then a million dollars text back. There's just one that says, I'm sorry, Fofty, in big letters. There's Million Dollars, I'm Sorry, Fofty. Uh, broke, She Ain't Got It. Things With a picture, I think it's a picture of uh, Lala. Uh, the Law is the Law. She Ain't Got It. I Ain't Got It 50. I Ain't Got It fifth. So you could buy any of these. They're, they, they range between, uh, uh, thir- I think it's $29.99 and $32.99. Pretty expensive for the shirt with something printed on it. You could make your own Fofty t-shirts at Cafe Press for cheaper than this. But yeah, $300,000 worth of these got sold. <laughs> 50 Cent tweeted it out. Get them, while they, get them while they last, he put. So that's... Uh, that's what happened there. He was. This is an example of if somebody owes you money, call them out. You wait six years and just hope they do the right thing. They don't. You call them out, you get paid. Remember that. When people owe you money, call them out. Being the nice guy, being quiet, being understanding doesn't work. Now, if they're if they're making an effort to pay you, don't call them out. If, they, if they're paying regularly, even small, then fine. But if they're just stalling you and paying nothing, call them out. That's the way to do it. Sometimes threatening to call them out won't even work. Sometimes you actually have to call them out. You don't have to go as far as Fofty and threaten to crack their head, but uh, call them out. A lot of times it works. It's counterintuitive, but it works. A lot of times people think, well, if I call them out, then I'll, I'll lose my one piece of leverage. Then they're not going to want to pay me once, once it's out there. No, that actually makes them want to pay you because they want to restore their reputation by paying you. If nobody knows about it, then they don't feel like they're going to pay you. Take it from Fofty. It works. All right. Moving to our next topic, Poker Fraud Alert Radio listener Ari Engel has accomplished something. Not even poker-wise. He didn't. Even, I'm not talking about him winning a tournament, which he, he does that too. But um, I'm talking about a situation involving Annie Duke. See, he was at Horseshoe Tunica playing a tournament, and he was very disgusted to see that they had a picture of Annie Duke on the wall honoring her. It was a picture of her sitting with a bunch of chips in front of her and a bunch of cash. So he 
took a picture of the picture and tweeted this. This lady was involved in two enterprises that scammed the poker world for millions, referring to Ultimate Bet and uh, the Epic Poker League. And yet, World Series of Poker Horseshoe Tunica chooses to honor her with a picture at the entrance of the tournament poker room. Shameful and a total lack of reflect to those of us players who got scammed. So, there are a lot of responses to this. 354 people liked the tweet. Had 74 responses. Most of them supportive. Someone wrote, I assumed it was still there so we could spit on it. (laughs) But anyway, uh, what ended up happening? They took it down. They took it down. Ari then thanked them for taking them down. He wrote, thank you, Horseshoe Poker, for listening to our feedback. I'm happy to report that the entrance of the tournament area in Tunica is now only populated with true poker legends, including Doyle Brunson, Daniel Negrani, Phil Ivey, Chris Moneymaker, and Scotty Wynn. So missing now is Annie Duke. So they actually listened. They read the tweet. They read the responses. They decided she's not a good one to honor. So good. I don't think that they were really thinking when they did this. They just put up pictures of known poker pros. And you have to understand, a lot of people who play poker but don't listen to shows like these just kind of want to worship the poker celebrity. They, they want to be like the poker pros, the names that they've heard of. Especially the names that have been around for a long time. Even ones like Annie who don't even play anymore. So the average person will come in there and, and see these pictures up, including Annie Duke. And uh, I don't want to go as far as say they were inspired by them, but it just they're familiar faces up there. And you kind of like, uh, these are faces of the game. And maybe one day I can be like these people. Maybe one day I can get there. And Annie Duke maybe is there to appeal to the women. Like here's a successful wo- uh, female player. But, Uh, Sometimes the people putting these up don't really know the history. The people who are running these poker rooms, they don't really pay attention to the news close enough to know that Annie Duke has done some bad things to poker. And that a lot of people in poker just don't like her after everything she's done. In fact, I think that's a big reason she's out of poker. Also because it's not worth her while anymore. She's making all this money on the circuit, uh, the, the speech circuit, giving speeches for businesses and anything else that's dumb enough to hire her. She's really done a good job at positioning herself as an expert. And the way she does it is, yeah, it's known that she's a successful poker player, but the way she makes it seem like she has an appeal to be a speaker to businesses or whatever, is that she says, well, this is how you apply poker thinking to business thinking. And I'm a poker player, I'm a business owner, I, I, I did both. This is how I did it, this is how I was successful. And people are like, oh, okay, interesting. Well, let's hear from a successful poker player who ran successful businesses and how they translated one to the other. The problem where this all breaks down is that she has never had a successful business that wasn't cheating people. <laughs> so every business she's been involved with, to my knowledge, 
has either ripped people off, failed, or both. So she's definitely not someone who should be giving advice to business people. She gives advice to business people. She gives life advice to people. And if you think about it, what decisions that she made that were good? Like, do you want to emulate her? Do you want to emulate her to cheat people? To run shady businesses? To cover things up? Break promises to the people? She's not a person you want to emulate. She's not a person whose advice you should be taking. This debate came up on Twitter, in fact, and someone brought up, this is before the Ari Engel thing, I think. Maybe it was related, I'm not sure, but... uh, Pratyush Badiga brought up that uh, uh, something critical about her, and uh, it was said by uh, who was it? Uh, now it's getting late. I'm forgetting things now. Uh, it was uh, Andrew Barber. That's who said it. And I forgot that. Andrew Barber said that if you read her book, you change your mind. That her book has a lot to teach people. And I I asked Andrew Barber, I said, do you think she's made good business life decisions overall? If so, how can you buy a book giving advice on how to approach your decision process? I said, this would be like buying a book from Michael Vick about how to compassionately care for your pets. He's the one who ran those dogfighting kennels. So when you have somebody who whose decision-making process is obviously bad, you, you don't want to emulate it. They, they haven't done things the way you should want to do them. You shouldn't want them teaching you. This is different than a person who is teaching you something valuable that may have failed in other areas of life or may have done unethical things. Like, if you were to hire Annie to help you play poker, that would be a different story. Because she's had some success in poker. I don't know how well it translates to today, and I I think she's overrated in poker, but uh, putting that aside, if you were to hire her to help you learn how to play poker better, that's a different story than her teaching you how to make decisions in life better or decisions in business better. Someone who has failed in those areas, you don't want them teaching you. Someone who's done unethical things in those areas and seemingly done nothing else, you don't want them teaching you. They're not the ones you want to learn from. Do you want to take a course from uh, Bernie Madoff on investing? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's obvious to me. I don't know what Andrew thinks he's learning from her. So good for Ari for getting that taken down. And I know that Ari enjoys this show partially because we have the same feeling on this sort of thing. that We don't like seeing the scumbags in poker honored. We don't like seeing casinos acting shady and taking advantage of the players. We like calling people out or businesses out that are taking advantage of the poker community. So I know that's why he likes this show. Glad to have him as a listener. Glad to see he's still doing things like this. It was funny because Ari said hello to me at a a World Series. I think it was last year. 
And he was with some friend. I, I didn't know the friend, but the friends. I, I talked to Ari a little bit. He goes, "Oh, I know your voice. Yeah, I totally recognize you. Yeah, you're the voice I hear all the time that Ari's listening to." Okay, so moving to our next topic, a Phil Galfond update. Phil Galfond has decided to speak on two plus two. I mentioned last week that the public had turned on him. That. Run It Once Poker, which was once uh, very much anticipated. There were a lot of fanboys, a lot of defense of it when people would criticize some of the plans. Everyone wanted it to work. Everyone was feeling very positive. He had nothing but overwhelming support, and if you dared not support it, then you would get trampled on in the 2 plus 2 forums. But then the site came out, and a lot of problems were there, a lot of bugs were there, a lot of features were missing, the the site was dead. The customer service wasn't good. Just everything was pretty much done wrong. And and pretty quickly things started to turn around. And pretty quickly everything on the two plus two thread became negative. Even including people who'd start things like I really wanted this to succeed, but and then they'd go on. And you could see these weren't trolls. These were people who really wanted it to work and were frustrated that it fell short. We went over all that last week. I won't repeat it. You can go to that segment last week if you want to hear that whole thing. But the update is, Phil responded, I think on April 28th or 29th, on 2 plus 2. He had abandoned the thread. He was pretty active there before when everybody was all positive and gung-ho to see his site succeed. When there were all the criticisms up there and when there was very few positive posts left, he kind of abandoned it. So he finally came back and posted this. Hey, all. I appreciate the kind words and feedback, and I understand the less than kind words. I'm kept very, very busy, so excuse me if I just pop in with updates and responses here every once in a while. Now, that's not why, by the way. He just It's just not pleasant to read bad things. I understand that. Like I, I don't love going onto forums when I know people are in the process of bashing me and seeing like pages and pages of people bashing me. I don't enjoy that either, but like nobody likes that, but... You know, if you're if you have a thread about a poker site you're trying to get going, you've got to field that and try to do what you can with it. Try to maybe take some constructive criticism. So he goes on to say, trying to keep up with activity on Discord, social media, and multiple forums is more time consuming than it might sound. I've got a lot of other work on my plate, and I'm a very slow writer. Some of you think we've innovated too much, while others think we've focused too much on new features and not enough on releasing a perfect core product. Obviously, we won't please everyone, but I can tell you where I stand. I believe we've innovated quite a lot with what we've released so far when you compare it to other poker sites. This did, of course, add some time to our development. Bugs would have been introduced either way, and we'd have needed plenty of time to fix them either way, but uh, we'd have been done and in beta sooner and therefore would have been further along in the fixes by now. Do I regret the additions we made given the time it cost us? I think we may have had more success by now if we'd skipped them and launched sooner, but I think in the long run it will benefit from being different. As a poker player, I've learned a lot about when to regret my decisions and when not to. There have been a lot of surprises for us, and while I'd like to, uh, <clears throat> while I'd make made a number of decisions, uh, while I'd make a number of decisions differently with the benefit of hindsight, I still feel pretty good about the feature and policy decisions that we made given the information and expert- expectations we had at the time. Okay, let's, let's stop here. He's right that poker does kind of give you more experience with deciding when to regret decisions and when not. And I I found that too. I found in my life, I stop and go, wait a minute. 
this particular thing didn't work out, but did I make a right decision at the time and it just didn't work, or did I make a bad decision? I I think about when I play poker, and I I think of that when I have things in life that are outside of poker, where I make a decision and something bad happens. And I evaluate it and go, well, did I make the right decision? If I did, okay, it sucks, this bad thing happened, but I can't be mad at myself. Or if I made the wrong decision and something bad happened, then I'm mad at myself. Same with poker. Let's say in poker, I go sit at a table, which I know the game sucks, but I'm just, I just feel like a degenerate and want to play. Then I sit down and get killed and lose a lot of money. I, I feel stupid. I feel like I made a bad decision to play. If I sit in a game, which is great, with a lot of fish, and I play well, and I just run super bad and lose a lot of money... I'm not mad at myself for the decision to play, even if I was kind of considering not playing because, you know, maybe I didn't feel like it or I I wasn't sure I wanted to even play poker that day. Like, uh, I'm not mad at myself then because it's just that's the way it fell. So that's what he's saying here, obviously. Just, you you can't look at hindsight. You've got to look at did I make the right decisions at the time? And if I did, then I can't regret it too much. The problem is that. I don't think he made good decisions along the way. He made a lot of bad decisions. I talked about them on this show. Calwatt talked about them on this show. He made a lot of wrong decisions about where to go with this product. Where to go, where not to go, things to do, things not to do. There were a lot of mistakes that were made, a lot of obvious mistakes, a lot of things that people were surprised to see that he was deciding. Now, sometimes someone is deciding something which makes no sense to you, and then they're wildly successful and go, oh, okay, I guess I didn't understand. I guess uh, I had no idea. Maybe I, I'm just, uh, they're thinking on a level above me over here. Maybe they, they know th- things I don't. Maybe they're more forward-thinking than I am. I've, I've had those moments before, and it, watching a lot of things where I think, wow, what a stupid decision, and then it ends up really working out really well, and they made a great decision, and they just did something unorthodox, and it turned out that's, uh, that works. It's, it's kind of like at the poker table, where think of there's like a very, very straightforward ABC player. And you're making plays. You're not a maniac, but you're making some aggressive plays at, at the right times. And then, then you hit your hands, and, and the straightforward ABC player thinks about you. What a donkey. What an idiot. This guy doesn't know what he's doing. But in reality, you're actually the better player. You're making intelligent, aggressive plays, and getting some luck along with it, and it appears you don't know what you're doing when you really do. Uh, so sometimes you just don't understand what people are doing, and they're doing the right thing, but but other times people are really doing the wrong thing. And that's what Phil Galfon was doing. He was doing the wrong thing, and we can see this in his results. He didn't make these weird decisions, and it ended up in a wildly successful site. He, he made weird decisions people didn't understand, and now he has a fail site. So I think it's pretty clear that they were wrong. Going on here. So he wrote, So I don't regret innovating as much as we have. For those saying we should have innovated more, I completely agree and we intend to. We had a lot of ideas that had to be cut or put on hold for the sake of development timelines. If we could turn things around instantly, you'd see a drastically different platform. Unfortunately, that's not how it works for anyone. And we've suffered more development-related headaches than your average product. On that note, many of you are disappointed in the remaining bugs and limited features and our decision to launch with them. There are a few major issues that we launched with that I've seen mentioned here. One, no resizable tables. Two, hand history downloads not working. Three, the sit-in bug. I forgot what that bug is, but it's some big bug there. Four, the bet slider reset bug. 
As far as our decision to launch, two to four came as mostly a surprise to us. That means everything but the no resizable tables. We expected hand history downloads to be working within one week, but they weren't. Then why not? See, that's, let's stop here. Right, right there is a sign of someone not managing well. We expected hand history downloads to be working within one week, but they weren't. You were delaying this project for like two years before launch. Why not wait another week so people could download their hand histories? You really launched when the hand history downloads were supposed to be a week away? And then you didn't get there within a week? And then people were really frustrated? Why launch that way? Why not wait the additional week after you've put through people through such a long wait already? See, that this is the type of thing that's stupid. He said, we thought we'd be, we thought that we'd fix the bet slider reset bug, and then the sit-in bug happened very rarely and would be fixed quickly. Uh, once we launched our public beta, we learned that these issues were worse than we expected. We managed to fix most, all question mark instances of the bet slider bug in our February release, but the other issues weren't as easily resolved. See, I, I don't understand this. What, like, why the hand history download should be very simple. Like, either it's working or it's not. I don't see how that bug was, was getting by them. How, how did they not know that? Uh, we also had a number of server crashes in our first week of operation, and we had a large subset of users who had serious performance issues. Our devs fixed the issues causing the server crashes and improved performance of the majority of those users. There's now a smaller subset of users that still run inconsistent issues, which we are still working on. So the team has made some progress on some very serious issues, but as you've seen, it doesn't usually happen as quickly as any of us would hope. Resizable tables are a little bit different in that we knowingly launched in beta without them, and we also knew they would not be added quickly. This wasn't an easy decision, though I think in hindsight it was probably the right one. We'd still be in pre-launch now if we waited for them, and that would mean we'd still have not learned about the unexpected issue we'd experienced so far. So if we'd launched later, a number of bugs that would have taken longer to fix, I believe this route got us to our final product faster. See, that's such a fallacious way of thinking. What he's trying to say here is we were going to have bugs either way. So we launched early without resizable tables, which is very important, by the way. I don't know if you've played online poker, but if you haven't, uh, resizable tables are very important. So they launched without them. And they're saying, well, we launched without them. This way we launched earlier. We found the bugs earlier. And, and this way we're going to get to a more stable product sooner on the calendar. Well, that's one way of looking at it, but... Another way of looking at it is that you put out a product that people hated and people hated using because of all the bugs and because they didn't have resizable tables. So you drove people away. Even if you get to a more stable product earlier, by then you will have lost customers you would have otherwise kept if you launched with a better product. And that's why you don't just launch at the first moment you can. And and that's why you don't launch with so many bugs where the thing's terrible and people are not going to want to come back. You have to launch something you think is a pretty good product with bugs that where you just don't know bugs exist. As far as you know, it's a good product, but the, there may be bugs. That's what beta testing is. You put out a product which is supposed to be good, but you haven't extensively tested yet. And then when people catch the problems with it, then, then you go fix these problems. And when you think it's stable enough, then you make a full release. That's how the software release process goes. What what they did here is they launched a buggy product and one missing major features and said, this is our beta. That's not how beta is supposed to work. Beta doesn't mean a, a pared-down version of the site full of terrible bugs that, uh, that we somewhat know about. It, it means 
a product that just hasn't been that aggressively tested that we don't want to release as a full product because we're we're looking to catch other bugs. Would you like to be one of our test users? That that's what a beta should be, not not what they released here. And to say, well, good, this way we caught bugs earlier by releasing the beta earlier with with less features. That 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 if if you're just releasing this to testers who are not going to be customers, that's not a bad idea. If you're releasing this to testers who are also supposed to be your your core base of customers, that's a terrible idea. And that's where he's missing it. That uh you already had a long delay. So release the better product first. Test it yourselves. Like like the fact that there's a hand history download bug, that should never never have made the light of day. That, that's a basic thing they should have tested before releasing it as a beta. And it's not like some, some quick thing they could fix. This had a major problem, which, which, uh, which they were taking time to fix here. The no resizable tables. That, that's a tilting thing. On a poker site. The poker sites have had this for many, many years. Like 15 plus years there have been resizable tables on online poker sites. The reason resizable tables are, are, are so important, if you haven't played online poker, is that people have different things they do in the background when they're playing online poker. Including have other tables of online poker open. Including have other sites of online poker open. People have different resolutions on their monitors. Everybody wants to make the tables a different size for what their purposes are. Also, there's the vision thing where some you may need a larger table for your personal vision prefer- preferences or the way your eyes are currently working. And uh, you, you may want a, a, a smaller table. There's many different ways that you're going to want that laid out. But uh, what you don't want is where there's just one size of each screen with a poker table on it that you can't change because it starts to get in the way. It's either too big, too small, too cumbersome. Um, like, like sometimes I'll be playing poker and if I'm, if I'm, I'm on just one table, I'm talking about online poker, I'm playing online poker, I'm on just one table, it's a six-handed game, uh, there's a lot of hands I'm not in, I'll turn on a TV show on the right side of my screen and I'll watch that between hands. And then when the thing alerts me that it's my turn, then I'll pause the TV show, play the hand. When it's done, I'll start the TV show again. And I can have the TV show on the right. I can have the poker software on the left. And nothing's overlapping. And it's great. Without resizable tables, you can't do things like that. So it's very frustrating for people who've played for over a decade, well over a decade of online poker, and always had resizable tables that suddenly they can't do this with this supposed state-of-the-art software. So you just don't launch with that type of feature missing, and he doesn't understand. He's like, well, it's, we, we would have liked to have had this, but then we couldn't have found these bugs as, as early as we did. Well, yeah, but nobody would have seen the bugs if you didn't launch yet. There's still the same amount of time passing that people have the software and catch the bugs. It's just a matter of when you release the software. Does it really matter if if they catch the bug on week two of the software running? If week two is in uh, December versus May? No. If people have been waiting a long time for the product anyway, it's going to be the same thing to them pretty much. Where they made a huge mistake was not releasing a product with a lot of good basic features and one that they had least tested enough to see it was stable and had the stuff people needed. Here it really looked like they just rushed something out that had obvious major bugs 
that weren't easy to fix and really missing some big features. And just saying, oh, it's just a beta, that's not a good excuse. Let me go on here. He says, uh, I certainly don't blame anyone who disagrees with that decision, that's about the resizable tables, or who is disappointed that we have a limited offering with some remaining bugs. I'm disappointed by that too. Well, I thought your decisions were good. Why are you disappointed? It didn't have to be this way. You, you chose to do this. If there's one thing that I want to get across in this post, it's that our current offering has nothing to do with our team's knowledge of what poker players want. We've got some extremely intelligent, diligent, experienced poker players in this company who have been involved in the community for a long time. While I'm proud of what we've accomplished so far, our product is very, very far from finished. Much of what is currently isn't there by, is by design, but th- it isn't by design, but through compromise. So what he's saying is, we know what you guys want. We're very aware of this. We're not, we're not out to lunch. We understand. We just, we had to compromise to get this out. When we did, we had to leave some things out. But don't worry, we're putting in all the things you want. That's what he's trying to say. I can tell you from reading his responses to people, from the discussions he's had with people on these forums, that this company doesn't know what people want. They think they do, but they don't. Everybody's complaint there regarding how they've been treated by Phil and the management team is that their opinions don't matter. Everything he writes is, yeah, I understand it. Yeah, I, I, I understand the way you feel. Yeah, totally makes sense. Are you going to change, Phil? Nope, doing it still the same way. <laughs> that's, that's what you get every time from him. Very polite, very gracious. Thank you for your suggestion, everybody. But no, here's why we're going to do it our way. And that's fine to say sometimes. You can't let the public dictate how you operate. But if if you're releasing something nobody likes, if you have ideas that are very unpopular, if you're leaving out things everybody wants, you can't just say, no, this is the right way to do it. You guys don't know what you're talking about. But thanks for letting me know. You know, you can't do that. You, can, you have to listen to your customer base. And, and I just see over and over they're not listening. They're just telling everyone in a very polite way why they're wrong. And that doesn't go over well, and it doesn't make for a good product. And this, this post he made there is just like that. That's, instead of saying, yeah, we made some mistakes, yeah, we should have waited with a resizable tables, yeah, we should have tested better before releasing it to you guys, Instead, it's excuse, excuse, excuse. We did it right. We did it right. We did it right. Wish it was better, but that's not the way it goes. Sorry. Like that's, the, that's, that's what's being put out here. He goes on to write, as I mentioned in my first update on runitonce.eu, we started out with a different tech leadership and went down a path that was really bad for the first while. I can't imagine how much worse it could be than this. Though I'm still no expert on development, and yeah, we can tell that. I, and I'm not truly qualified to know this with certainty. I very much believe we're in good hands now with the team we've got. They've accomplished things that the previous team members told us were impossible. And while they've still come in behind schedule with a number of things, it's often because they've been dealing with the technical debt created by our early development. So I, now they're back to ba- blaming the, the other guys. This is also where he's making a mistake. You can have a very, very competent development team, but if they're not being managed properly then you're going to have a crappy product. The development team basically does what you're telling them to do. Here's our idea. Here's what we want to develop. Go develop it. And if they're competent, they do it. And they do it according to spec. 
But if they're being managed poorly, if they're being told to do things that are not going to be good for the product, then you can have a great team and you'll have a crappy product. You need to manage your development team properly. You need to prioritize things properly. And that's where upper management comes in. That's not where the development team comes in. And even if the previous development team sucked, maybe it did. Maybe he's right. But you can't blame the current problems on them. You can blame the delays on them. You can't blame the current problems. The current problems, the current software, that's uh, the new undertaking by the new team. And Phil's management, which led to all this. He went on to say, if it sounds like I'm passing off blame, I'm not. Choosing a tech team, packing features and designs, or picking features and designs, detailing specs for developers, analyzing timeline estimates and planning accordingly. These are all things I've been heavily involved in from the start, and we've, been, we've absolutely made a number of mistakes. I'll spare you the exact details where we went wrong, but I was as large of a part of it as anyone. Okay? First, first thing he said that I agree with. Yes. Yes. You're the CEO. You're heavily involved in the process of the design. Right now, it's a fail site. There were a lot of mistakes made along the way. A lot of things that could have been avoided. A lot of things people were telling you the whole time was a mistake. Yes. But but the problem is you're not saying, oh, yeah, we made a lot of mistakes. Here's what we're going to do differently. It's like, yeah, we made a lot of mistakes at the beginning, and that's what slowed the whole thing down, and that's why we took a while to release, and that's why there's still some problems we're trying to fix. But um, now we're totally on the right path, and in like the last year, we've totally done everything right. No, you haven't. And everyone's telling them they haven't, and there's just there's no humility. There's there's the appearance of humility, but there's no real humility. There's a, there's not okay. Sorry, we messed up. We should have launched with 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 MTTs. We should have launched with resizable tables. We should have tested our product and made sure it was stable. Like they they could have come back with that, saying that we, we hear some real mistakes we made, but we're, we're rapidly working to overcome those. Instead, it's, no, no, we've done everything right recently. It just, uh, it's a, that tech team a long time ago, they screwed us up. Come on. And, and nobody's buying this. This isn't just me being negative or, or finding a reason to criticize. This is what everybody on 2 Plus 2 is saying. Go, go read it yourself. Go to the News Views Gossip Forum and read the, read the thread about Phil Galfon's site. The, all these people, and you can see these are not trolls. These are not people who just enjoy being negative. Go look at their post history. These are people who are just normal poker players. And they're fed up. And they're fed up with being ignored. And they're fed up with no one taking their advice seriously. And someone said, there, hey, look, you have this group of people here, experienced poker players, grinders, who are telling you what we want, who are telling you what the community needs, and you're ignoring us and telling us why we're wrong. This is why the site's a failure. And, he's, and these people are right. That's exactly what's happening. So he finishes by saying, I mention all this because I want to set expectations accordingly. The update we have in the works, which is to be expected to be the second of many over this time period, is being referred to in a few places as, quote, the big update. It will certainly be bigger than our previous update, which fixed a handful of bugs and made a few visual improvements, but I don't want everyone to be expecting it to be groundbreaking. Uh-oh. That means that this update is going to be fixing very little. When you have to warn people not to expect big things from the next update, that means the up- next update is going to suck. It's going to be very little. It's a, 
he's seeing people talking about the big updates coming that's going to make it all better. And he's like, oh, no, this is pretty much going to be the same thing, guys. So don't be better temper those expectations. He writes, I really appreciate the continued support for many of you. And as I mentioned, I understand why many others aren't happy with our beta platform. The plan, parentheses hope, is that the subsequent updates happen much more frequently and we may continue small improvements to the platform while working on the larger ticket additions in the background, such as sit-and-goes, MTTs, etc. over time. MTTs means multi-table tournaments, in case you guys are wondering. As we move forward, we'll keep trying to make the best decisions we're able to as we work towards the product we dreamt up, and we'll keep expecting the unexpected and adapting the best we can. Ugh. If you wanted to give a one-sentence summary to that whole thing, it's, we pretty much have been doing everything right recently, so we're staying the course. Uh, so this is, it, it just means he still doesn't get it. That whole thing means he still doesn't get it. And as affable as Galfond is, he seems very set in his ways, and he doesn't seem particularly interested in the community's input. I mean, I don't even know of one thing they've changed, aside from bug fixes, that were a result of community feedback. I, I haven't seen one thing where people have said, hey, maybe do such and such differently than you wanted to originally because this and this reason. I've never seen him go, oh, yeah, you're right. Totally right. We're going to change it. I've never seen that. I've only seen like, oh, yeah, we'll fix this bug. I've never seen we're changing this design uh, decision of ours or this feature because you guys pointed out how it's not good and you're right, it's not good. Never seen that. So he's not interested in hearing from the community. And unfortunately, they don't have anyone on the staff, apparently, who is really, really in tune with what the community wants. And it's sad because there's many people who could have filled that role. I mentioned I could have, but... uh, Many, many people who could have filled that role, who could have told Phil what the grinders really want and what they really don't want, even what the fish want and what they don't want, who could have told them what people are looking for in an initial launch and what they're not. Now, maybe they have those people and Phil is overruling them, but all I'm seeing is a very, very out-of-touch company there, which... People weren't expecting from the beginning. It seemed like the opposite. It seemed like that uh, Phil wanted to be the in-touch company, the one that a poker player who makes a poker site, a site by poker players for poker players. And yet, they don't listen to anyone. They launch without basic features, full of bugs, no money behind marketing, so it's uh, it's dead. So tell me, do you would you want to play on a poker site which has very few people? The few people that are there are other good regulars. The software is buggy. It doesn't have tournaments. You can't resize the tables. <laughs> Why are you there? What's good about it? You know? What's the point? This could be a study in college courses on how to mismanage a company 
or in a uh, software engineering course of how to mismanage a software engineering project on how to incorrectly judge the customer base. So many mistakes here. So many mistakes here. It's going to be a fail site. I'd be shocked if it doesn't end up being a fail site. See, you don't turn around from this. What what you're looking to do, if you're not going to spend a ton of money on marketing, what you're looking to do is create great word of mouth. And Phil Galfond had the good reputation. He had the reach. He had the potential to get the word of mouth going. And instead, everyone's turning on him and saying, this place sucks and you're not listening to us, so screw it. And even if they do improve the product and release it later, people are going to be done with it. They'll just go, you know what? We, we just had a bad experience. And I forgot this part. This is my favorite part. This, this is my favorite part. This wasn't something Phil addressed personally, but this is my favorite part. Uh, someone already got banned from the site. Now, why did he get banned? Why, why would they ban someone from Run It Once Poker? Was it that the person was cheating? No. Were they a bot? No. Were they using stolen credit cards to deposit? No. What is it? What What could possibly be the reason that someone would be banned from a site that's already pretty dead and needs all the traffic it can get? How about because they called a customer service rep an imbecile? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not, I wish I was kidding. <laughs> Someone called the customer service rep an imbecile because he was unhappy about a refund he got when the site crashed during a hand. And because he used the word imbecile, he was banned from the site permanently. Can you imagine? It'd be bad enough to happen on an active site like PokerStars, where it wouldn't, by the way. They wouldn't ban someone permanently for calling someone an imbecile. But at least PokerStars could afford the traffic hit. Here, they're banning one of their few players for that reason. I mean, who's in charge here? Who's making these decisions? So they they posted this screenshot of the email they got. I am referring to your emails below, which have been escalated to me as a run-at-once operations manager. As requested, I have reviewed the hand for which my colleague had already already credited refunds of 85.50 euro. That's 85.50, not 85.50. Uh, as a result, I have credited your account with an additional 10 euro to compensate for the equity that you would have had against only your opponent's hands pre-flop. In context, it's worth noting that we also have run an equity calculation for your hand against opponent's hand while t- taking into account the dead cards the other players had in the hand. And you will see in the attachment you were in fact the underdog to win this particular hand. Hence, we felt that the com- compensation that we've credited, including the 10 euro, which you'll now find in your account balance, is certainly fair. Now, I, I, I didn't go over this whole thing, but I, th- I think what the player's point was is that he had a, a, a PLO hand that, uh, if you were to just run it out, heads up, just like in a situation where you, everybody has to stop betting, you just run it out, like almost like an all-in situation. It's, it's not that good of a hand, but it's a type of a hand that uh, can make a lot of money if it hits like a drawing type hand. I think that's what he's trying to say here. That uh, I'm not sure, but it was, it was something along those lines that uh, that the maybe it wasn't a drawing. It was something where he was saying just the, the running out the equity isn't really the fair way to determine it. But, but I can understand both sides of this, but that's not really the point here. Listen to the rest of this. 
I'm sorry that you were experiencing technical problems and that you feel that these were not addressed appropriately by our team. We are working hard to fix all instances of disconnections, freezes, and crashes, and we're always willing to refund players if they've been negatively affected by such issues. Furthermore, we have escalation procedures in place to review any decision that a player is not happy with. However, our employees are not only working hard to help all our players, but they also have a right to a friendly work atmosphere. We cannot let our colleagues be exposed to comments such as imbecile. (laughs) Oh my god. Can you believe this? That they need a friendly work environment, they need a friendly work atmosphere, and they just, they can't let themselves be exposed to such terrible words as imbecile. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Grow some thicker skin. Imbecile? Is that such a terrible word? It's not friendly. It's a little bit rude, but you, 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 that's so terrible. They can't, you can't be exposed to those words written on a screen. Regardless of how you feel about the original resolution of the situation, we will not tolerate such language. I have now restricted your account in a way that will allow you to log in and request a withdrawal of the additional 10 euro, which I have credited to your account. However, you will not be able to deposit or play in the future. I trust that this clarifies our position in this matter, but if you have any further questions, please let us know. Kind regards, Matthias Operations Manager. The freaking operations manager just made this decision. It wasn't just like a customer service grunt. This was a the operations manager, Matthias, gave him 10 euro as like a customer service credit. And then like, yeah, yeah, and get out. Here's an extra 10 euro. Now get the fuck out of here. Calling us an imbecile. How dare you? Imbecile. We're not taking that from you. Such language. Such language. We, can you imagine? We wouldn't have anyone working at our company if they had to receive emails calling them an imbecile from customers. They're all going to leave. Now, no one's ever rude when they write letters to online poker sites. How dare you? How dare you? You're banned for life. Go away. We don't need you. We, we have uh, five other people playing on the site. Huh. Showed him. Can you believe this? <laughs> they ban a guy from a dead site for writing imbecile. I know who the imbecile is, and it's not the player here. Hilarious. If That's just like... If that's not a perfect example of the mismanagement going on there, I don't know what is. If I were Phil Galfon, I would take Matias into a room and I'd give him a big spanking. I'd give Matias a spanking. That's what he deserves for this. I said, Matias, come over here. Come here. Come here. Did you just ban one of our few players we have left? Because he wrote the word imbecile? Well, yeah, yeah, but we have a we need a friendly work of No! Matias, no! 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 <laughs> no, but I don't want to be called an imbecile. Too bad. Too bad. If they call you an imbecile, what do you do? I, don't, I, don't, I, I just I just ask them to, to stop behaving this way. Right? Do you ban them? Uh, well, maybe if they're if they're if they're calling me other bad. Na- oh no no okay I won't I won't I won't. Like, how does the operations manager ban someone for that? Unbelievable. And it's not like we have to take the word from the guy posting about it. And we, we, we see the screenshot of what I just read you. It's very clear. That's why he was banned. 
And they tried to rationalize it on 2 plus 2, go, oh, this is the only user we've banned for this, so obviously there's more to it than you know. And No, there isn't. You, you wrote in the email why you were banning him. We see it. There wasn't more to it. And, and only banning one user by now? The, the site just went up. How sad is it they haven't banned anyone? They haven't banned anyone from cheating or botting, but they're they're getting those who use the word imbecile. You're safe if you if you don't want to be called an imbecile. You, you're on the right site. It's a friendly work environment, though, very friendly. But they 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 totally get it. They totally know what poker players want. They they totally understand the poker community. Totally. Totally. They're listening to you and your feedback. Rest assured, they know what they're doing. 775 fraud 55, 775-372-8355. There was a boxing match. There was a boxing match that took place. I don't think we even talked about it on this show, but there was one. Antonio Esfandiari and actor slash poker player Kevin Hart had a boxing match, and it was expected that Hart was going to win because Hart had previous training in boxing. He had previous experience in boxing. He wasn't a professional boxer, but he was a, he had a lot more experience in this than Antonio did. This was a friendly match. This wasn't done because they hated each other. They were actually friendly, but uh, this was a match where they... Uh, Decided to try it and take bets, and uh, they had four months to train for it. Antonio Esfandiari is 40 years old. Uh, I'm not sure how old uh, Kevin Hart is. Esfandiari is a lot taller. Kevin Hart's very short, in case you don't know. He's only five foot four. Esfandiari is six feet tall. He's kind of skinny, but uh, he's six feet tall. He didn't have any boxing experience. But uh, they agreed to this match. It was to take place in Santa Monica, California, in a gym on uh, a Saturday morning. Just took place this past Saturday. And uh, they were going to only fight three three-minute rounds, which isn't that long. So they're fighting for nine minutes total over three rounds. There was no knockout. Antonio won by decision. Kevin Hart was gracious in his... Defeat writing on Instagram, I want to take the time to congratulate my guy Antonio Esfandiari on an amazing sparring match today. You worked hard and deserved the, the W champ. It was not disclosed how much they bet on this, but would you believe that Kevin Hart gave Antonio 35 to 1 on his money? No wonder Antonio did it. 35 to 1? That's. <laughs> If he bet 10k, he won 350,000. Crazy. I know Kevin Hart probably has a lot of money, but boy, that's a I don't care. I mean, he's eight, he's eight inches taller than the guy, and it's not like Kevin Hart is a professional boxer. So 35 to 1 is insane. 
in those four months, Esfandiari put on a lot of muscle for the fight. He did a lot of working out for this. He did a lot of cardio training. He did a lot of boxing training. And it worked out. He won. He said leading up to the fight that he was going to count on his height and reach advantage to beat Kevin Hart. And that's that's especially where I think that Hart was foolish to offer the 35 to 1 odds because boxing is a little bit different. This isn't like an MMA style match. There's certain rules to boxing and the person with the height advantage with the reach advantage, they get an edge from that there. That's not something that can't be overcome, but that really helps you a lot. So uh, similarly in uh, like in basketball, if you play one-on-one with someone, if they're taller than you, they get an advantage right there. It's, it becomes huge for the rebounds. Uh, I played someone in basketball, that was many years ago, but uh, they were only a little bit shorter than me, probably two inches. But they complained that, uh, and this is a person who was better with the shooting and the basketball fundamentals than I was. But I beat them in the one-on-one match, and their complaint was that I killed them on rebounds because of the two-inch height difference. They said that was actually huge. The truth is, I'm actually the best thing I do in basketball is rebounds. I've always just been a kind of a natural rebounder. I'm just good at getting to the ball and seeing where the ball's going and just to have a good feel for that. So that was helping. The height helped a little bit, but I was only two inches taller. But that person blamed it on the height, saying that the two inches is a killer and that, it, that uh, they didn't realize that. Uh, so here you have eight inches, where, again, height matters, especially the reach in boxing. And it's interesting, actually. There was, there was, uh, I, I've had stu- stupid challenges on the forum over the years. But, but one person I was arguing with once said that you know, someone said, "Oh, you two should have a boxing match." And the person who was uh, a lot shorter than me said that they they would do like an MMA style fight, but they don't want to do a uh, a boxing match because of the height thing. There, there you see the reason. The uh, So Hart said that he wants a rematch. He also said he's going to release a highlight video soon after they edit it. And uh, I guess we'll see that. There was a, a picture posted of them fighting in this match on Kevin Hart's Instagram and they're actually both wearing headgear, so they their faces don't get injured from punches. So they did have a both had boxing gloves on and protective headgear. Kevin Hart wrote in that post that, uh, after that thing about the about congratulating, he wrote, uh, "We went three three minute rounds. Both gave it our all. In the end, you were the winner by decision. You worked hard and deserved the W, champ. Good shit." I want to rematch as soon as I can fucking breathe again. To all boxers, we are not fighters and we don't want to be. This was a challenge between two friends that had a great time, put on a hell of a show. We have so much respect for the sport. You guys are amazing. So he he's trying to say we're, we're not uh, 
we're not trying to mock boxing or show that it's so easy or, or, or trying to show that we can do this too. More, more just like we both suck at this and we're just uh, doing this for fun and that you real boxers, uh, we have nothing on you. That's basically what he's trying to say. I wonder how much Antonio won there. He just wins. It. He just has a charm, charm life. Sometimes he wins that uh, eighteen million dollar one drop of all things. That's that's when he gets lucky. That's when he happens to get really lucky. Is at the freaking million dollar one drop event or eighteen million? I know he didn't have all of himself, but still. And then he uh, gets thirty five to one with an eight inch height advantage. Insane. I wish I knew it was thirty five to one. I would have made a side bid on this. Crazy. I mean, 35 to 1, you don't, even if they have just a small chance of winning, in your opinion, it's it's worth putting some money on. I, I did this in the NBA recently. The Portland Trailblazers, after they had that exciting game uh, victory at the, where Lillard hit that buzzer-beating three-pointer to make the second round. I said, you know what? The NBA Western Conference is so dysfunctional this year. There's no team that's looking really impressive. The Warriors are looking like they have some issues. The Rockets just don't look good at all. Uh, the Nuggets are so inconsistent. So I could see Portland uh, squeaking through here. I could see them beating Denver because Denver gets inconsistent and loses. Sure enough, they're tied 1-1 after two games in Denver. And then I could see them playing the Warriors, and the Warriors uh, don't try hard enough until it's too late. I could see them underestimating Portland and Damian Lillard playing really well. He's a very underrated player. Not surrounded by that much talent, but I could see them surprising Golden State in winning the Western Conference. So what did I get for that? I got 20-1. to Now, if somebody asked me, do you think Portland's going to be the Western Conference champion? No. But uh, do I think it's worth a 20-to-1 bet? Yeah. (laughs) 20-to-1, I don't have to have that strong of a feeling it's going to happen. Got to feel like it's better than a 5% chance. 35-to-1 here on an 8-inch height advantage. Wow. Phil Locke was present for this, as was uh, Jennifer Tilly, Phil Locke's girlfriend. Jennifer Tilly is 60 now, I think. Maybe even, let me see how old she is. I think she's either 60 or 61. Let's see here. She is 60. But she will be 61 later this year. Uh, she does, she has finally aged some, like if you see pictures of her from back in like 06, she's still pretty hot, even though she was uh, like 47 then. She looked very, very good for her age. But, you know, by 60, everybody ages. It's, it's, it's hard to, for a woman to maintain kind of the young or middle-aged hot look when they're 60. You can look good for 60, but... It's hard to maintain that. Men too. You know, it's just 
At 60, you're only going to look so good, no matter what your gender. <laughs> that's, the, that's the answer here. Even if you're Jennifer Tilly, who seemed to defy aging for quite some time. I remember when I saw her in the mid-2000s, and she, I couldn't believe her age. I'm like, wow, I can't believe she's getting close to 50. Wow, she, she still looks pretty hot. But, And this, this is when I was pretty far from that. Now I'm, I'm that age myself, but, but back then I, I was pretty far from that age. And I, I, At least I look at it differently. Like, I see women in their late 40s differently now than I did when I was like 33. And I, I see them like a lot better now. They're more attractive to me now than when I was in my early 30s, which makes sense. Because now they're, they're my age, and uh, it just looks different to me. But when I was like early 30s, like most women in their late 40s just looked really old to me. And uh, not anymore. All right, moving on here. Three people were extradited from Spain to Costa Rica over the situation with the Five Dimes Tony kidnapping. Three people are facing charges in Costa Rica over this. Tony's body has not been found. Still not 100% certain that he's dead, but it is assumed he hasn't been heard from since September. At first there were some suspicions that he snuck out of the country and that the death is a hoax, but as more and more people are charged for the kidnapping, it starts to look more and more like this was real. Even though there were some weird aspects to the whole thing that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But three people are currently in Costa Rica who uh, are having to face the music over this, in addition to those who have already been arrested in uh, Costa Rica itself. So news outlets in Costa Rica are reporting that the OIJ, which is kind of like the FBI in Costa Rica, has announced that the extradition of three people has occurred from Spain. Uh, They already had identified the uh, 12 people arrested and charged in the case but uh, that the alleged ringleader, Morales Vega, was shipped back to Costa Rica along with two others to face charges that they actually got Spain to extradite them. Also along with uh, Morales Vega, his 45-year-old mother, Vega Aguirre, and uh, his wife, uh, Solis Chavez, were also extradited. They had fled there after Tony's disappearance. Tony's real name, by the way, is William Sean Creighton, but he was known in the industry as Tony. And uh, they found them in Spain and arrested them there and were holding them while deciding what to do about the extradition. The OIJ statement said the the deputy prosecutor's office against drug trafficking and related offenses reported that it has already taken the preliminary statement of the three accused. The hearing for the request for precautionary measures is scheduled to be held at 8 a.m. Friday in the criminal court of the Second Judicial District of San Jose. The 
the uh, people who are uh, the, the other nine people who are going to be uh, facing charges. I've read before uh, Aguirre Leal, who is uh, Morales uh, Morales Vega's uh, grandmother. She's seventy-one. Vega Aguirre, forty, who's forty-six, who's an uncle of Morales Vega's. Santa Bria Martinez, 35. Martinez Chacon, 39. Sanchez Gamboa, 35. Ford Dowdon, 37. Rivera Macis, 64. Medrano Vargas, 34. And Jeron Lopez, 36. Uh, Vargas and Lopez, those last two, were actually the police officers who created a fake traffic stop for Tony and pulled him over. And then uh, when they pulled him over, then the kidnapping occurred. That was the way it actually went down. That's how they got him. I'd always wondered, how how did they get him? How did they kidnap him when he was driving home? That's how they did a, a fake traffic stop. Real cops did a fake traffic stop, and then the kidnapping occurred. And then they fake crashed Tony's car. They, there is a... A house in La Trinidad de Moravia in Costa Rica, where they thought that Tony was held at some point, but they could not find where he was. He was not there anymore by the time they searched it. Uh, there, there's uh, a lot of different numbers that were thrown around regarding the amount of ransom that was involved. That at some point it was uh, said five hundred thousand dollars U.S. At some point it said uh, five million U.S. Uh, but it's believed that about a million dollars U.S. in Bitcoin was sent. The way they found Morales Vega, the ringleader, was that uh, Morales was actually a computer engineer, and they actually were able to find a link between him and the online Bitcoin wallet where the ransom payment was sent. They also found the computer itself which received the payment and it had one of his fingerprints on it too. So, uh, some people think Bitcoin is anonymous. It's really not. And the reason is there's a record of all the transactions. And if any of the transactions can then be connected to you, even if the current transaction doesn't involve a name, then uh, they can find you. For example, if you're, if you're using a, a Bitcoin wallet online to purchase something, just some, you know, just purchasing something online that's legitimate with your real name. And then later, that same wallet is used to receive Bitcoin for some sort of nefarious purpose. They can look and they can look at your other transactions and see the purchase you made of the legitimate stuff and then look back and see who bought it and uh, trace it to you. 
So that's what it looked like happened to Morales Vega in some way. Uh, it also could have been the IP address that he was accessing the online wallet through. So just just because Bitcoin itself is said to be anonymous, that's not really true. You shouldn't really count on it for anonymity. It's 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 actually uh, you have to be really careful to make it a truly anonymous Bitcoin transaction. And the only way to do this is to use a source that has no link back to you. That is, that use the uh, you know send and receive from something that has no link back to who you are. And don't ever access it from any IP address if you're using an online wallet service like like blockchain or whatever. Then don't ever do it from an IP address that could be linked to you. Otherwise, it 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 could be found out who you are. And a lot of people make that mistake. Bitcoin's real utility isn't anonymity. It is its irreversibility. So if somebody sends me Bitcoin today, I don't have to worry about them reversing the charge. Once I re- receive the Bitcoin, that's it. I've got it. That's that's what's good. That's what's better than most other online payment methods is that the Bitcoin absolutely cannot be reversed. Now, there are criminals that demand money in Bitcoin like for ransomware and other scams on the internet, but these are people in foreign countries where even if they were to be identified, there probably wouldn't be action taken. So that's how they get away with it. And in the U.S., that wouldn't be a a smart tactic unless you're really taking care to make sure the your access to that Bitcoin wallet cannot be traced to you. That's what did in Morales Vega, apparently. But yeah, it's it's really looking now like this was a real legitimate kidnapping. And the truth is he's probably dead. I would think that now that they've caught people, especially if they could make some deal like we'll tell him where Tony is and go lighter on us, but they can't because he's probably dead. I mean, if he hasn't been heard from since September and if they think they've caught all the people involved, why hasn't why haven't they found Tony? I'm sure he's he's gone, he's dead. As I've said before, Tony wasn't he didn't have a good reputation. You know, a lot of people he he didn't treat people well, he didn't treat customers well, he was very gruff, he was uh uh people said that he acted too much like judge jury and executioner on his site and if he just didn't like something you did and he thought you were trying to cheat him, then he'd just take all your money. I was kind of nervous to use five dimes for a while for that reason. But after seeing that most of these situations were kind of gray area situations where people are doing something which is a little bit questionable, and then Tony would try to punish them, I said, well, as long as I stay away from stuff like that, I guess I'm okay. Uh, but there was the guy on here who had the story that it was after Tony was dis- had disappeared, but that he had won $50,000 by originally running up his uh, money through a free roll. Or that he, I think he had a jackpot. That's what it was. He run, he ran up money through a free roll. Was playing at low limit tables, hit a jackpot, and then they wouldn't give it to him because he hadn't deposited ever, which was really shady. And then they actually went and retroactively changed the terms 
that he signed up. They actually went and changed the page and claimed that he signed up under those terms. They changed it right after he this came up with him and claimed it was there the whole time. And we, I actually went back to the Internet Wayback Machine to show otherwise, and he showed that to them. So we had him on the show. So that was something shady they did. So it's not that trustworthy of a site. Like, they pay people. They don't have a payment problem. But they pull shenanigans over there. And Tony took his chances by you move to a foreign country and break U.S. law running a, a sports book catering to Americans, then, yeah, you, you do have increased danger that people know you have money and they're going to kidnap you in a place like that. Much more danger being an American who's rich in Costa Rica than an American who's rich in the U.S. Much more danger. I would be afraid to have a lot of money and live over there and have it known that I have a lot of money and that I'm American. I, I would feel like I'm going to be targeted at any moment. Okay, I want to give an update. Speaking of someone being targeted, Steve Wynn is being targeted or was being targeted in Massachusetts, or shall I say his casino, even though he's not associated with Wynn anymore, his casino in Boston, the Encore, Encore Boston Harbor, located in Everett, Massachusetts, was really in jeopardy. There was a chance it was not going to open. There's a chance it was going to lose its license. And a decision was coming down from the Massachusetts Gaming Commission about what would happen to the already built and already Encore Boston Harbor. In February, the Nevada Gaming Commission, or Nevada Gaming Control Board, that is, fined the win $20 million due to the sexual misconduct accusations against Steve Wynn. Even though Steve Wynn is no longer associated with the company, he, they were fined $20 million. We talked about that on a previous show. The, ma- the matter is still pending in Massachusetts, even though this matter occurred in Las Vegas. They were looking into this in Massachusetts because the win was given the one and only license in the Boston area. Massachusetts was giving one license away to one casino to be built in the Boston area. Something would be very, very lucrative. Can you imagine you get, you're the closest casino to everybody in Boston? It's like printing money. So Wynn ended up getting that. And then this was being reconsidered after their hotel was just about built. After the casino was all ready to go because of the situation of Steve Wynn. And the rationale was we probably wouldn't have approved you for this license. We probably would have given it to somebody else had we known this. So the suitability you claimed to have, you didn't really have. So the Massachusetts Gaming Commission was deciding what to do, and the fate of the Encore Boston Harbor was hanging. It was scheduled to open on June 23, 2019, but was that going to happen? Or was the $2.6 billion 
property going to sit empty and never be able to open because it would lose its license. Well, the decision came down. First, a fine was announced. A big fine against Wynn. $100 billion. Now, but $36 million was the fine. Sorry, $35 million. I was off by a million. $35 million definitely larger than the one handed out in Nevada. A record fine ever handed out to a casino. $35 million for the knowledge and handling of Steve Wynn's sexual misconduct allegations. The current CEO, Matt Maddox of the Wynn, was also fined an additional half million dollars. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why they went after him for this. Uh, this like, wasn't this all happening before he was the CEO? I don't know. But they, uh, they fined him $500,000. But the good news is that the win, or shall I say the Encore Boston Harbor, got to keep its license. They paid the fine and that was it. So now it is going to open on schedule on June 23rd, 2019. The Massachusetts Gaming Commission wrote that they were troubled by the systemic failures and pervasive culture of the non-disclosure of Steve Wynn's sexual harassment that was going on over the years. But uh, they determined that the steps that have since been taken over there to prevent a future recurrence of this, including the disassociation with Steve Wynn, were enough. The Wynn claims that they're still planning to ban Steve Wynn from all the Wynn Resort properties. CEO Matt Maddox, the guy fined $500,000. I wonder if Wynn is going to reimburse him for this. Uh, But he had brought in a lot of new board members including uh, three women. The board is now 50% women. The only two people remaining on the board that were there when they applied for that original license are Matt Maddox and Elaine Wynn, who is the ex-wife of Steve Wynn. The commission thought about this and said, yes, they're both suitable to still be on the board. Massachusetts did require Maddox to hire an executive coach to help focus on leadership development. And the company is also required to keep the roles of chairman and CEO separate for the next 15 years. So they can't have a chairman slash CEO. It has to be a, a chairman and a CEO. Wynn Resorts released a statement. They said that they received a copy of the Massachusetts Gaming Commission decision on suitability late today. And they're in the process of reviewing the decision and considering the full range of their next steps. They're not even accepting it yet. They're not even saying, okay, cool, we'll pay the $35 million and uh, we're going to go on here. They, they may even see, you know, they may even try to appeal this. 
But either way, it looks like the Encore Boston Harbor is opening. So if you're in the, the Boston area, then you'll have a place to go gamble without having to drive very far. So I, I didn't think they were going to yank the whole license over this. In fact, I don't even think they care that much about this. Steve Wynn is gone. This occurred in a different state. I think I think they just wanted money. I think I think the, the state's just like, sweet, we can get extra money out of this. All right, great. Okay, now you can have your license. More casino news, but back to Nevada. The failed Lucky Dragon Casino has been bought. Lucky Dragon was uh, not a very well-thought-out project. It was not on the Strip. It was kind of near the Sahara, but not on the Strip. It was a bad location. It had no foot traffic. It wasn't in a particularly good area. And it, uh, it, it the customer service there wasn't good at all. It was an Asian-themed casino aimed at Asians. It was kind of hostile towards those who weren't Asian. There were a lot of... There were way too many employees hired who were just standing around having nothing to do. Uh, they also found that just because you have an Asian-themed casino doesn't mean that Asians want to come to your casino. <laughs> just because they're coming from an Asian country doesn't mean, oh, we're going to go to the casino calling itself Lucky Dragon. No, they, a lot of the Asians had their favorite places to go, and Lucky Dragon, which didn't have much else to offer, wasn't one of them. So Lucky Dragon did not do well. It was a complete flop, and it closed first. Just the casino closed, and then the entire thing closed. So it was up for sale, and it was finally bought. It was bought for uh, $36 million. It was bought by Don Ahern, who's chairman and CEO, which wouldn't be allowed at the win, of Ahern Rentals, which is a construction equipment company. I'm not sure what a construction equipment company wants with Lucky Dragon, but that's what happened. They, they bought it. The casino and hotel cost $139 million to build. And believe it or not, it was actually the first new casino in Las Vegas since 2010, since the Aria opened. It opened in December 2016. There were 800 employees originally. By March 2017, there were 700 employees. They laid off 100 of the 800 employees because it was a fail site. It was a fail casino, shall I say, not a fail site. In September 2017, they received a default notice on their $90 million loan. In January 2018, they closed the casino and the restaurants and they were hoping to reorganize the company and reopen within six months. Never happened. A foreclosure notice was filed in February 2018. Still $48.9 million remaining on the loan. They entered Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And then they closed completely in March of 2018. It's been sitting closed now for 13 months. Almost 14 Snow-Covered Capital, which was the main lender for the resort, became the owners. They set the opening bid for the property at $35 million at a foreclosure auction, and then uh, nobody bid for it. Nobody even thought it was worth $35 million, which is pretty sad. But 
it ended up being bought for $36 million. So this is why I got confused with the win fine. The win fine was $35 million, this is $36 million. See? See how confusing this is? The hotel has 203 rooms and nine stories. There's also space for five restaurants, and there's a spa there. No word on the plans for the property from uh, Don Ahern. Uh, he does say that he will uh, change the property's name. It's not going to be called the Lucky Dragon. He said, I absolutely will not keep the name. So, uh, they apparently got a lot of response to the sale, but uh, according to the company selling it, they said uh, 98% of the companies trying to buy the hotel were, quote, dreamers, people who wanted to buy it in theory but didn't really have the money. They said we we could write a book on some of the stories we heard. <laughs> uh, so I don't know when it's going to reopen. I think it's still going to be a fail. Maybe buying it for that cheap will give them enough of uh, an ability to put the money into restarting it and making something of it. But it's not just a matter of buying it. It's a matter of operating profitably. And I'm not sure if it can, where it is. But they're going to have to do things differently. They had no idea what they were doing. They hired way too many people. It wasn't marketed well. They were expecting a lot more customers than they could realistically expect. They were expecting uh, a lot more excitement from the Asian community visiting Vegas than they could realistically expect. The whole thing was just ill-advised. I think even Phil Galfon could have managed it better. That's how how bad it was. It was also a target of advantage players because when they started getting desperate to bring people over there, they started giving these tremendous new card offers at Lucky Dragon, where if you signed up for a new card and didn't even run that much play, they would give you these tremendously good offers to come back there and free play. And you know what the advantage players did. They'd come back, run the free play, and keep doing so as long as the free play kept coming and they never put another dime into the machines. Lucky Dragon started getting wise to this and started cutting people off who seemed to be just coming back to play free play and nothing else, but uh, it was always too late and they had been taken for a lot of money by the Advantage players. Not why they closed, it wasn't that much money compared to the money they were hemorrhaging just from operations, but uh, that's just an example of how poorly the place was run. Okay, look at this. We're at, it's at 2.41 in the morning right now, and, and we're, we've moved right along. I believe we are at our final topic. I think we've finally gotten there. I had eight topics to soldier through after 1 a.m., and I, I have to admit that I was kind of uh, nervous about that, that I wasn't going to finish. But we're going to finish because this is the last topic, and that's it. China. Let's talk about China. Chinese people like to gamble. They do. I'm sure you've seen that of uh, out of Chinese people in the U.S. and in Europe and other places besides China that uh, a lot of them you know enjoy gambling. That's just kind of in the culture. However, 
China, which has a, a huge population, I think like 1.6 billion, they do not allow gambling. So there's a lot of underground gambling, but and there's a lot of desire to gamble there, but uh, there's really nowhere to actually gamble in uh, mainland China. China has been very anti-poker. There's a belief that if China were to warm up to poker, that this could be a huge market. Huge. Imagine if China could start entering the online poker market. Now, a lot of Chinese are poor. It's a still kind of a third world country in a way, and uh, a lot of the residents couldn't really uh, afford to play poker, but still with a population of 1.6 billion, there's a lot of people there with money who like to gamble. Think if all those Chinese who like to gamble, who would like to play poker, who have the money to do so, if they were to go onto online poker sites, and they probably wouldn't be very good, just like people weren't very good when they first came onto poker sites in 2003, 2004, 2005, during the poker boom. Think if now you had an influx of Chinese people who make up about 20% of the world's population. Think if they were to come in mass into poker sites where, again, a lot of them are not that experienced and probably wouldn't be nearly as good as most of the existing online poker players. Think of how great the games would be. But it hasn't happened. That's why you haven't seen a ton of Chinese players online. There's been some who find their way to some of these sites, but for the most part, uh, there really isn't much of a poker scene in China. It's been suppressed. Well, China is taking another step to prevent a poker boom from ever coming. They recently formed something called SAP, the State Administration of Press and Publication. And this... SAP involves licensing games that can uh, come out for for apps. And this licensing system requires SAP to approve any kind of uh, poker-themed video games in order to exist in China. Now, the problem was SAP was formed in April of 2018. And they immediately got a ton of license requests and they weren't prepared to act on them and there was a huge backlog, so they were hardly approving anything. One poker-themed game was approved, but uh, due to the backlog, very little was approved. Well, before they could act on anything further they have just decided that all poker-themed video games will be denied the state licensing. Now, any existing games that were licensed are not going to be affected by this, but since only one got through, that's the only one that's going to remain. 
So every other game that's attempting to get state licensing will be denied. So that's really going to hold down the growth there. These games could be theoretically played for real money, even though they're not real money games. They could just get people into poker and wanting to play for real money. Nope, they're not going to exist because they're not going to be approved. Chinese, the, the Chinese government is also deciding not to approve any Mahjong games because uh, they're afraid that uh, these have been utilized for exactly that purpose, for underground games that uh, for real money, where the money is exchanged later. And they've also been spying on social media networks to uh, find any kind of uh, underground poker games and crack down on those. So the, the game of poker is just really dying in China. So they're really trying to stamp out not just poker, but also Mahjong, which is a, another very popular game there. So they're, they're really trying to prevent their citizens from getting into poker even if it's just these apps that are for, for fun. Now, yes, these apps can then be used for people to play for real money and just uh, exchanging it later, as what happens here in the U.S. with things like those open face Chinese apps. But they don't even want that to possibly occur, nor do they want anyone to get... Uh, into poker enough to where they were going to want to start playing poker for real money in some other way. Something else SAP has been requiring is uh, what they call anti-addiction protocols in all mobile games. So they... uh, don't not only don't want people gambling, they also don't want them even getting addicted to certain online games that don't have a gambling element. It's very, very controlling over there, as you might guess. So the government is, is really, really trying to hold poker back, and so far they've managed to do it. If the Chinese government could warm to poker, that really, really could be a huge boost to online poker everywhere. There aren't many things that could create a second poker boom, but that's one of them. Actually, I see the China population is not 1.6 billion. It's a, it's a little under 1.4 billion, and India is almost passing them. The current population on Earth is 7.5 billion. So China is a little less than 20% of the population. I see something else saying that they have 1.41 billion. So 
yeah, it's it's pretty close to uh, 20%, a little bit less. The weird thing is the U.S. is the third most populous country in the world, but they're way behind the top two, which are China and India, which are very close. China and India together have about uh, 2.7 billion and the entire world population is 7.53 billion. So they have uh, well more than a third of the world's population between them. Uh, Approaching 40%. Just in those two countries. Funny enough, neither of them have much of a presence in online poker. So think of that. Think of both China and India suddenly had a presence in online poker. That would be a real poker boom. That could be a bigger poker boom than what we had before. It really could be. May never happen. But we can dream. Definitely the games could use a boost at this point, that's for sure. Getting pretty tough. Well, we're done. I got through all the topics. I knew it was going to take a while. A lot of topics. Show went almost six hours. Thank you again to Eric Benzomokin for coming on, giving us your legal expertise. We'll be back one week from today. May 8th, 2019. The call to listen line sometimes crashes. I'm aware of that. If you notice it's down, you're welcome to text me, 775-372-8355, and tell me that the call to listen line has crashed. I can put it back up. I'm still trying to figure out why it does that. It just goes down sometimes. It has something to do with the new server. There's been various things I've had to battle with on the new server, which, which works better. I mean, I'm happy I have it, but... There's been some weird things on the new server that I've had to battle with, and I've solved all of them now, except for the weirdness with the call-to-listen line crashing at random times. It just it just goes down and disappears, and I, I've got to restart it. Like the, the entire server running it just goes down. It's not even the fault of uh, South Dakota. They're doing their part over there. It's the connection to Poker Fraud Alert, the whole server that connects it to the content is, is crashing. I can't figure out why. I'm going to look into it. The World Series is just uh, four weeks away. When we get to May, where we are now, that's where I really start to feel like we're close. Like, I go, wow, May, it's, it's almost World Series time. And every year I'm excited to go there. Every year I'm excited to start. It's uh, just... An atmosphere that I enjoy being part of. There's always good lots of poker drama and poker stories that come from that, too. So It always makes for good material for the show. Especially when Caesars fails with things. That's always fun to talk about. I'm sure we'll have plenty of that, as we always do. This time we won't have a media pass, though. That is all for tonight. Thank you for listening to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Thank you, Trader Ruski, for the time you're on here. Good night.
Shalom.